Welcome to the mop up for what is it? Uh, 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 September 2nd. I'm David Feldman coming to you from an air shaft overlooking a parking garage somewhere in Manhattan. All right, just waking up here. I need a vacation. I keep saying that I need a vacation. Can you hear me, Dan? You can hear me, right, Dan? Yeah, you sound good. Okay, and you sound good, too. We have a, an amazing show planned for you as soon as I can figure out what it is. I think we have Professor Ben Burgess coming up at 6.30. That's exciting. And we also have the Hershenfelds and the professors and Marianne. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be fantastic. We had a rough night in New York City. We had flash flood emergencies in New York City for the first time. And I live in an air shaft. Have I mentioned that? I leave the windows open because I'm right up against a brick wall. Only like a little sliver of sunlight comes in. So if it's snowing, I'll leave the window open. Last night, I'm on the phone with somebody. I hear this high screech the water flood alarm and my radiator went off. I had left the window up and the rain was so torrential, it made its way through the air shaft and into my kitchen. Unfortunately, it did not drown any of the mice who are still with us. Our uh, top story. What is our top story today? Let's see. I'm going to look. Let me see. What's our top story? Our top story is Social Security. It looks like Social Security is in trouble. Now to news that could hit a lot of Americans' wallets. Social Security benefits could be slashed by the year 2034 unless Congress comes up with a fix. A new government report saying COVID unemployment and the recession have taken a massive economic toll on funds available for both older Americans and those with disabilities. Okay, that doesn't that does not sound particularly good. Uh, okay, uh, what what uh, what year did you say Social Security is going to be running out? What did you say? The year twenty thirty four. Okay, the year twenty thirty four. All right. Uh, anything else going on that we should know about? Long lines for gas, food, and water. Okay, that sounds pretty depressing. Uh, what else is going on? Heavy rain and deadly flooding. Okay, that's uh, anything more cheerful? Can we, you know, I'm, I spent most of my life in California. How's California doing? California's raging Caldor fire exploding to more than 200,000 acres. Okay, all right. Uh, all right, anything else? 56 million under alert. 56 million under alert. That would be in the Northeast. Yeah. Uh, tell me something good. The tornado emergency. Okay. I I'm starting to really, really hate you. Uh, something. What, what is really going on in the news? A trail of destruction as the extreme weather pushes into the Northeast. Okay. Enough, enough about the weather. Enough about the weather. Enough about the weather. What else? A community nearly wiped off the map. Uh, what, what was it? What was that about? Social security? What did you, you, you try to scare me about 
What year did you say Social Security goes bankrupt? What did what did you say? Year 2034. Okay, I don't think that's going to be a problem. I don't think. I don't think that's good news. See, I know there was a pony somewhere in this pile of horseshit. I we don't have to worry about Social Security going bankrupt in uh, 2034 because it's never going to go bankrupt, by the way. We'll talk about that later. They, they always tell you that Social Security is about to go bankrupt. They borrow. The government borrows from Social Security. It's fine. Don't worry. Well, uh, America is obviously on edge, aren't we? This is uh, good coffee. Thank you, Leslie. And sometimes it's nice to return to Jeffersonian democracy. You know, a town hall meeting, like say in Florida, where ordinary citizens gather to discuss how we can all work together. That, that's what it's that's what it's all about. And how do we help each other through the pandemic? This is what our founding fathers dreamed of. And I believe it's coming to fruition down in Florida. My name is Melissa. I have two daughters in the school system. Ah, Melissa, she has two daughters in the school system. They're having a discussion about how do we open up the schools with COVID going on. This, I, this, she seems like a sweet uh, woman, Melissa, with her two daughters. Tell me more about yourself. I'm a nurse, infectious disease, 13 years. A nurse in infectious diseases for 13 years, and you have two daughters. You should be proud, Melissa. You know, you're saving lives, and at the same time, you're raising two young daughters. I don't know how you find the time. You are a super mom. And, and so uh, we should listen to you because you're an infectious disease nurse. Tell us what your 13 years of working with infectious diseases has taught you. Masks don't work. Right. Masks don't work. You're in the hospital. Masks don't work. They're just cloths. They're just pieces of paper. It's the nurses who do all the work. Well, you don't get enough credit. You're our first responder and thank you for your service. You work, it's not the masks, you work. So tell us from your work, how do we fight COVID? 13 years of being an infectious disease nurse, drop some wisdom on us, please. Natural immunity is best. Right, 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 right. I'm taking vitamin D. I'm trying to walk and exercise. The gyms have been closed, but we have to all build up our natural uh, natural humidity, natural immunity. We need to take care of ourselves and our bodies to make sure that we don't have any comorbidities. So at this town hall in Florida, you're you having been an infectious disease nurse for 13 years. I know you're this is you're not on your shift. This is kind of like people saying, you know, I know you're not working for me. Can you write some jokes? I hate to have to do work for free for people. But you're there in the town hall, uh, the school board meeting. What is your general diagnosis uh, of the people who are in this room? You are all demonic entities. Interesting. This is see, this is the benefit of 13 years of experience working in emergency rooms, infectious diseases. And she just knows, you know, she was able to give us a diagnosis. She doesn't need to run any tests. She can just tell by looking. 
Uh, and that's what we have to understand about our healthcare system. It's the nurses, not the doctors. It's the nurses who really do all the work in the hospital. And uh, so, Melissa, mother of two young daughters, infectious disease nurse, uh, the doctors, uh, you know, they make all the money. They get all the glory. Do you have any resentment? These doctors that sit up here that were sneering at us and looking at us like we're scumbags, they need to go back to fucking medical school. Ma'am, you're out of order. Please, this is your last warning. We have authority in Christ Jesus. These are demonic entities in all the school boards of all the United States of America. And all of us Christians will be sticking together to take them all out. All the police officers that kick us out for our First Amendment right will also be going down with them. Do you understand? Yeah, I'm, be I'm beginning to understand that you have uh, passion and uh, you, you know, I hope, God forbid, I ever need a nurse. I hope it's someone who brings such devotion and dedication to their job like you, Melissa. It's hard to believe that Medicare for all is not as popular as one would believe it is when we get to meet infectious disease nurses like you. Why don't people trust doctors and hospitals and nurses anymore? Uh, I get you. Uh, so I completely understand what you're saying. And I'm with you 100 percent, Melissa, mother of two daughters, infectious disease nurse. You are being stirred, and this is a wonderful thing, uh, you're being stirred to violence by your pastor who has convinced you that Jesus is on your side. I completely understand that. That's what we need more of during a pandemic with massive income inequality. We need pastors who... Uh, like this, like Greg Locke, who will be speaking. I'm not making this up. He will be speaking next month at Mar-a-Lago. He'll be appearing with Donald Trump. Let's listen to right-wing pastor Greg Locke. God's about to bring the whole house down, ladies and gentlemen. These bunch of sex trafficking mongrels are about to be exposed. These bunch of pedophiles in Hollywood are going to be exposed for who they are. I don't care what you think about fraudulent Sleepy Joe. He's a sex trafficking, demon-possessed mongrel. He's of the left. He ain't no better than the Pope and Oprah Winfrey and Tom Hanks and the rest of that wicked crowd. God is going to bring the whole house down. I said he's going to bring the whole house down. He's going to burn the whole thing to the ground. He's going to expose all these bunch of pedophiles. I'm telling you, he's going to expose Kamala Harris for the Jezebel demon that she is. Yes. Yep. Yep. Can I uh, can I get an amen? We in the chat room. Can we get an amen? Get babies. That's that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's my uh, my minister. Dead babies. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, this anti-vax, anti-mask uh, position is truly resonating with GOP voters who don't like the government or doctors. Even worse, they hate government doctors like uh, 
you know, Anthony Fauci telling them they have to wear a mask or get vaccinated. But there's one little problem facing the GOP. And I think QAnon should look into this. They should jump on board this. This needs examining. Uh, It turns out doctors from the government telling people to wear masks and get vaccinated. I'm pretty sure it's the Democratic Party's version of voter suppression. It's three dimensional chest, chest or chest. The uh, the Democrats are really smart and they know Republicans don't trust doctors or the government. So if a doctor and the government tell Republicans to wear a mask and get vaccinated, Republicans won't. They're too smart and they're going to get sick and they're going to die. And that is the Democratic version of voter suppression that QAnon needs to look into. Uh, This is from uh, Y-Axis, and they looked over some uh, death rates here. In counties where Donald Trump got fewer than 20 percent of 2020 presidential votes, for instance, there have been on average fewer than five COVID deaths for every 100,000 people since July 31st, 2021. It didn't say that's not uh, that's something I added. Roughly the start of the latest wave of death corresponding with the Delta variant in places where Trump got 80 percent or more of the vote. On the other hand, the death rate is closer to 15 per 100,000 across all counties. There's effectively a dose response relationship between Republicanism and covid mortality as the share of Republican voters increases in your county, your likelihood of dying from the disease rises as well. That's uh, not good. This is it's working. The Democratic plan, the Democratic Party's plan is working. Why axis continues. So in our sample, excluding Nebraska, Florida, Alaska and small counties, apparently Florida doesn't have numbers that you can trust. Hard to believe that DeSantis is uh, dishonest about the mortality rate from covid. Anyway, so in our final sample, we've got 2,327 counties representing 289 million people or about 87 percent of the total U.S. population. Among those, all but one of the 20 counties with the highest covid mortality rates in August supported Trump. Counties in which Trump won 50 percent or more of the vote represent 38 percent of the total sample population, but account for 56 percent of August covid deaths. Counties in which 75 percent or more voted for Trump account for 6 percent of the population, but 13 percent of covid mortality. And we've talked about this because a lot of these swing states, you know, it's 10,000, 15,000 votes 
that that make the difference. So uh, the Republicans better get on this because, uh, uh, you know, this is uh, this could be bad in 2022. The the Democrats might actually pick up votes. Uh, Well, rather rather than admit they're wrong. And this is what I love about the, the, the Republicans. Never surrender. Never surrender. If we're in Afghanistan, never surrender. I don't care how many other kids, how many children of other parents have to die. I am not going to surrender. That's what I love about re- Republicans. And in this nightmare year, uh, we're learning that through the New York Times that the Republicans don't have to admit they're wrong because Republicans have their own new form of voter suppression. Forget the voters. Let them vote. It doesn't matter. Let them vote. That's what the Republicans are are thinking. The secret is going after the people who count the votes. Those are the ones the Republicans are suppressing and they are they are succeeding. This article in the New York Times says the headline is after a nightmare year, election officials are quitting. See how powerful intimidation is? Voter intimidation. See, not suppression, voter intimidation. This is from the New York Times. After a nightmare year, election officials are quitting from the New York Times. In interviews, some election officials say they are also worried that a flood of departures in the next two years could drain elections of nonpartisan expertise at a hinge moment for American democracy, or worse, encourage partisans to fill the vacuum. They cite moves by partisans alleging that the last election was stolen in Arizona, Georgia, and elsewhere to run for statewide office that control election administration. See, that's what they're what they're doing. The uh, they're going after election officials. You know how they you know how they pack the courts now. Now the Republicans, Mitch McConnell has packed the courts and the Supreme Court, which had nothing to say about Texas, a new abortion bill. If you get enough of these people in charge, you don't have to worry about suppressing the vote. And you do this by intimidating. This is, you know, the the fascist playbook. You intimidate good decent, patriotic Americans who believe in democracy. The Brennan Center, started by Justice Brennan, who uh, is no longer on the Supreme Court, uh, did a report about election officials under attack. It's entitled Election Officials Under Attack, How to Protect Administrators and Safeguard Democracy. This is from the Brennan Center for Justice. Now, to refresh your memory, Donald Trump is under investigation for trying to flip Georgia. Do you remember this? It was very close. Biden and and Trump neck and neck. And then the last minute, they counted all the votes and Biden won. And Trump immediately uh, insisted that the election had been stolen from him. And, uh, you know, he he called Raffsenberger down in Georgia. He called 
uh, some Republican officials just innocently, I don't know why they're investigating him, he just innocently demanded, well, this is a tape of him uh, demanding that election administrators in Georgia find more votes for him. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have. That That is, uh, in you know, in other countries, that would be grounds for, you know, locking him up forever. But this is America. So he just wants to find, uh, you know, 10, 11,000 votes, one more than uh, is missing. And there's an election official, a Republican named Donald Schmidt, and he wouldn't budge. This is according to the Brennan Center. He wouldn't but budge. And according to the Brennan Center, he's paid a price. This is from election officials under attack by the Brennan Center. So Donald Schmidt, a Republican, and his family received death threats after this. One text message, which mentioned his wife and children, read, quote, you lied, you a traitor. Perhaps 75 cuts and 20 bullets will soon arrive. Ah, his wife received the following threats via email the next morning, all in caps. Albert Rhino Schmidt, Rhino, Republican in name only, will be fatally shot. Unquote. And another one that read heads on spikes, treasonous Schmitz. A 24-hour security detail remained at Schmidt's and his parents' houses well into 2021. For their safety, his wife and children left their home after the election. Wow. Would you put up with that? This is Republican on Republican violence. Imagine what it's going to be like in 2022 for the midterms in democratically controlled states. Would you be an election official with this kind of swagger, these threats, these Second Amendment wackos threatening you? Would you? Would you work for the government? This is how democracy dies, folks. This is how democracy dies. But luckily, there are some Republicans like... uh, like uh, Donald Trump, right? There's some Republicans like uh, Donald Trump. Remember, I'm not the one trying to undermine American democracy. I am the one trying to save American democracy. Yes, he's trying to save democracy. Remember, you're all too young. In Vietnam, they used to burn a village to save it. That was how they justified setting fire to uh, villages that had been taken over by the Viet Cong. They would set fire to it and uh, they would say, "We're, we're destroying the village to save it. I think that's what Donald Trump has in mind. Well, the Brennan Center goes on to write, Al Schmitz, not an exceptional case. Around the country, election officials have been under attack in the last year. Long used to staying in the background, long used to staying in the background, 
long accustomed to staying in the background, I I would have written, they have now found themselves cast as villains, scapegoated for election outcomes that some politicians and voters did not like. The most troubling and impactful villainization of election officials in the last year has come from some of America's political leaders. Many have pointed to President Trump's attempts to delegitimize the 2020 election results as rigged and the Stop the Steal movement he inspired as the reason for targeting election officials. But the problem goes far deeper than one man. Remember, I'm not the one trying to undermine American democracy. I am the one trying to save American democracy. All this, the Brennan Center says, they conclude all of this represents a mortal danger to American democracy, which cannot survive without public servants who can freely and fairly run our elections, we must ensure that they feel not only safe, but also supported and appreciated for their vital efforts. This is what's going on in the Republican Party. And you have uh, some candidates who are currently running who are not embracing uh, democracy Uh, They are embracing fascism, even though they're asking for your vote. Take Josh Mandel. He is running for senator in Ohio. Portman, Republican, is stepping down. And Josh Mandel is a Marine and he's running for office. And we have to support our veterans. We really do. We owe them everything. But what we don't owe them is elective office if they're suffering from mental illness. Josh Mandel needs to be taken care of by our VA. He needs to be loved. They were sold a false bill of goods. Our veterans need all the love that we can give them. They deserve it. They went and fought and they did 10, 20 tours of duty with cell phones. So they were able to go to work and and see things that I don't even want to imagine while talking to friends at home. That does something to your brain. And Josh Mandel is obviously suffering and untreated PTSD. You you can do two things with untreated PTSD. Uh, You can have a nervous breakdown and become a danger to yourself, your family, and the country. That's one thing that happens with untreated PTSD. Or you could run for office as a Republican. So this is Josh Mandel running for office. At the end of the day, the Second Amendment is about combating tyranny from the government. We've got tyranny coming out of the White House with Biden, but we also have tyranny coming out of governor's mansions, like right here in Ohio, where this squishy establishment, Mike DeWine, is trying to push mask mandates and vaccine passports on the people. And that's why we have to arm up. That's why we have to arm up. As in Zig Heil? Is is that what you're saying, Josh Mandel? Mandel. Interesting last name. When you say arm up... Is it Zig Heil? 
Mr. Mandel, you need love. I'm not being serious. Uh, Josh Mandel needs to be loved uh, and he needs to be taken care of. He should not be exploited by the Republican Party. It's it's really wrong to take people like Josh Mandel, who uh, are suffering from trauma and use them and manipulate them this way. It's really wrong. I'm being serious. I'm not being mean. He's in crisis uh, and he, he needs to be helped. Instead, they're helping him to the Senate. He's running on insurrection. When people cheat in elections, when these Democrats cheat in elections, they're not only disenfranchising their neighbors, they're stomping on the graves of every Marine. Oh, yeah. Soldier, sailor, airman who's paid the ultimate sacrifice so we can live free, so we can have that right to vote every every November. And yes. so I think this whole January 6th thing, you know, this commission, whatever, you know, Pelosi, whatever you call it, 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 it it's a total waste of time. Yeah, that's uh, I feel bad for for Josh Mandel. I do. And uh, and. He's gathering up the next insurrection. There is something called the Mattis waiver in Austin. They use the Mattis waiver on General Austin, who's now the head of the uh, the Pentagon. There's like a seven year baked into the, the judicial code. There's a seven year wait before somebody from the military can serve in the Department of Defense. It's very wise because our founding fathers early in this country recognized that uh, the easiest path to fascism is uh, allowing soldiers to rise politically into the executive branch. And we waived it with Mad Dog Mattis during the Trump administration. We shouldn't have. We waived it with Austin. we shouldn't have. Uh, we should not allow uh, soldiers to jump directly into the executive branch or politics because that is the recipe for fascism. So somebody like Josh Mandel, who served, and fa- I'm not trying to be cruel or insensitive, he's in crisis. And a lot of our veterans are in crisis. And there should be some kind of mandate that prevents uh, veterans uh, from running for office and, and, and elective office for a couple of years until we work out uh, some of the PTSD because they get exploited by Republicans and it's evil. It is very Josh Mandel needs to be loved. He needs to be held and and taken to a hospital and given the help that he needs. Uh, There are some. uh, There are people in crisis right now, and uh, Josh Mandel is is one of them. Uh, Yeah. Okay. so. some of the Republicans are 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 freaking out. They they don't recognize the Republican Party. I do. This is every Republican 
uh, I've ever known. The, the problem is they're articulating the unsayable. You're not supposed to talk this way. But this is what the, Re the Republican Party basically believes. Uh, serve Wall Street, serve the richest 1% by catering to the mentally ill who don't know they're mentally ill and the low information voter. That is uh, how the Republican Party has always thrived. Play on people's basis instincts. But it's some some Republicans are going wobbly. They, they don't have the stamina and, and they're weak, like Governor Jim Justice of West Virginia, a Republican. This is Republican country, West Virginia. We're not going to get Bernie's infrastructure bill because of West Virginia, because Joe Manchin, he's from West Virginia. And so it's West Virginia that's keeping us from the new New Deal. And, you know, Governor Jim Justice, the Republican governor of West Virginia, he doesn't have what it takes to be a Republican anymore. He's buckling. He's gone wobbly, as Margaret Thatcher once said to to Ronald Reagan. Don't go wobbly on me, Ronnie. Every day, Republican Governor Jim Justice of West Virginia holds a press conference to tackle to tackle COVID, which is just tearing through West Virginia. This is what he said yesterday. 106 death in West Virginia is another 34 year old, a 34 year old male from Randolph County. Mm -mm. You got to help me. You got to help me get the people vaccinated. It's the only way out of this. You call yourself a Republican? You, I mean, this guy should. 106 death in West Virginia is another 34 year old, a 34 year old male from Randolph County. Mm -mm. You gotta help me. You gotta help me get the people vaccinated. It's the only way out of this. Wow, what a weakling. It's the all vaccines, a Republican. They should throw him. Do they excommunicate Republicans? They, they should. It's a party of religious idiots. They should excommunicate people like Governor Jim Justice. The Republican Party is a religion. Donald Trump is a religion. He doesn't pay taxes, so he might as well be a religion. And it's not just that's from my act. Uh, uh, I'm going to miss Donald Trump. Uh, it's not just Jim Justice. It's not just it's Paul Ryan, the former speaker of the House. Paul Ryan is going wobbly on us. He I cannot believe, you know, they're, he's from Wisconsin where Harvey J. K., Professor Harvey J.K. lives and, and they're, you know, they're auditing the vote because it was so tight and they're audit auditing the vote. Here is Speaker Paul Ryan. He ran for vice president in 2012. 
with Mitt Romney. This is what Paul Ryan said. You might want to tell your kids uh, to, not to hear this. It was not rigged. It was not stolen. Donald Trump lost the election. Joe Biden won the election. It's really clear. Wow. Paul Ryan is saying that that's sacrilege. You, you don't talk that way. And here's something even more shocking. I mean, this is Ron Johnson, the senator from Wisconsin, who anti-mask, anti-vax, a Russian mole, we think. This guy is so deep up Donald Trump's rectum, he can smell Stephen Miller. This guy loves Donald Trump. He would never say anything bad about Donald Trump. But here he is at a state fair in Wisconsin talking about the election. It's about a minute and a half. Listen carefully because he does something that Republican voters aren't good at, logic and math. Turns out Ron Johnson is a phony Republican. He's really not as stupid as he plays on television. He can do math. He can apply logic to election results. It's this is one of the most I'm being serious. This is one of the most convincing arguments as to why Donald Trump definitely did not win. And get a pad and pencil. Pay attention to this. You can use it when you're arguing with your Republican friends. This is the to me, this is the definitive explanation of why Donald Trump lost. Well, you know that Joe Biden didn't win this election. I mean, in my heart of hearts, I, I just no, so to, to, he didn't win. Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you know the I don't know. So without knowing the vote totals, you, you can't even state that opinion. I just really need all the small chatter. Just well, I mean, you, 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 I no, 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 no. So let me give you the vote totals. I know that there was a, a, a late night dump in Milwaukee at vote down, but I don't remember exactly what the numbers were. We've done a recount of Prior to this election, I was the number one vote getter statewide with just under 1.5 million votes. And this election, Trump got a million six ten. No Republican has ever cracked 1.5 million. Numerous Democrats have gone over 1.6 or 1.5. So now, for the first time in history, we have a president's candidate beating my vote total by 130,000 votes collectively. The state assembly candidates and the just, just Republican state assembly candidates got a million six sixty one. The eight congressional candidates also got a million six sixty one. So we obviously counted enough Republican votes. The only reason Trump lost his asses is Republican voters didn't vote for him. They voted for other Republican candidates. But you're telling me that Joe Biden won the state fair and square? Because I don't see it. I don't believe it. Look at the totals. It's certainly plausible. There's, no, there's nothing obviously. There's nothing obviously skewed about the results. There isn't. There's nothing skewed about the results. About the results in Wisconsin. Now, I'm not saying what's happening in Fairfield County. I don't know what's happening in Fairfield County. Look at the numbers. Collectively. Wisconsin and Georgia and Arizona. Listen, 
listen, listen, you're not, you're not listening. He's also a So listen, collectively, Republicans got 1.661 million votes. 51,000 more votes than Trump got. Trump lost by 20,000. And Trump got all the, got all the Republicans voted for Trump the way they voted for the Assembly candidates. He said he would have won. He didn't get 51,000 votes that other Republicans got. That's why he lost. That, you know... Ron Johnson, Senator Ron Johnson, I think, I hope you could hear that because it is the most cogent explanation of how it was impossible for Donald Trump to have won Wisconsin. And let me just go over the math here and use this on your friends. He is saying that in 2020, in the state of Wisconsin, there were other Republicans on the ballot. Okay. And all those Republicans combined, uh, all the Republicans, uh, 1.661 million Republicans voted in 2020 in Wisconsin. And local Congress people and state assembly and state senators, when you, they all got that 1.661 million Republican vote. Donald Trump fell short by 51,000 votes. He lost. And the explanation is that Republicans voted for their Republican, like, you know, Paul Ryan is a Republican from Wisconsin. I suspect he did not vote for Donald Trump. I suspect he voted for every Republican on the ballot except Donald Trump. That makes perfect sense. And that is the definitive argument, in my estimation, of how you cannot say Donald Trump won Wisconsin. Look at the ballot. They looked at the ballots. 51,000 ballots from Republicans did not have Donald Trump's name on it. That's the explanation. Uh, so good for, you know, Ron Johnson, good for uh, 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 Paul Ryan, uh, good for Jim Justice, Republican Jim Justice. You could always just quit the party uh, and, and be a Democrat and, and help pass, uh, help Biden pass this infrastructure bill. That's a, a, a way you can make amends because there are still Republicans who will not admit they're wrong. Now, Congressman Clay Higgins is from Louisiana. And while Ida was bearing down on his district, on his constituents, he stood in front of the Capitol and called for the impeachment of Joe Biden. That was his biggest concern, that we have to get rid of Joe Biden uh, while his constituents need Joe Biden, Joe Biden is, you know, flying down on Friday to visit Louisiana. He's the one who sends FEMA down to Louisiana to pick up, to clean up, to help out. You need the federal government. Congressman Clay Higgins from Louisiana. But he stood on the steps of the Capitol and appealed to Democrats. But I speak to you now as an American, 
understand that asking for your president's resignation, demanding your president's resignation because of his failure causes the ascension of your vice president to the status of commander in chief and president of the United States. You put her in office, let's see what she's got. Let's see what she's got. Well, we see what you've got. You're, you're People in your district, Clay Higgins in Louisiana, are about to die from Hurricane Ida. They're about to drown. And instead of going down there to help out or instead of getting on the phone with the president of the United States and working the levers of power to make sure that your constituents literally have power so they can have air conditioning and water, you, you work the levers of power and appeal to Joe Biden, tail between your legs, and say, please help me out. Remember Chris Christie hugging Obama after Hurricane Sandy? Uh, he was hungry. He wasn't grateful. He was trying to... Uh, no. Um, it's called a bear claw hug is what he gave him. So uh, somebody in the media finally asked the right question. Somebody actually spoke up at this uh, statement from the Freedom Caucus, uh, the ultra right wing, they were the Tea Party, you know, uh, Bobert is part of that gun toting, racists, uh, unpatriotic patriots is what I call them. Somebody dared to ask Clay Higgins, why are you here and not down where your constituents are. Why are you worrying about Joe Biden asking him to resign and trying to get this impeachment going? Why aren't you worrying about Ida? Why can't this wait? And Clay Higgins, to his credit, uh, told the truth. Well, let me tell you what would be a good start for the people of Louisiana. $85 billion worth of military equipment that was left behind in Afghanistan. Yeah. We could use some of those assets yeah. for the citizens of America. Right. Let us put America first. Right. We don't need Medicare for all. We don't need food. We don't need shelter that, you know, the evictions are back. The Supreme Court over. We don't need housing. We need military equipment. That is what is going to help the American people getting those tanks and uh, AR-15s out of and those helicopters out of Afghanistan so the American people can use them. Because when you're in, and this is what he's thinking, when you're in a flood, when you're in a flood zone, you need weapons. He's, he's anticipating or hoping for that Hobbesian nightmare where America is run by warlords, kind of like, you know, Afghanistan. That's their vision. That is the Republican vision. They don't believe in states' rights. They claim they believe in states' rights. They believe in warlords. And everybody should be armed. And it's who whoever has the most weapons wins. That that is what the Republican Party truly believes. Everybody else went for the exits. People 
who are just charlatans like Paul Ryan. Uh, they headed for the exits. He's not there anymore. All that's left now are the truly demented who believe might makes right. You've got this guy, uh, Cawthorn. He uh, is, I think he's like 25. He's, uh, I think he's from North Carolina. And he's traveling around the country talking to voters about election fraud. Still, he won't he won't give up. Here's uh, Congressman Cawthorn. I think he's like 25. You know, everything that we're sitting here talking about, we're all so passionate right now. The things that we are wanting to fight for, it doesn't matter if our votes don't count. Exactly. Because, you know, if our election systems continue to be rigged and continue to be stolen, then it's, it's going to lead to one place, and it's bloodshed. And I will tell you, as much as I am willing to defend our liberty at all costs, there's nothing that I would dread doing more than having to pick up arms against a fellow American. And the way that we can have recourse against that is if we all passionately demand that we have election security in all 50 states. Everything that we're sitting here talking about. Okay, that, that's uh, Congressman Cawthon. He's about 25. He, uh, I'm a little reluctant, but I'll, he's in a wheelchair. Uh, but I don't want you to think he's a wounded veteran. Uh, he's a wounded driver. And uh, there has a long history of being accused of sexual assault. Uh, I'm sorry he's in a wheelchair, uh, but he should not be in Congress. He is a, uh, a mentally ill. He's dangerous. He is. Uh, he's very dangerous. So some of these Republicans are not going wobbly. Some of them are. Uh, some of them are staying true to themselves. One of them is uh, is Governor DeSantis. He uh, can't lie his way out of this. But even though the numbers cannot be trusted, the hospitalizations and the deaths from COVID in Florida are uh, embarrassing. And he had a, a press conference uh, I believe it was two days ago, and he was asked, you know, what do you tell the, the families of all these people who are dying in your state from COVID? Here's what he said. But the death numbers have been going up pretty significantly. I wonder if you have any words you'd share with families that are affected by that. Yeah, I think it's been, I think it's in a rough time. I think there's people that have been infected or, or have been affected all across the state. And, um, and I think it's been a really terrible thing. And I think the thing that we're trying to do is say, OK, what was not being done? Where was the gap? Ah, see, I apologize. I said he was being steadfast and wasn't reflective. And now he's saying what? What should I have been doing? What what was the gap? What, what, see, this he's a businessman, and I think he went to Harvard or Yale. And we this is what Republicans are all about. They bring the efficiency of business to government. And he's saying, OK, let's review, you know, it's we got a new quarter coming up and tell me what, you know, let's review our performance. Let's do a performance review. Uh, there's a gap. There's a gap between when COVID was first introduced into the, the population 
and then people catching it. What is what is the gap? What is the thing that that you should have done, Governor DeSantis? Uh, I think I know what it is. But you went to Harvard and you went to Yale and you're the governor and people want you to run for president. What is that gap between the time COVID was introduced into the population of your state and people getting very sick and dying? You tell me. What was not being done? Where was the gap? And the biggest gap was in the early treatment. So I'm confident that there are going to be people that are now being availed of this uh, who are going to have better outcomes um, as a result of that. Really? The biggest gap was in the early treatment of the disease. So, so as governor, your job was to step in after people got COVID and then figure out how to treat the COVID after they get it. That's what you've decided is how you failed the, the people of Florida, that after they got sick, you didn't you took your time stepping in. That's curious. You don't believe in masks. Uh, you hate masks. You hate mask mandates. You hate vaccine mandates. Uh so you your mistake was you didn't get them treated fast enough with those uh, monoclonal antibodies that you're now pushing down in Florida made by Regeneron. Your regret is that you didn't make sure that everyone got monoclonal antibody treatment sooner. So your top donor, who owns massive amounts of stock in Regeneron, which makes monoclonal antibodies, uh, you know, he could have profited off that move of yours sooner. That's your solution to the crisis uh, down in Florida. Hmm. Because the real cash is not in preventative medicine. You know that, Ron DeSantis. Vaccines, there's no money in vaccines. The real cash is in treating the virus, right? It's in treating the virus. That's why your top donor puts so much money into Regeneron, which makes monoclonal antibodies, which you're making readily available now to all the infected citizens of Florida. Who's paying for that? Hmm, it's free. So who's paying for it? We are. And your top donor gets his investment in you back because that money goes to Regeneron and he owns massive amounts of stock in Regeneron. But you know what? I think, Governor DeSantis, you knew you were lying you know what the real gap is. And the gap is that you allowed way too many Floridians to get sick, especially in Florida where there's so many old people. Wow, uh, that's the gap. And you know that. You went to Harvard and Yale. You're too smart to, to not know that they should have all been vaccinated. And you know that. And I noticed a little stumbling on your words. I noticed a Freudian slip. Listen carefully. I, I isolated it. 
Yeah, I think it's been. I think it's in a rough time. I think there's people that have been infected or, or have been affected all across the state. I think there are a lot of people who were infected. I mean, affected. He knew what the gap was. The infection. He let it slip. It's beautiful. I can't wait to talk to Dr. Philip Hershenfeld at seven o'clock, the Freudian psychoanalyst. I mean, the subconscious tells the truth. The gap was the infected, taking, making sure that people weren't infected first. Yeah, I think it's been. I think it's in a rough time. I think there's people that have been infected or, or have been affected all across the state. Freudian slip. Uh, it's a very sick, mentally ill group of men, white men, uh, dangerous white men who need to be helped. Ron DeSantis is a very sick man. These men gravitate to the Republican Party because they're in denial. And they say, I'm not sick. I'm not a sociopath. I don't enjoy other people's suffering. I'm a Republican. I'm a Republican. That's, uh, that's who the Republican Party is. It's pretty horrendous. And it's pretty disgraceful that the alternative is Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer, and Nancy Pelosi. It's... Uh, we have to make the Democratic Party as good as the Republican Party is bad, because these people, they are they are going to drag us. They are. We're, we're heading towards Afghanistan. We're going to turn into Afghanistan. That's the karma. You know, it's the graveyard of empires. And we're heading if we don't get it together. We are heading towards warlords with guns because, you know, these Republicans love their guns. That's where we're heading if the Democratic Party doesn't get it together. Uh, so Texas. COVID still rampaging through the Lone Star State. And, uh, you know, there's there's plenty of blame to go around in Texas. You know, each laboratory of democracy is different. And in Texas, they've decided that it's not the anti-mask mandates, the anti-vax. I mean, you get fine. If you force somebody to wear a mask, you're going to have to pay a fine. They uh, they have figured out what is causing the tsunami of covid infections. And it's. uh undocumented Americans sneaking over the border. That is what's causing the spike in COVID in Texas. Uh, now, I don't know if you follow Texas, but uh, as you know, thousands of women and children, babies are coming from Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador uh, with their lungs filled with fluid from the COVID. They have fever. They, they have chills. They're coughing. Uh, they can barely move from the COVID. And yet they're walking hundreds of miles through Mexico uh, to come to America where they've been sent. They've been sent by MS-13. They've been sent by the, the gangs, you know, uh, to walk to America with COVID. 
and, and infect us all. That's why we have COVID. That's the spike. It's not because of vaccines. It's not because people won't take the vaccines or the people don't wear masks. It's because women and children with COVID and their lungs filled with the stuff are walking hundreds of miles and sneaking over the border. That, and it's Biden's fault. It's Biden's fault for letting these bioterrorists into our country. Uh, you know, and he should be wearing, uh, we should be building a wall to keep these bioterrorists out because they're all carrying COVID because that's where it comes from. We all know COVID comes from Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. And thank God for the Republican Party. There's still people like Senator Ted Cruz who uh, knows to blame uh, the Mexicans, the Guatemalans, and the El Salvadorians on uh, blame COVID on them. And he did some, I don't know if you remember, but remember that... Uh, those frigid temperatures in Texas and people had no water, people were dying, they had no heat. I don't know if you remember, but Ted Cruz went on a fact-finding mission to the Ritz-Carlton in Cancun to, to learn about all these women and children whose lungs are filled with COVID uh, sneaking, you know, uh, walking 100 miles to come into this country and spread their COVID. Here is Harvard Law School graduate, Princeton College graduate, Ted Cruz, telling us that Joe Biden has to get his act together and build that wall. This is in the midst of a global pandemic on COVID where we're seeing the administration releasing illegal immigrants into South Texas, into our communities with very high rates of COVID positivity. This is irresponsible and it makes no sense. It's also cruel. Yes, and, and that is one thing that Ted Cruz knows something about, cruelty. He is projecting and deflecting. That is the Republican playbook. He's calling Joe Biden cruel for allowing undocumented workers into the country to, I mean, for him to use the term cruel, that is, uh, that is uh, just, he's the worst. Ted Cruz is uh, the worst. So how do the Republicans find solace as liars? You know, they're, they're kind of uh, killing us all, or that's their, I don't think if that's their plan, their stupidity is gonna kill this all. Well, they get a lot of solace, they sleep at night because we have pastors like uh, Hank Kuhneman, he's the senior pastor of Lord of Hosts Church. Uh, and this is how Republican voters continue to think the way people like Ted Cruz want them to think. If you ignore it, then it's saying that they can get by with anything. What next? They're already trying to force a vaccination. They don't even know if it works. What next? 
Shut your churches down? Take your kids out of your home? Rape your wife? Put you in a concentration camp? Who knows? Put you in a concentration camp? Hmm. I like the way they just toss off concentration camps. That, that's, uh, that's a beautiful thing. That is Hank Kuhneman, senior pastor of Lord of Hosts Church. He's founder of One Voice Ministries. And he is uh, an uncompromising voice. Uh, and, and he God speaks through him. And uh, he is using uh, the voice of God to stir up the body of Christ. He's written several books, including a couple of children's books that are available. He writes children's books that you can buy at his ministry. Uh, some of those books include uh, The Cat in the Hat, Died for Your Sins. That's one child, one children's book. Uh, the Cat in the Hat Comes Back and Boy Is He Pissed. And of course, Oh, the Places in Hell You Will Go If You Don't Accept Christ as Your Lord and Savior. Uh, let me just check in with my pastor, Pastor Morris Bemelman. Uh, pastor Bemelman, you've been listening to the show. Uh, anything you want to add, Pastor Morris Bemelman? These vaccines are going to quit working on every corner until this nation falls to her knees and repents for dead babies and repents for the sodomy of this nation. OK, that's my pastor, Morris Bemelman. And uh, all right. Uh, what did you have for lunch today? Did you eat today? You look a, you're a little, little crank. Are you hangry? What did you have for lunch? Dead babies. All right. That's that's not that's not good. Uh, well, the anti-vaxxers, it's it's unbelievable uh, down in Texas. They are they don't want mask mandates and they don't want vaccines. And this was a protest an anti these idiots, these anti-vax I would expect better from women. I know that sounds sexist, but here's some idiot women protesting the state capitol. They, they want to make sure that nobody forces them to get a vaccine. Yes, hands off my body. You do not tell me whether or not I'm supposed to get vaccinated or not. Hands off my body. Uh, my body has its own agency. And these liberals, the medical community is not going to uh, demand that I. Oh, wait, that's not women screaming my body, my choice. And nobody gets to say that I have to get a vaccine or work. Oh, I'm. Oh, wait a second. I'm being. Oh, OK. Uh, those I'm sorry. Those are women down in Texas who are protesting something else that happened this week that, you know, I uh, it's a new a new abortion, an anti-abortion bill. I see. Uh, tell me more. The law is known as SB8 and went into effect at midnight. Not only does it ban abortions as early as six weeks into pregnancy, it also allows individuals to sue anyone who helps a woman get an abortion. And those who are successful in their lawsuit could be awarded at least $10,000. Wow, $10,000. See, 
this is I got to I got to give it to the Republicans. They got rid of that three hundred dollar a week extra in unemployment insurance. Ten thousand dollars for just turning in your neighbor for helping out on an abortion. That's that's a lot of money. That is. uh, We're going to eat. Right. Pastor Bemelman. Get babies. Yes, yes, yes. That's right, Pastor Bemelman. We're going to save dead babies. Or are they, are they alive? I don't know if they're alive or not. I don't want to go into that. But uh, we're going to make a lot of money. And uh, we're going we're gonna to eat big. And uh, we're going to have lots of fun. And we're going to throw a party. And what are we going to serve at that party? Dead babies. That's right. That's right. We're going to serve dead babies, Pastor Bemelman. You know, Pastor Bemelman... You're against abortion, right? Aren't you? Aren't you against? Uh, aren't you against abortion? Dead babies. Yes, you're. You're against uh, abortion. But you tell your parishioners that you wouldn't need an abortion if you would practice uh, a type of sex that doesn't. What is, what is the way to have sex without making babies? The sodomy of this nation. That's right. And if we do that, then we don't end up with dead babies. Right, right, right. Okay. Uh, See, we just have to listen to these people. And uh, well, in all seriousness, the the nation is in mourning. And Shannon Faulkner, I think that's her name. uh, She has more to, to talk about. We have to get serious about uh, what's going on in Washington, D.C. People on the tarmac, the nation watched. It was a heartbreaking moment. 13 fall. It was a heartbreaking moment. Uh, And uh, I don't know if you were able to hear that that's kind of low, but it was a heartbreaking moment. And uh, what's going on? Now sparking new outrage. New outrage. We're, We're a nation in mourning. Shannon Faulkner from Fox News. Why outrage so soon? Mark Schmitz went after President Biden's behavior on that tarmac during that dignified transfer ceremony. The commander in chief checked his watch every time a casket was removed from the plane. Oh, my God. He behaved on the tarmac during the dignified transfer, like a four-year-old. He, he was acting like a syphilitic toddler. What else did he do? Was he dancing? Did he squeeze the first lady's ass? Did he grab someone's pussy? No, no, no. He, 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 checked, he checked his watch during the dignified uh, transfer. One of the two female Marines who were killed among the 13, she was the one who posted that Instagram post. Hmm. That's a pretty serious allegation that uh, that Joe Biden might have checked his watch during a dignified transfer. I mean, we've impeached Trump for far less. Something as innocent as fomenting an insurrection. I think that was the last Trump impeachment than the first impeachment, the prequel where, you know, we they impeached Trump for holding up arms sales to Ukraine in exchange for digging up dirt on that monster Joe Biden who doesn't know how to behave during a dignified uh, transfer. But 
What do you think? Was Biden checking his watch? If so, he needs to resign. If he was, it can't be true. There's no way that Joe Biden would be checking his watch. I have an idea. Let's watch again. One of the two female Marines who were killed among the 13, she was the one who posted that Instagram post. Hard to say. Uh, Let's. uh, Well, what do you think, Shannon Faulkner? It looks was he checking his watch? Why are you covering this? We, we don't we don't know what Biden does with his watch. I mean, this isn't the first time that we've seen him looking down at his watch in important events. There's a, you can Google it. You can see Obama was speaking one time about something and he's like all digging in. And, and we don't know what he's doing. We don't know if he's checking the time, if his watch is stopped. We don't know. We don't know what he's doing with his watch. We don't. We have no idea what he's doing digging in there. I'm not saying he's checking his watch, but... Uh, You know, we are coming up on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and that's when we saw real leadership. And I remember when Andy Card, the chief of staff, walked up to George W. Bush and whispered into his ear that the World Trade Center had just come down. And George W. Bush, a real leader, sat there and continue to read My Pet Goat to those kids for seven minutes without ever looking down to check his watch. That is the kind of leadership Americans deserve. The nation was under attack and George Bush wasn't gonna check his watch. You're the ruler, the leader of the free world You don't need to check your watch. What else is on Joe Biden's mind other than standing on the tarmac? What could he possibly be worried about? There's nothing else going on that Joe Biden has to to worry about. Well, Brett Baer, uh, Fox's Fred Flintstone, he uh, he offered up a defense for Joe Biden that, uh, I don't know. On that left wrist, the president wears the rosary of his son, Beau. And um, perhaps, and this is not making excuses, he was looking down at the rosary, as he's done numerous times, uh, of his son who died of cancer, who served in Iraq. I've heard heard that from Biden supporters. Um, They need to answer that question. Well, good for you, Fox's Brett Bear. I think that's the answer. And it proves that even a stopped sundial can be right twice a day. Uh, but they do need to answer this question. They do. I, I want to know <laughs> if he was checking his watch. Uh, OK, coming up in uh, about 10 minutes is Professor Ben Burgess. I... Uh, Yeah, the weather has been pretty bad and it's uh, not easy to be a black reporter covering hurricanes. 
Uh, take a look at this channel. The biggest indicator that I saw this morning about the force of the storm last night is that the mail delivery has returned. We saw postal workers going out delivering mail this morning. Just a couple of minutes ago, people were walking their dogs. They're back on the beach right now. And that's the sense that you're getting that the rain has stopped. The wind is still going there. I think we even have a random person going around. You know, I'm going to turn this way because, you know, we deal with some people every once in a while. But some down power lines of some trees that have fallen or at least limbs that have fallen so they're going to go ahead and do that survey to make sure that they're okay craig i'm going to toss it back to you because we have a person yeah. who needs yeah. help right now yeah. hey 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 um we're gonna check in with Chuck. Hey, hey 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 don't make me take a limo to jfk and catch the next flight down to florida and straighten you out. Don't make me do that. Sure, all is well. Uh, there's a lot of crazy out there. A lot of crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy out there. You're right. There, there's a lot of crazy white men out there. And uh, they're getting worse. And they're dangerous because we have a party that appeals to mentally ill white men. It turns out, uh, from what we understand, allegedly this guy has been identified and his name is Dagley. And this is what he looks like. And he's been arrested before. These, this is what I've been reading. Uh, I don't want to report anything that isn't true. This is what he looks like. I believe that is a mugshot. Uh, and this is uh, what he was arrested for, allegedly arrested for. Man drilled holes in tanks of cyanide acid at Cleveland Company he once owned, police said. And this is from January 11th, 2019. So this is a white man back in 2019 who obviously, I suspect, voted for Trump because he was losing his country and he had a business and uh, he got arrested for drilling holes in tanks of cyanide and acid. So he had a company, apparently, that uh, what manufactured or stored cyanide and acid that that seems I don't know if we want him running that kind of business. This is the story from Cleveland, Ohio, two years ago. A Worcester man faces criminal charges after he broke into an electroplating company. Oh, he owned an electroplating company that he once owned, and he drilled holes in tanks of dangerous chemicals, Cleveland police investigators said. The incident sent one employee to the hospital for exposure to toxic chemicals and risked a potential environmental disaster, according to a Cleveland police report. So I, I want to be careful here. This is what other people are reporting. They're, they're saying the gentleman who stormed the African-American doing a stand up during the hurricane Uh, and told him, you know, report the news accurately. I want to make sure that I'm reporting the news accurately. They're reporting that allegedly 
The man's name is Benjamin Dagley. He's a 50 year old man, and he was charged with breaking and entering in the August 22nd. That would be 2019 incident at the Cleveland Plating uh, Corporation down in uh, the South Collinwood neighborhood of Cleveland. You see, Dr. Harrod Fraud, Fraud talks about these white men. 50-year-old white man, sense of entitlement, America's number one. You know, I, I'm going to do a little bottom feeding and... and run a company that gives me access to cyanide and somehow he uh lost the company no longer owned it and this is what i'm just ascertaining so he snuck back to his old place of business to punish the new owner and drill holes in tanks of cyanide and that's dangerous that is that is dangerous uh the article goes on to say, quote, if you mix the cyanide and hydrochloric acid, you basically have the cyanide gas of World War One. It uh, would certainly produce a toxic vapor that could kill. The article goes on to say employees told police that the released chemicals, quote, are severe enough to cause a large scale catastrophe. And Dagley knew what he was doing, the report says. Potential cyanide poisoning is the reason why the 27-year-old security guard who found the leaks was taken to university hospitals, according to the police report. And the article goes on to say that Dagley allegedly uh, was arrested for beating up the security guard weeks earlier. Uh, that's who uh, allegedly on tape assaulted the African-American uh, weather man. White man, 50, losing Afghanistan, losing his business, losing his mind, losing his country. He's driving and he sees and the biggest indicator that I saw this morning about the force of the storm last night is that the mail delivery has returned. We saw postal workers going out delivering mail this morning. Just a couple of minutes ago, people were walking their dogs. They're back on the beach right now. And that's the sense that you're getting that the rain has stopped. The wind is still going there. I think we even have a random person going around. You know, I'm going to turn this way because, you know, we deal with some people every once in a while. But some down power lines of some trees that have fallen or at least limbs that have fallen. And so they're going to go ahead and do that survey to make sure that they're okay. Craig, I'm going to toss it back to you because we have a person yeah. who needs yeah. help right now. Yeah. Hey, 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 hey. Right. So he's in, uh, allegedly the man is in hiding. Let's flip the complexions, shall we? What would happen if an African-American male did that to a white reporter? What do you think? Uh, okay. Some bad news for the right wing. Uh, our friend, who we, you know, he's worth every penny of it. Uh, Joe Rogan has COVID. This is from The Guardian. Joe Rogan has COVID and his treatment will make health experts feel ill. 
uh, the media host, Joe Rogan, says he's using in ivermectin, a medication. Oh, well, you know, he, he's getting hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars from Spotify. He doesn't need, you know, there's another tier to to medicine in America. So he he's using this new drug. It must be like monoclonal antibodies, Iver, ivermectin, that the FDA has warned. Why would, well, that doesn't make any sense. Joe Rogan is a multimillionaire. Uh, why would he be, why would his doctors be prescribing a medication that the FDA has warned against? Well, he, it's, it's, he's probably beta testing the, uh, this thing called ivermectin because the richest 1%, they get the good drugs before the rest of us do. What is ivermectin? Well, it comes from Australia and it says here in The Guardian that after an Australian study last year, found ivermectin could kill COVID in the lab, chatter about ivermectin has exploded online. Politicians and right-wing talk show hosts have promoted ivermectin, even as the very same researchers behind that study warn against it. They, they were able to use ivermectin to kill COVID in the lab. You know what else kills COVID in the lab? air. Uh, that's why the Australians who conducted that study said it doesn't work. Uh, the Guardian goes on to write, in the U.S., prescriptions for the drug have soared from 3,600 weekly before the pandemic to more than 88,000 in a week last month per Centers for Disease data. At the same time, Poison control centers have seen calls related to ivermectin explode, reaching five times their usual rate in July, according to the Washington Post. I don't understand what's going on here. Why would Joe Rogan, the most successful podcaster in the history of this sacred profession, why would he be taking ivermectin? Uh, there was a story out of Las Vegas. There's a woman, uh, apparently ivermectin is like a horse dewormer, gets rid of parasites. And people are going to, uh, you know, pet stores and buying ivermectin. The problem is they're completely sold out of the horse dewormer. And manager Shelly Smith suspects a lot of her customers aren't using it as intended. I had a, a gentleman come in. It was an older gentleman. He told me that his wife was wanted him to be on the ivermectin plan. And I immediately brought him over here because at that time I had this sign hung up. And I told him this isn't safe for you to take. And he says, well, we've been taking it. And my only side effect is I can't see in the morning. That's a big Hmm. The only side effect is you can't see in the morning. Hmm. Well, what are you doing? How are you keeping people from buying out all your ivermectin? You have to, I mean, people who own horses need ivermectin. What are you, what are you doing? Demand has continued to increase in recent weeks with Smith receiving four or five customer calls a day, which is why she hung this second sign. Now requiring customers to present a picture of their horse before buying ivermectin. Now you got to show proof of a horse. 
in order to get treated for COVID. This is this is the Biden administration. This is Fauci. This is why I mean, this is this is disgraceful. It really is. You have to show proof of your uh, horse in order to get ivermectin. This is why these town halls uh, are out of control. Uh, Before we uh, bring in uh, Professor Ben Burgess, town halls in America are getting out of control. When 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 you have to show proof of your horse to get treated for COVID, there's something seriously wrong with the fascists who run the CDC. And that's why I like this guy. That's why I like this guy. Have you been a good little Nazi? Hey, Fauci! Hey, Fauci! Hey, Fauci! Hey, Fauci! That, I believe, is Joe Rogan's sidekick. Uh, Yeah. Uh, But I still believe in Jeffersonian democracy. I still believe this crazy idea of the United States can still work. Not all, not all town hall meetings are filled with malignant narcissists starving for attention. A lot of people show up to town halls to to listen to weigh both sides of the the mask argument. And and this is this is an example of, I think, democracy working at its best. This is a town hall. Uh, This is like colonial America. You guys work for us in 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 this uh, environment. You answer to us, and I'm asking that you do not pass this policy in Virginia. Thank you so much, Mr. Thomas. We do appreciate you. Phil McCracken. Phil McCracken. Salk, Souk, Mahidik. Souk, Mahidik. Ophelia McHawk. Ophelia McHawk. Eileen Dover. Eileen Dover. Don Kiddick. Don Kiddick. Wayne Kerr. Wayne Kerr. See, that is what participatory democracy is all about, Professor Ben Burgess. There were people in Virginia who went to the the meeting to decide whether or not there should be a, a mask mandate. They signed up to speak. Guys like Wayne Kerr, Wayne Kurt Wanker, I think it's pronounced Wanker, Sook Me Dick showed up and he wanted to speak. And then he thought, you know what? Uh, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Uh, Feel Me Cock was there. And Feel Me Cock said, I, I'm, uh, I've heard enough. I, I, I've made up my mind. There's no need for me to just draw attention to myself. So they remain. Donkey Dick. 
didn't donkey dick didn't <laughs> speak up or I, the, the woman Eileen Dover, although Eileen Dover, I think, is shy. I, I think she I think Eileen Dover uh, wanted to talk. But, uh, you know, women in meetings sometimes they're they're afraid to speak up. Ben Burgess, are you there? I am. <laughs> you saw that, didn't you? Yeah, I'd actually seen that clip before, but yeah, I saw it just now. It <laughs> made me so happy. I just, I, I've watched that over and over again. Joining us from, I think you're back in Georgia, right? Joining us is the host of Give Them an Argument. His new book is Canceling Comedians While the World Burns. And he is a columnist for Jacobin. He's going to talk to us. You have a new column about Afghanistan. Is that correct? Yeah. And as I could you talk closer to the microphone, please? Thank you. So uh, I skimmed your piece in Jacobin. You think we can still win this thing? Is that that's your take on this? That's the gist of it. Yeah, that we should we should go back. Uh, Why are you? Why is why are you so low? You know what I've noticed? People who have their own shows come on this ratty little circus and they don't have they don't they never even bother to get the microphone out i got the mic it just wasn't close enough okay can you can you bring it a little closer it's not gonna bite uh at present i cannot okay dan does he sound okay all right so, uh, Afghanistan. It sounds good, David. It sounds good. Okay. Sure. Take his side, Dan. Everybody's against me. See, you've turned my... Okay. Uh, Afghanistan, uh, this thing is still winnable, right? Yeah. Oh, I think if we just <laughs> stay there for another 20, 30 years or so, I uh, should, uh, should be able to clean it right up. Um, so what did you say in Jacobin? What did you really yeah, say? Uh, what, what I actually said in uh, Jacobin, it was a response to things that people like Eli Lake uh, have said, people like uh, Brett Stevens, uh, you know, from the New York Times have said, uh, where they'll sort of mock the claims that uh, people like us might make that uh, Afghanistan was a forever war. It'd been going on for 20 years. If we had you know, left when we did, uh, it could have gone on for another 20 years and nothing would have changed. Uh, and, and except for more, you know, 20 years, more corpses would pile up. Uh, and uh, these pundits that I'm talking about will respond to that uh, by saying, no, no, if, uh, you know, if keeping you know, a few thousand troops in Afghanistan would make that a forever war, that I guess, you know, I guess you should rename it Forever War II because we had troops <laughs> in Germany World War II. Uh, and, you know, we, we, I guess Korea was a forever war. There's still troops there and Japan, and, you know. And, 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 you know, what's the difference? And so that's the question that I'm trying to answer. The article is, one, whether this defense makes any sense at all, uh, which I think it doesn't. And two, okay, let's talk about those hundreds of permanent military bases all around the world. Uh, no, I don't think that uh, that they're the same thing as uh, maintaining a war of military occupation in Afghanistan. 
Uh, but why is it that we need to have all of these hundreds of military bases? Is it a good thing for, for the United States, for the people of these countries, for the rest of the world, that we have this vast globe-spanning network of military bases? And I think the answer to that question is also no. Yeah. Uh, we had a Lawrence Wilkerson. We have Lawrence Wilkerson on the Ralph Nader Radio Hour this week. Everybody should listen to this. Lawrence Wilkerson was... Colin Powell's chief of staff during the lead up and during the uh, invasion of Afghanistan. And he's Wilkerson has since apologized. He's uh, sounds a lot like Smedley Butler. He's a pretty heroic guy. And, you know, we were talking about the military industrial complex. And my takeaway from the conversation is it's kind of like. The medium is the message. Marshall McLuhan said TV is just about TV. It, this is just about there's no there's no message. There's nothing to learn. It's just to keep you watching TV, Be, put you in a permanent trance so you will watch TV. The medium is the message. That's all it is. And these wars are kind of like the medium is the message for the military industrial complex. It's a cliche to keep pointing to the military industrial complex. But sometimes cliches, there's a reason something is a cliche. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, there's like certainly in this case, uh, the only people who seem to have benefited uh, in any long term way. Uh, from the American war in Afghanistan uh, are military contractors. I mean, certainly if you think back to all of the original uh, alleged war goals, uh, all right, first it was that we have to invade Afghanistan to capture Osama bin Laden, uh, who ended up being killed 10 years later in uninvaded Pakistan. Uh, so then when it became clear that bin Laden was not going to be captured, the goalposts were shifted. And now it was all about how we were going to spread democracy there and liberate the women of Afghanistan. Now, I think, you know, uh, how much democracy you could actually have while well, there's an active counterinsurgency, a war of occupation going on. Uh, ask a Vietnamese person in 1971 about that, you know, in South Vietnam or in Iraqi or in Afghan, it's the same deal. As far as liberating uh, the women of Afghanistan, uh, there's, this, there's a study in 2019, 2020, that ranked 167 countries in the world for the status of women in Afghanistan. This is before the Taliban came back to power, it was 166. So that's kind of a bust too. And it didn't even succeed in removing the, Tal the Taliban. It was $2 trillion and 20 years and thousands of Americans dead, and many more tens of thousands of Afghans dead, uh, soldiers, but mostly civilians, uh, for the purpose of very slowly replacing the Taliban with the Taliban. So none of that made sense. But God, a lot of people made a lot of money. Right. You're, I take it you're, you've either been thrown out of your house, or you had a temper tantrum, like Orson yeah. Welles and Citizen sure. Kane? Yeah. Uh, Hulk smash, you know, just yeah. pick up those bookshelves behind me. And, and You're back at Perimeter College in person, right? I, I, am, I am very, uh, you know, very early in the process of unpacking. Uh, my right. wife and I just moved back to Georgia. Now, you're, you're married to a professor. Yep. Do you, when you're moving, say, let's unpack this? Or do you say, let's untangle this when you're 
Let's unpack this. When did that become uh, a trope for professors? Let's unpack this. So uh, probably, probably 50 or 60 years ago when the United States was already in Afghanistan. <laughs> so Afghanistan, you're, you're teaching uh, young kids and uh, you teach philosophy. You teach critical thinking. And I think that young people are practicing critical thinking. I think I think my generation doesn't practice critical thinking. I think younger people see right through the military industrial complex. And I was reading in northern Kabul, yeah. north of Kabul, about 70 miles, there's a guy leading an insurrection against the Taliban. And he's got a couple thousand cohorts, funding from somebody, enough funding so he has lobbyists in Washington, D.C. Yep. Why does uh, he need lobbyists in Washington, D.C.? Well, we want, we want to be able to sell him weapons. And uh, you, you need Congress to authorize the sale of weapons to people who are fighting the Taliban. And we have generals who go on MSNBC and meet the press who are lobbyists for these arms dealers, and they don't reveal that. They're identified as General Smank Smutley, who served in, you know, yeah, Granada. They'll, they'll tell the audience their military credentials. They won't tell them what their job is now. Right. And, and he will now tell us why we have to support these insurgents because he's being paid to make sure that American, the American people get behind these insurgents so we can sell, sell them weapons. Uh, what a disservice to our soldiers, to the people of Afghanistan, to democracy, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is, and it's and it's astonishing. Like, honestly, the only thing that makes me feel good about all of this is that uh, despite the wall-to-wall warmongering and media coverage uh, that all of the sort of liberal media institutions that uh, loved Joe Biden a few weeks ago have uh, turned hard on him, uh, and uh, and and are playing this up, right? You know, if if a, if a dozen American soldiers, you know, die at the airport, uh, that's a tragedy. If thousands of American soldiers have died over the course of the last twenty years, mm-hmm. that's just war. Uh, but despite that, the great majority of the public continues to support uh, the pullout from Afghanistan. Said no, we should not have stayed. Exactly, exactly, exactly. The American people are capable of critical thinking. They are much smarter than we give them credit for, but we only hear the loudest. We only listen to the people who, you know, like, you know, bend over and Eileen Dover and Suk Mikak and Wayne Kerr. They're the silent majority who don't speak at town hall meetings. Yeah, I mean, I hear that IP freely supports the war. I, but they're all IP freely is an old man. Of course, he supports the war. He doesn't have, he doesn't have to to fight it. Uh, gives you yeah, faith. I, it does give you faith in the American people. It does. Yeah. I mean, and, and this is something 
that I, I think is a really, uh, you know, you, a really crucial point uh, because, like, when Trump first came, uh, you know, started to come to power, you know, the 2016 election was happening, and then especially after he won, uh, there were a lot of think pieces that were out there about how, oh, doesn't this show uh, that, uh, you know, democracy is flawed because, you know, mobs will follow, you know, demagogues and, you know, Plato was right, we should have philosopher kings or whatever. Right. Uh, but, uh, but actually, uh, if, you know, like, if you compare the stated policy preferences of the majority of the country uh, to, uh, to the, the elite consensus on most of the same topics, uh, it's it's pretty good. I mean, you you have uh, majorities in some polls, slightly over half, even with Republicans. Certainly, at least forty seven percent of Republicans, uh, never mind a large majority of everybody you know, who says they support Medicare for all. And even if you go with the view that well, there's a lot of confusion about the difference between proposals, people might not understand the difference between Medicare for all and public option, whatever. That's still that percentage of the public that supports at least a public option, which is way to the left of uh, of Obamacare, uh, and uh, and you have even with the same media that loved him last month, uh, relentlessly demonizing Joe Biden for pulling out of Afghanistan. Even with that, you have a majority of the public supporting the edge of the war. If the uh, if if we'd had if for, if American foreign policy reflected popular preference. Yeah, I mean, but if I still had the invasion, you know, in uh, fall of 2001, uh, when everybody was whipped up after 9-11, but I mean, probably would have left it like 15 years ago. Certainly would right. have stayed until 2021. Right. Let me just tell uh, the Hirschenfelds are at seven. I, I turned uh, Ethan's video off because the audience loves him and it's a distract. They, they, everybody loves Ethan's. And if they see him, He's a major distraction. In all seriousness about Afghanistan, uh, I'm worried about our veterans for many reasons. Uh, one is we we uh, I know that my I'm not going to do the joke. I have a great joke about my dad. I, I won't do it. But. uh it's much easier to sit around with your friends and talk and make them laugh. Uh, I'm worried about the veterans uh, because we owe them. We yep. owe, we do, and we see a lot. We, we we tend to see the the toxic masculinity again. It's the loudest ones that get the most attention. You know, we see the handful of veterans who showed up for the insurrection, the, you know, the, the veteran who uh, spoke out, the, the lieutenant colonel who spoke out against Biden and then resigned. And uh, the press doesn't report what he said. He He's threatening an insurrection. I mean, I, I played the stuff that they won't show you, and he's threatening to take arms against our government. Uh, these are trouble. And, that, and that's the other point. It's in our best interests to take care of our veterans because they uh, uh, unchanneled, improperly channeled toxic male rage uh, is not good for anybody. 
uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is a point that uh, that Michael made in Against the Web uh, about how uh, you should you should take the uh, you know young male audience that uh, that flocks to the figures that he's criticized in that book seriously for many reasons, not least that that's the uh, that's the, the demographic that's uh, that's most likely to. Uh, you know, to sign on historically to, you know, to, to really dangerous movements or, you know, become mass shooters or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, as well, of course, the fact that concerns are as legitimate as anybody else concerns. Violence is the point of the violence is the violence. The same way the medium is the message. The 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 point of the war is just for the war. The, I had a I had yeah, some rage just, issues. But, but, but by the way, I don't want to let the point about the veterans get lost. I, I do want to just briefly say, uh, just to connect up a dot here before I throw it back to you, that uh, a really good use of any money that uh, lobbying efforts are currently trying to direct towards continuing uh, civil wars in a country that's been in some, in some degree of civil war since the late 1970s, a uh, much better use of that money uh, would be uh, greatly expanding the Veterans Administration uh, to, uh, you know, to deal with the many, you know, uh, needs in terms of both physical medicine and psychiatric help, you know, for the people who are traumatized coming back from that war. Yeah. I had an incident yesterday that I, I thought of our veterans. I had to mail in a, an insurance form to Blue Anthem because they won't do it over the Internet. And it took me. I kept thinking, what if I were a veteran? Uh, my printer doesn't work. So I had to print something out. Who uses a printer now? And, you know, this is Blue Shield, Blue Anthem. They won't. And I have to fill it to get reimbursed because I went out of pocket on something. Uh, so I get my printer started. It wouldn't work. Then I can't find a... Uh, a FedEx place because they're all shut down and I'm walking and then it starts raining, flash floods. Uh, I finally find the post office and I'm waiting in line for 20 minutes. I do love the post office, but they were slow, slow yesterday. And uh, I get finally get my turn and I forgot my wallet. And I have to go back and I kept thinking, what if my life were really bad i would snap you know i would just i i would it would just you tell me one more thing and then i have access to weapons in america we all have access to weapons this is i'm not talking about the v i'm not talking about the vets i'm just talking about us the the stresses in our life right now Untreated mental illness, not I'm talking about all Americans with untreated that. And then you throw easy access to guns into the mix. Are you out of your effing mind? Yeah. yeah. Does somebody want when you think about when you were driving down to Georgia, devil? Yes. Do you think about like, is somebody... Does somebody want us to be this way, to be this stressed out and unhappy? Well, I don't think they want it, but I don't think uh, I don't think there are a lot of institutional incentives to uh, to do anything about it, right? Because because actually doing anything about it 
would involve a lot of things that really would uh, go fly in the face of powerful interests. It would involve things like uh, giving everybody more time off work. It would involve things like uh, greatly expanding, you know, access to, uh, you know, to mental health care, you know, which is like an abomination in this country right now. It's so bad. Uh, and uh, it would involve, you know, giving people much greater uh, stability uh, in, in their work life and hence in their home life, you know, which, which you know, this is employers love to talk about how it's right. to have people be flexible, which is, um, you know, like, I mean, it's like the stupid thing about that, whether the cup is half full or half empty, it depends whether you're drinking or pouring, right? The difference right. between flexibility and precarity, you know, is, is whether you're a worker or a boss, uh, you know, and, and all of these things, of course, combine to make people uh, incredibly stressed out. That's not the that's not the point, but it's certainly an anticipated and accepted side effect. It's uh, it's collateral damage. I was thinking about ambition. And. Ambitious people. Are bad. They are the they are a a significant cause of our misery, people with ambition. There used to be a middle class in this country. And then the country got taken over, especially the Democratic Party got taken over by ambitious people who don't understand uh, that there are some people who have enough. You know, the, the, the beauty of the middle class uh, we have contempt for the middle class. We call the middle class bourgeois, which is a, a misappropriation of Marx's use of the word bourgeois. Marx had contempt for the bourgeoisie. Uh, but the bourgeoisie were the errand boys for the aristocracy, right? Well, I mean, the, uh, the the bourgeoisie replaced the, uh, I mean, the aristocracy eventually. I mean, the uh, so the sort of feudal aristocracy, people with you know with hereditary titles and hereditary claims to certain pieces of land, the uh, and the peasants you know who who worked on that land, uh, ultimately came into conflict uh, with uh, with the the rising. You know, bourgeoisie, if you know, uh, of private uh, business owners, you know, who needed people who were what uh, Karl Marx calls doubly free, meaning that they're on the one hand legally free to make contracts with whoever they want; they're not like a right. serf who belongs to a certain lord. But on the other hand, they're free from any means of supporting themselves other than selling right. the eight hours a day they work to an employer. And of course, it's only eight. Because of past worker struggles, uh, you know, in the, in the you know 19th century, for a long time it was more like 16 and then 12. Uh, so, but the linguistic you know, trick that they've played on uh, us is the guy who belongs to a labor union and uh, is not bourgeois. Is that correct? In well, according I, to I, Marx, I, I, if you're in the, you know, I mean, I don't really care about fighting about words, but I mean, in the Marxist sense of these words, uh, you know, if you work for a living and you don't own the place, right, you're you're part of the working class. If if you own the place and other people work for you, you're part of the bourgeoisie. 
if you own the place and people work for you, you're part of the bourgeoisie. Yeah. And somehow, somehow, in America, the middle class is called bourgeois. What a what a evil linguistic trick that has been played on Americans. And and it's being middle class is a good thing. It's saying I have just enough. You know, I'm middle class Joe. You know, but it wasn't good enough for Hunter to be middle class or his grand or Joe's grand middle class. Joe's granddaughter is uh saw her some pictures of her in a bikini in Saint Tropez or somewhere uh, living it up on a you know fifteen hundred dollar a night vacation middle that's middle class Joe uh, anyway are you optimistic uh, as as my uh, Uncle said at Auschwitz, well, it can't get any worse. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and boy, was he mistaken. I think there are some, like, I think there are some grounds, you know, for, for long-term optimism. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I am, um, you know, I, I've had the same politics that I have now, you know, more or less for a very, very long time. And so I can remember what you know 2010 was like uh you know that distant bygone world uh and 2021 you know despite some incredibly depressing shit that's happened in between you know that, that we certainly don't need to to uh, to review uh 2021 uh things like there is much more of a popular base for some kind of movement to make things better I mean, in, in 2000 and 10, uh, there was exactly uh, one uh, person who called himself a socialist who was in some kind of national elected office in America, uh, Bernie Sanders, and the uh, probably the vast majority of Americans had never heard of him. Uh, there, uh, you know, there, you know, DSA existed, but it was a glorified mailing list of uh, of a few hundred people, etc., etc., etc. Right? I mean, that has. You know, Occupy Wall Street, that the first Bernie campaign, and you know the the Squad, et cetera, et cetera. Like, obviously, it has not been going from victory to victory, to put it mildly. I mean, there have been mm-hmm. some incredibly depressing defeats in the last couple of years, uh, but I still think that like expanded out the camera a little bit. I mean, we're in much better uh, position now uh, than uh, than we were we were ten years ago, or even. Uh, you know, even five years ago, uh, and, and it's it's certainly. I mean, if you if you had the kind of views that I had then, like you were just kind of a weird crank, uh, and you know, and, and now you're at least a much less weird kind of crank. Yeah. There's a book I, I had him on the show, Swanson. I think his name is David Swanson. War is a lie. Have you read War is a Lie? It should be mandatory reading in every high school and elementary school war is a lie war is a lie by war is a lie uh and his thesis is you cannot go to war unless you lie to the american people because the american people 
don't want it. So you have to tell them lies. You you have to have generals go take jobs with arms manufacturers to con- convince us that. Uh, well, uh, Dr. Philip Hershenfeld is joining us. And uh, this is uh, I thank you, Professor Ben Burgess. In all seriousness, I'm, I'm grateful uh, to have you here. And uh, because uh, there's an opportunity right now to train Americans to fight, to declare war on Boeing, Raytheon, McDonnell Douglas, to shame anybody who works for those companies, who owns stock in those kind companies. Uh, there has to be a cultural shift that celebrates peaceful resolution. And go listen to the Ralph Nader Radio Hour. I'm setting up Dr. Hershenfeld. Lawrence Wilkerson said something, and I, the Ralph Nader Radio Hour, go listen to it. He talks with Colonel Wilkerson, who was Colin Powell's chief of staff. He is, I think, as good or better than Smedley Butler. And he talks about the toxic masculinity he, that he witnessed in the Bush administration after 9-11. He said Rumsfeld and George W. Bush were walking around in a rage. George W. Bush, he said, was incensed about the World Trade Center. And he brought, according to Colonel Wilkerson, he brought in his evangelical base, the pastors, and he says, I don't know what I can't forgive. I help me with my rage. And they offered up a rack to him. That was one of well, I'm misquoting some of that. They didn't offer up a rack, but they were OK with taking out that that rage. Thank you. Uh, have a good rest of your move. Thank you, David. Don't and and remember, we have Dr. Philip Hershenfeld here who will tell you that moving is the most stressful thing somebody can. It's it's right, right? Dr. Hershenfeld. He, Professor Ben Burgess is uh, moving back to Georgia, which is also there's only one. There's only one thing more stressful than moving, David. This is the voice of God, by the way. Yes, go ahead, God. <laughs> There's only one thing more stressful than moving, Ben. <laughs> That's staying in the same place. <laughs> That's, a to- That's a total nightmare. So. You know, thank you, Professor Ben Burgess. Read his new column over at Jacobin and listen to give them an argument and read Canceling Comedians While the World Burns. Thank you so much, Professor Ben Burgess. So I was I was before I bring uh, Dr. Philip Hershenfeld is a Freudian psychoanalyst. Before I bring Ethan in, my sister, everybody loves you guys. Okay. (laughs) What he he means by that, okay, is how do we monetize that? (laughs) We give our address. Everybody send us five bucks. Yes. You You know why? Because. We are ambitious. I hate to start off contradicting you, but do you remember Pogo? 
Yes, Walt, Ke- Walt Kelly. Walt Kelly. Is he allowed to be talked about anymore? Sure. He- yeah. Oh, great. Okay. We have met the enemy, and he is us. So that was his best line. Right. Everybody's ambitious. We're all ambitious. There are different ways to express that ambition. Well, let's ask God. God? You know, first of all, God? Well, yes, that quote is, there's a big mistake in that quote, and it's grammatical. We have met the enemy, and, and he... We have met the enemy, and he is we. It's <laughs> because it's the, it's the, it's known as the predicate nominative. I've explained, I've explained to you before, but can't can you simply accept that it's a big enough miracle for a possum to be speaking? <laughs> you expect him to be having Harvard grammar. <laughs> That's true. Is we. Okay, uh, Pogo was a possum, but God. We were talking, yes. God. Yes, my son. Yes, thank you. Uh, ambition. Are you ambitious, God? I am no longer ambitious because I've done it all. <laughs> I was ambitious. You can read. Uh, you can read all about it in Genesis one, mm-hmm. chapter one. <laughs> I was on fire that week. I mean, nothing could hold me back. Well, what was, do you make of... I was really on a roll. <laughs> yes, you were. You were. What do you make of ambitious men? I, I Sometimes you build up... Don't you kind of find... Don't you create ambitious people? And- I am flattered by ambition. It is man trying to emulate me. But then what happens? Then I don't let them because I'm a competitive <laughs> god. I'm not an angry God, and I'm not a wrathful God. I'm just a petty God. I don't want anyone stepping on my toes. <laughs> what was it like, God, uh, you know, when there was a pantheon before monotheism? I did not like it. It's like, it's like playing doubles once you've played singles. Yes. Much less fun. It's like being part of the Jackson Five rather than releasing Beatles. Much more fun being the Jackson One than the Jackson Five. Well, looking at your solo career, how long would we say your solo career has been? Uh, Shana Tova, it's uh, 5784, I believe. <laughs> The scientists and the Gentiles think it's a few million, but uh, why don't we split the difference and just call it a few million? And um, do you think your your solo work was as good when, when you were teaming up with the other gods, Zeus? I, I don't. I like to be able to spread the blame around. That was enjoyable. But um, I do prefer being a solo practitioner. And... Um, I'm able to bill at a higher hour rate. <laughs> and the help is all mine. The, the support staff, I don't have to share them. It's very annoying when you have to sh- share your stenographer with Zeus. <laughs> and she doesn't really know how to write those Greek letters. 
So she's very distracted. Well, um, what, what was the secret to, to getting rid of all the other gods? How did you manipulate the situation? It was really just uh, I was able to explain to them that uh, it's it's really just a terrible gig <laughs> and um, they would have much more fun among the mortals, mm-hmm. which, is, um, which they were able to do. I um, I have to tell you, it's not a let me let me knock it off. Uh, look, the, the God voice also gets tiring. <laughs> OK, let God. me. Uh, that is let Ethan Hershenfeld. Hang on. Let me bring you in. I t- that was you're a genius. You're amazing. How do I get why you? Are we, why aren't we seeing him? Oh, it says unable to start the video. All right, hang on for one second. Disabled uh, video. I'm not. I t- shaved, by the way. God shaved because God had an audition for the role of a lawyer on a CBS TV show. So there we go. There you are. Yeah. So you're back. Uh, you're back. Uh, you're in Cape Cod. Your father no, is back. Not, yeah. No, he's still there also. Hey, God, we're, we're two miles away from each other. Ah, and it's August. Oh, no, it's, it's September. September. I've broken a cardinal rule of the profession. I'm, I'm vacating into deep into September. <laughs> By the way, it's funny that we got into that. I don't know how that arose, but it was very reminiscent, of course, of of Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner, the 10,000-year-old man, just like the Bubba Mice. And that's, in fact, one of my great earliest memories, listening to that LP with you. Yeah, that, was my first, that was my first taste of comedy. Mm-hmm. Listening to that. Mine, uh, too. Mine, too. That album. It's a, that was just It, it was a... I always, whenever I argue comedy, like, who cares what the audience thinks? Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks are going to tell us what's funny. Don't listen to the audience. They're not going to tell you what's funny. Listen that's, to Woody um, Allen and Mel Brooks and right. the Zucker that's Brothers. Tough, though, if you're actually up in front of an audience and you're ignoring what they think is funny. Well, Isn't that's... That, that's that can get, yeah. Yeah. I remember how hysterical you got listening to that LP. Yeah. Was many years ago. Yeah. But let me, let me say that as a plug for my son... But there's a famous philosopher at the University of Chicago, and he has a wife who's a professor at the University of Chicago, and they have a 13-year-old son. And I told them about Thug Thug Jew, and the three of them sit together and listen to it every couple of months, falling on the floor with hysteria okay so, i'm blushing i'm blushing thank okay. you and uh, away. well but, everybody uh, should go to youtube and type in thug thug jew and watch ethan's comedy special he, thank you i mean yeah. obviously you are amazing you really are well and, thank you i'm flattered and like with with carl reiner and mel brooks it's really intelligent humor, which is what I was going to talk about today from another point of view, intelligent humor. Why we're all screwed. So let's go, let's run the reel again from the beginning on Dr. Strangelove or how I learned to love the bomb. 
There were a few more minutes maybe left to the existence of the world, if you remember. And what was the Russian ambassador doing, even though the entire world was going to be blown to smithereens? He was taking pictures with his little secret camera of the United States war room as if that was going to do him any good. But that's what people are like. And people are extremely self-interested. Don't you think, are you generalizing a little too much? You're the I person am. who says it's all, it's, it's all about the specific. But it does, it, uh, my uh, friend of mine, uh, a friend of my dad's who became a friend of mine, he's no longer around, used to say, human nature has not changed since the Bible, that, that everything, every characteristic that you find in the Bible is present, like ambition, all those things, humans. The only difference is that we have automatic weapons now. Right. It's like having chimpanzees with automatic weapons. You know how that's going to work out. They're going to load them with their own feces and fire their feces at us. It's not going to be pretty. Bananas. You went right to poop. Huh? Well, they hurl their feces at people. That's the. Yeah. That's, um, are bonobos happy? That's what they say. I don't know. I feel like they're trying to prove like they're really flaunting it, like they're trying to prove something. So what would Freud, I'm, I'm, did Freud, I'm, I would assume he didn't know about the bonobos. I assume not, yes. He stuck with people. Right. But the bonobos satisfy the id. Is that correct? They do. Yeah, yeah. So there's no civilization. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. Apes have ids? Come on. Well, they have desires. They want to eat. They want sex. They want to be comfortable. Yeah. In that sense, yeah. And a bonobo resolves all conflict through sex. Okay. That works. Are we... So humans... So are you... When you pick up the paper after saying yeah. what are you optimistic about anything I, I have to be optimistic okay well, maybe you're born that way but when I was reading sometime this week about how mankind has to unify and fight climate change I was thinking uh When's that going to happen? Isn't everybody going to see that problem for the, from their own little vantage point? When you go to a party, it took me decades to figure that when you go to a party, nobody goes home thinking about me. Unless I make it. In other words, nobody cared that... Nobody, everybody is thinking about what they said and how, what, how their behavior went over. Mm -hmm. For the most part. Yes, unless you really, you right. know, 
something outrageous. Sure. Right. And then there, then there are gossips, people who gossip and they're going to find anything. Uh, let me play you a clip of Ron DeSantis. And see oh, if, I was just saying he should be in prison. That guy should be imprisoned. So my theory on today's Mass murder, my theory on today's show is that the entire Republican Party is made up of toxic men who are out of touch with their mental illness. And they say, I'm not sick. I'm a Republican. And Ron DeSantis is not budging on the vaccines. And he was asked if he had any remorse during a press conference. I'm going to play you his answer. And I want to see if you notice something. So he was asked yesterday, Governor DeSantis, the, the numbers are horrible in Florida. What do you say to the families of all the people who have died from COVID on your watch? And this is what he says. But the death numbers have been going up pretty significantly. I wonder if you have any words you'd share with the families that are affected by that. Yeah, I think it's been, I think it's been a rough time. I think there's people that have been infected or, or have been affected all across the state. And, um, and I think it's been a really terrible thing. And I think the thing that we're trying to do is say, OK, what was not being done? Where was the gap? What did you notice? When he said affected, infected? Exactly. Yeah. People have been infected all over the state. Yeah, right. right. That was, that was I, yeah. yeah. So he knows because he's now pushing the monoclonal antibodies, the treatment as opposed to the prevention. But he knows that he's. Of course he, of course he knows, but he wants for himself the same thing that most of all republic um, all um, politicians oh, well, hand pause Freudian slip uh -oh, Freudian slip I admit it I think all politicians want to be reelected so this is how he's getting reelected and a Democrat will in general not everyone there are some principled politicians but I think they're they're not in the majority. So Democratic politicians are also going to say and do and act in a way that's going to get them reelected. That sounded very fair and balanced. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> now it's time for Sean Hannity. Yes. Ethan, I'm going to ask your father a question, but you answer it. Please. OK, <laughs> you're you're a psychiatrist. OK. The impossible. For the purposes of this bit, I am a psychiatrist. The impossible happens. You get a call from Ron DeSantis. So my first question, is that impossible? Is it conceivable that somebody like Ron DeSantis has ever been on a couch? Um, what is your professional assessment of him? I, you know, I would say... Uh, a narcissist, a sociopath, and a megalomaniac, and probably a pretty good golfer. He <laughs> <laughs> lives, lives in Florida. 
He lives in Florida. So even just in just by living in Florida, you're already a pretty good golfer. And then if you're also a politician, where you have to be kissing a lot of ass all the time by t- going golfing with mm-hmm. people, you're probably a pretty good golfer. That. Um, Do you yeah. think he saw a shrink? Ever. I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. I mean, he, he has a lot of hair. I mean, he has a very full head yeah, of he hair. Does. He has a follicular density that would make JFK Jr. blush. Mm-hmm. I mean, even now, is, I, even now. Yes. And and I think, uh, you know, with that much hair, he you know, he's he's sort of he's just gliding through life, running his fingers through that mane and just do feeling you great think, about it. Do you think that all the capillaries feeding oxygen to his mane uh, the blood and the oxygen is servicing the hair instead of the brain. Do you think that might be the issue? I think that could be. Also, I was, I just realized that he he gives a new meaning to the phrase "the main vein." It's the, <laughs> that's it's the vein that feeds his scalp. Um, look, I think he's one of those. You know, he's an, an Ivy League uh, law school grad, very ambitious and. Uh-huh. Uh, and he's a politician, and he's he's a disaster. He would be a nightmare to spend five minutes with. And he, he genuinely doesn't care because he's an intelligent guy. So he knows that he's going to be killing a lot of kids. A lot of kids are going to die. I mean, there was an, uh, an op-ed today by some people who were pointing out this, uh, the point that, that a vaccine mandate basically uh, protects the civil liberties of people. It protects the civil liberties of all these kids and especially kids with underlying conditions, it allows them to go to school and not die and to be able to p- pursue their lives and, you know, health and, and happiness and all that. Um, he's he is uh, he's on the side of, you know, it's the children's crusade right. to send the children to school. They're not vaccinated and they can't wear masks. I'm not going to let them wear masks and um, they're going to die. But, you know. Like like the doctor said, but I'm going to get reelected because there are enough maniacs among my constituents who who don't think that's a problem. So Richard Nixon, he's a, he's a criminal. To me, he's a mass murderer, and he should he should be sent to the Hague. Right, but it's worked. It's worked. He is the he is the governor. No, it works. But he but he should be in the Hague. It works for a lot of people. It works. Can't say he's stupid. He's got a method. And it works for him. I said he's not stupid. He's very intelligent. I mean, that's step one with this guy. He's very intelligent, very ambitious, and very dangerous. But I have to agree with my young colleague here about his treatability. A number of years ago, I got a referral of an, an equally creepy guy. I sent I sent you that guy because I had no interest in the case. Richard Nixon. Well, not quite that creepy, but creepy. And he had been on the front page of the Post and whatever. And I had two reactions. One reaction is, oh, look look at me. I'm getting referred all these famous people. The other reaction was, this guy's not treatable. I don't want to be wasting my time with him because this is the kind of, of narcissist that Freud talked about as not being treatable, a narcissistic neurosis, he called it. So in the end, he never called. And I was perfectly fine with that. 
Was it Joe Torre from the Yankees? <laughs> Come on, oh, you can tell us. You're just that's so great that Enough you just started. That passed. would be. I, I'm, I don't want to get your dad into trouble, but that would be such a funny bit where you just start casual. I guess your dad would come home and share, toss off these celebrities. But you, even as a joke, now I can't. But that um, it was a rod. <laughs> come on, don't. I mean, a that is the worst nickname. That just sounds like that's something. That's a, what they called a Moses. Rod. They called Moses that. A Rod, yeah. and stuttering prick was his other. Uh, the other thing they called Moses. He had it because the schmuck touched the burning bush and then put it to his mouth, and that's why Aaron had to speak for him. Right? Is that how it happened? Yeah. That's how he burned his? Huh? Yeah, he touched the burning bush. According to David Feldman, that's how it happened. You didn't hear that? I was I was taught seriously that Aaron had to speak for his brother. Aaron spoke for him. I know that he spoke that's for him. But what what happened to Moses's tongue? That, that's in the Bible that Moses, when God says you go speak to Pharaoh, Moses said, "I am um, Arel Sephatayim, that my lips are." uncircumcised, whatever that means. And therefore, I couldn't speak, but so God says, well, you got this brother you haven't seen for many, many, many years because you've been in Midian and he's in Egypt. He can speak for you. He's a good orator. Yes. How did God not know about Moses' problem with his lips? Um, I think, I think, uh, Moses was just trying to point out that he was not a good politician. Right. And and we in the Bible, they said that Moses and Aaron went before the Pharaoh. Moses sat on Aaron's lap and just moved his decrepit, uncircumcised lips. And Aaron drank a glass of Hagafen. <laughs> it was nobody had a clue uh, brought the house down brought the, the pharaoh said get out of here go 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 you guys are crazy um i did i think he touched the burning bush i think that's what what, what no? Uh, no there's some other story about how he got it but there was when he was very young i forget the gory details but it was not the burning bush. But he, he was think, a stutterer. Yeah. So I think you've got to go back to that Hebrew school. And, and get my money back. Yeah. Yes, you do. <laughs> I was going to say, I just came up with a horrible joke. I'm going to apologize uh, for it. I, I go back to my Hebrew school. And I say, I want my money back. And he goes, why? <laughs> you want your money back. You've learned everything. All right. That's a terrible joke. By the way, what was... What was Moses' last name? Braverman. Nope. Braverman. Moses Braverman. And <laughs> LLP. <laughs> Moses. Was he a lawyer? Um, yeah. Yeah. That's um, because he, the Mosaic law. I mean, he is the law giver. Indeed. Did he? What law school did he go to? Yeah. That would be a good Mount Sinai. 
He went to Mount Sinai. He, and he probably, anyway. Um, so there, are, I, I'm curious about this. There are, jo- there are, uh, I said jobs. There are neuroses that, that a narcissist is impenetrable. Um, a certain type of narcissist cannot be. Yes, yes, yes. Because right. it's not really a neurosis. It's a, it's a, it's a character. Exactly. What do you mean? It's it's it's. Uh, you seem bored by this. It's it, I, it, like it feels like <laughs> this is something that has been discussed <laughs> for years around your table. You seem really right. bored by this, and I find it fascinating. No, I just heard this. I have heard this discussed before. Uh, yeah, narcissists they can't be treated in this school of therapy because they're they're. Uh, I don't know why. I guess I, stopped, I was tuned out when the explanation happened. I thought it was like uh, you're, it, it's not part of the network. So you just write narcissist. That's a code for he's not part of our insurance. It's out of pocket. Are you afraid, David, that you're going to be thrown off of your insurance company's list because you just said something bad about them? Uh my insurance company you mean uh anthem blue cross yeah yeah who will not let me submit a claim form right via email right that doesn't show the scam that they're working i mean nothing does because they just i hold in my hand a slow it all down i hold in my hand a, a participant submitted claim form and, and I called them and I said, what's your email? We don't use email for your. And I go, really? You're in the medicine business. You're you know, state of the art, but you haven't figured out email yet. So they do that on purpose. They just want to slow it down. Yeah, the whole game in insurance is slow it down. If you have to pay, pay later because they make all their money on the float. They're when, as long as they're holding on to your money and earning interest on it, they're making money. So if they can slow down the payments in whatever arcane ways they, they're able to, they, they make money. They're, they're going to win all day. That's like uh, that DeJoy guy slowing it all down at the post office. Yeah. Yeah. The gods yeah. not. Go ahead. At I'm the, sorry. At the same time, they're telling you this. They're telling certain doctors. We will not communicate you with you in any way but email. Do not call us. Do not write us a letter. And there's some ancient doctors, I'm not going to say who, who say, wait, wait I, I'm, I'm not fluent in the email. They say, we don't care. You're, you're not getting any money from us unless you do it all on email. So they're playing both sides here, whatever works for them. But I'm glad we're having this discussion because, you know, I get my insurance through the Screen Actors Guild and I then I set a Google alert, like, make sure you check that six months hence. And then I always forget. So I think that that I think I have to check because it lapses and then they don't really tell you. You just find out after the fact. We, we have to wrap it up. I, I, uh, this happened to me yesterday. So I have to fill out this form. Uh print it and I don't my printer doesn't work because I don't need a printer so I have to set up an old printer it four hours yesterday 
to print out the form, fill it out, then find a uh, FedEx. A huh? Oh, a stamp, I was going to say. I had to go, and I go to FedEx, and they say, oh, we can't, this is, uh, Anthem Blue Cross is a post office box. We can't send it to a post office box. You have to go to the, you have to go to the post office. <clears throat> and I go to the post office, and I love and the post office, but, wallet. I'm sorry? And you didn't have your wallet. It's ex- how did you, did you, were you listening earlier? I just intuited it. I didn't have my wallet. And. Oh, man. How did you know that? I have my sources. I also know that if you leave, where are you now? In, in, your, in your dwelling place? I'm in my dwelling. If you leave tonight, there are going to be two guys from Anthem out there with a baseball bat. Wait a minute. Stay where you are. Uh, but as this was going, it was four hours, and then the flash floods started. And I thought, you know, if I were 20 years younger and the testosterone yeah. was flowing the way it used to, and the rain is coming down, and I mean, I could have. You know, anyway, uh, Dr. Philip Persian, I feel better. Thank you. Thank you, Ethan. We're all, for, we are all lucky you were not armed. Right. No. Thank you. And let me just leave everyone with this thought. No matter how cloudy it is, the sun is shining above the clouds. That's a beautiful thought. Unless it's nighttime, then forget that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Everybody uh, loves you, the two of you. Thank you. Everybody loves you. you. Thank you, Dr. Hershefeld. And go watch Thug Thug Jew. Yes. Thank you. On um, YouTube. Thank you. And watch the David Feldman show on YouTube and also on davidfeldman.com. And uh, where are you performing? Oh, I have a show. Holy crap. I have a show to plug. November 4th at Stand Up New York on the Upper West Side. Wait, is that where that is? Yeah, Stand Up New York on West 78th Street. November 4th, I'm going to be doing a half hour. So I got to get my pen out and write some jokes. Okay. November 4th um, with some other great Let, let's uh, try to pack that room let's, let's get let's pack that room people let's get the tens of people who listen to this show yeah get them get on a plane catch a variant bring it into that room <laughs> fly delta fly delta bring a variant into that little room with n- there's absolutely no airflow at all come in and let's cough on each other and have a good old time fantastic we love you guys we really do thank you thank you invite invite DeSantis <laughs> yes good idea thank you right. the, the Hershenfelds uh, thank you fantastic I feel better I feel you are listening to the David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. Where are you, Emil? Emil, are you there? There you are. Hey. Hi, David. I owe you an apology from last week. What happened? Myla says I was rude to you. Well, you know, it's it's sort of like uh, in, 
it's inverse proportion to the uh, the number of decades that I've known you. So yes. you you have to get to a really high level because I've been resistant. You know, I'm resistant to how, but but I'm glad to see some people are sensitive and understand right. how sometimes you do bully some of your friends. I, I I'm a bully. Yeah, you it, are. You are. You're you're like a. I'm a petty tyrant. You're not quite proud boy. You're not quite proud boy. As Professor Adnan, who said, said, I'm a petty tyrant. He'd say that? He was describing himself, but I like that description. (laughs) You say that. Uh, No, but you know, that's a thing. I I understand why you do certain things. You know, remember, I, I remember you when you wore a clown outfit as part of your act. So come on. I mean, you know. I, I, this, this is, this is what friendship is about. You can survive. This is the thing. And I mean this. Mm-hmm. We are resilient. I wore a clown suit for three years in San Francisco. And you bring that up and you're describing a completely different human being. I don't know who that <laughs> person was, but I wore a clown suit in the 80s i was so desperate to figure out comedy i had a bozo the clown fright i mean i and i thought that's not who i am i would never do something we we are capable of uh forgetting the past or evolving or evolving building from the past or you know trying to create a new present we're trying to be in the present moment. And right. the fact that I brought up the past must be my way of getting back at you for last week. <laughs> <laughs> or we compartmentalize. That's the other thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like in these little boxes that were in Right. Here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, do you, hey, by the way, you're all safe from the water. You're not like in a basement apartment in Queens, right? Uh, you know, I actually, I was going to load up the water effects. But I can't. Oh, hang on. Let me do this right. And then we'll talk about PETA. Hang on for yeah. one second. This is, uh, I'm a one yeah, man. A, hang on for one I, second. I'm you got to set this. me up for that. Hang on for one second. Yeah. Hang on. Well, I'll just tell people about my, uh, the talk show I do on amok.com, you know, where I talk about, you know, I just. Oh, I'm ask me the question. I'm sorry. Ask me the question again. So, David, are, were you affected by this? You're not in a basement apartment in Queens, are you? Uh, no. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> is that a beard? Or, or that's, that's water. water. That's water. Hang on. Okay, hang on. I thought, was, I thought your hair plugs went crazy. And, I, I, they have to be watered. All right, that's going to... Uh, <laughs> You're a chia pet. I'm hey, a chia no, pet. I mentioned that because... Uh, I, I get up and or I, I watch the news and there's like uh, de Blasio blaming the weather forecasters for being inaccurate. Like, come on, that's like a that's a you know, that's a given. And then uh, and I, I guess it was was bad because they've never had flash flood warnings in the city before. But then the bad news about the eight people dead in Queens and uh, the Times is doing some report that said uh, at least there's at least uh, like three people from. Uh, Asian American immigrants from, I believe, from Nepal. If your last name is Sherpa, chances are you're from, you know, you're from Nepal. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we we sort of joke about what's happening, but it's no joke if you live in a basement apartment in Queens and 
you know, the thing about the thing about the the shirt that family and those people in Queens is that people talk about Asian Americans and they say, oh, model minority, you know, you guys are so wealthy, so rich. And they keep forgetting that amongst the group uh, who call themselves Asian Americans, there are these more recent immigrants from places like Nepal and Bhutan, and um, they are living in basement apartments in Queens, and they get the worst of it in these natural disasters. So. Now, Bhutan, was Bhutan discovered by Italian explorers? Because that sounds like something uh, you would sounds name like a country it. if you had contempt. Like, yeah, Bhutan. Hey, Bhutan. Know. He's a Bhutan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. I, anyway, but no, it's I, fun so, to be. You know, it's we, fun we, to be ignorant. Kind of, Being ignorant about, about it, other countries is fun. Yeah. So um, anyway, David. Uh, so I'm. I'm just. Uh, in a kind of a strange mood ever since August 31st. You know, when we, when our country lost in Afghanistan. You know, I just. Right. I just don't know. I. I. I kept thinking about that picture in, uh, you know, the sailor and the girl VJ day, 1945. Yeah. So I, I dubbed August 31st LA day, you know, cause I'm a, a chauvinistic San Franciscan and I hate LA. So I'm going to tag LA with this thing. I'm going to leaving Afghanistan day or losing Afghanistan, Afghanistan day. August I just 31st. thought of a joke. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Tell me your bad joke. The JJ day. The J. Well, look, has that been done? You, you did it. It's not like you were the first one to think of. Oh, the JJ okay. Day. Okay. How about I if I did it like it. as part of a rant? Like we're we're a nation of pussies. We should call Tuesday the JJ day. They, you know, no one had a name for it except you know August thirty first, and you know at the Pentagon. A briefing. There was a reporter who asked, "Well, is it DC time or is it you know Kabul time or you know?" I guess if we were real stragglers, Biden could have said, "Well, I really meant the uh, you know twelve oh one August thirty first American Samoa time or something." He right. could have kept the time zones going, but but he was he was true to his word. He got out in time, and he still gets a lot of flack. Joe Biden. I, and I think, as I wrote in my Aldef piece, when you lose a war, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're Asian American or African American or black indigenous person of color. You know, we're one country. We lose a war together. That, that was my it should have been a more unifying moment to say, you know, yeah, we screwed up. We should have learned our lesson with Vietnam. But we lost the war and, you know, not that it's OK. It's just that let's lose it together. Let's and then lose we'll it together. Better. That sounds like a, yeah. a Marvin Gaye song. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was on the one with, uh, yeah, let's get it on and yeah. let's lose it together. And, yeah, I like that. That I, No, but, but, yeah, what's wrong with losing it together? Because it was right. a loss, right? I mean, it, you can call it a withdrawal, but you saw that tweet, right? I mean, all we got was that we didn't get a VJ Day picture of the sailor and the woman bending over 1945, August 14th. We got that tweet of the green soldier, right? The general, the last soldier out 
I, it's just, I, it was just sad. And then, and then look at the fallout. Uh, the, the Republicans are calling some Republicans, the weird ones, right? I think it was Marjorie Taylor Greene, one of those, you know, the, those, the, you know, the QAnon types saying, oh, let's impeach Biden. Come on, impeach. This is where we come. And then the Proud Boys saying, oh, we need the American Taliban, right? We need to, we need to emulate. The extreme right needs to emulate the Taliban to learn how to defeat America, which is, I, you know, it just it just got me. And that's why I I, I, I called it L.A. Day, losing Afghanistan Day or leaving Afghanistan Day, something that we can mark a milestone sort of, you know, it's sad, but let's lose this thing together. Yeah. And then and then now we got the floods. floods. You you heard you saw Biden's uh, his press conference. He said, we're all in this together. He's trying to put us all in the same boat. Afghanistan, because that's how that's what a president. That's what a good president does. He says, hey, we're all in this together. Right. And and we are we are resistant. We are so used to division in this country. We are resistant to coming together. That's why, David, I mentioned you in a clown suit in 1980 today. Right. We are resistant to. Well, anyway, you know what happens to your theory? That's my theory, Dave. I have sympathy for Biden. And I think this is his fine. In all seriousness, I'm often sarcastic and. You know, I feel obligated to crap on our president. But in all seriousness, I do think this is his finest moment. Okay. Okay. I do. I I think that. Okay. I I think Afghanistan and this and Ida moving up northeast. No, I think Afghanistan is his fine. And I thought his speech, he he sleeps perfectly well at night. Um. And you don't you don't end something like this. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, the the, as poorly as the the, uh, you know, the exit went, that was proof of why we needed to get out of there. Yeah, right. We can't forget the Vietnam lesson. And actually, uh, you know, Lawrence O'Donnell, a friend of mine. I said the same thing. I saw a tweet. He said the same thing. He said that speech was great that Biden gave. I thought it was good. He was defiant. I thought it was a speech that he did more for his ego and also the country's ego, because there are some people who are kind of, oh, God, uh, you know, America lost. You know, I, that right. the, the country suffered, but not for that long, because really no one cares about Afghanistan. That's that is really the the bigger problem that we care, but oh, it's Afghanistan. We we don't really care. Okay, have I mean, you ever? How quickly this is we what Afghan. This is what Afghanistan is, and this is what the American people have to understand. Have you ever fallen asleep mm. on your arm, mm. and then the arm falls asleep, <laughs> and then and you go to reach for the alarm clock, and the right mm. arm is just it won't you. You say, wait a second, I have a right arm that can work, but it's, you know, it's you slept on it and it won't move. That's what Americans need to understand, that the right arm, no matter 
the there was you couldn't do it. The will, yeah. it you know, you wanted it. it. We don't have it. The country doesn't have it. Yeah. It, it, the the military-industrial complex has it. We gave yeah. it all to the weapons manufacturers. That's who and they, got it. And they, they continue to make money, even on the withdrawal. I mean, some of those contracts that were written have them making money beyond. So, yeah, I mean, that's where it really comes clear. I, I got that when I was talking to some Afghan-Americans who said, hey, it's all about the money. And I, I didn't really get that until... I saw that report that came out about a couple of weeks ago that, you know, that they put out to, to assess where we are with Afghanistan and and then the estimates about two, two trillion dollars invested in this. So, yeah, about the money. And it's sad that, you know, Ida came in and wrecked New Orleans and Louisiana. And especially when the first parts of Louisiana where Filipinos arrived in the 16th century, they jumped the Spanish galleons and they settled around there, around Lafitte. And, you know, there was some media coverage, you know, it was like 16 years after Katrina to the day. And so, yeah, they made a big deal. But this is a storm that came to the media center. It came through Washington. It came to New York. And now now everyone's talking about you know, appropriate. They're talking about uh, the the storm like they should have from the beginning, and so that's are the they mentioning climate catastrophe? Yeah, you know, and it's real. You know, the the warmer we get, the more moisture. You know, the clouds hold, and then boom, we get a big rain. I, I you know, we both lived in California at the same time, and have you ever lived in a flood? A uh, ravaged kind of area or an area that was susceptible to floods because floods are once you're in a flood you you respect them you respect rain uh i lived in houston and once you see the the floodwaters coming onto your seat as you're you know in your car and you're not peeing or your passengers aren't peeing in the car right. it's like the rainwater. it's like right. it's it's terrorizing, really. It's like, what do I do? My car can't swim. Yeah. Those flash floods. Uh, well, I, earlier at the beginning of the show, I live in an air shaft, so I, I'm denatured. I don't know. What, yeah. You know, the only my only connection to the outside world is the mouse and an occasional roach. Yeah. So I leave my window open. Because rain, rain can't make its way through the air shaft. Yeah. Emil, it was it was so bad last night that uh, in my apartment building they have these water alarms because you can't uh -huh. they don't want it went off. But I let I uh -huh. left the window open and it came in somehow through the air shaft and it didn't flood the place, but there was enough water on the windowsill for the alarm to go off. But, but you are sufficiently insulated from nature as a New Yorker in your air shaft so that you yes. can go on. If you had a, a steady supply of food and water, you wouldn't care about the air, about green space, about anything. Right. Oh, I, I miss it. New York City, there's nothing in New York City that's uh, natural. Man, Central Park, Olmstead, all the dirt. The trees, it was all brought in by design. New York City is 
New York City is a hellish place to live. Yeah. Well, it was fun to visit when I when I was close, but uh, it's not natural. I, I There's nothing to, natural I, I about New York. Pardon me. There's nothing natural about New York, and you have unnatural un, people living in an unnatural lifestyle, especially working in finance, who are well, destroy, destroying the, the planet. That was pretty unnatural when I uh, went there, but uh, I thought there were some natural things. I mean. You have people in Manhattan in skyscrapers who wake up, open their computer, and they trade commodities that are bad for the planet. And they're on the 50th floor of their skyscraper overlooking Central Park. They think they're immune to their trades. They're not the Filipinos or the Sherpas living in the basement who are going to get flooded and drown. Yeah, that's for sure. And I'm not... that is the mindset of these of the financiers. I agree. Look, my, my daughter moved into the city um, and she's like sort of becoming she's adopting that kind of mind. I don't. Well, we talk to each other, you know, uh, she's still my little girl. But still, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. The guy she meets at those bars, you know. Uh, anyway, hey, David, uh, what about this abortion law? Are you are you uh, concerned? Well, about well let's that? do the old joke. What about the abortion bill? Oh, what? Ask me about the abortion bill. What about the abortion bill, David? I'm not going to do that joke. Oh, okay. Why would you make me do that joke? That's just, that joke was no, going no, around. Like, I, I'm curious about it because I finally realized the, the genius of that bill. You know, the heartbeat bill. And, it, 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 you know, the six week thing when most people don't get an abortion until after the 11th week. So essentially you're making it illegal. You're you know, you're affecting everyone. You're banning. And then but then the vigilante bounty hunter. If you or someone, you know, has turned in an abortion facilitator, right. you might be owed ten thousand dollars. Call the law offices. Of right. Rowan this Wade. Is, this is like, uh, you know, Barney Fife, citizen's arrest, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the abortion Bar- Barney Fife's of the world can f- in any any jurisdiction. They could be in another state and they can say, right. Hey, I understand that the doctor who lives above David Fel- or is it below David Feldman? Below. He might be. I don't know. What, is he that kind of doctor? He's uh, it's New York City. The doctors are on the ground floor. Yeah. So, you know, that, uh, you know, it could be a, if he was doing that kind of thing, someone in California or somewhere else can can like can ding him and get your ten thousand dollar bounty. Well, I think I just the kids. Thank God. There's a website mm-hmm. and they're sending Shrek the 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 hotline you know if you have a tip yeah. on someone who might have facilitated an abortion go to this yeah. website and the the website was up for like a, a nanosecond and it got flooded with this shrek meme <laughs> and people turning in fake well yeah sure i mean you know how else do you thwart a a vigilante kind of movement that this is 
you know, it's not, but you know, this is the way it's going to be. Remember, I think it was like eight months ago. I, I said we needed a pro democracy movement in America. And you thought it was that was a brilliant thing. And, you know, it was kind of. But, you know, but I was serious. No, I'm like homosexual. I mean, you came up with homosexual. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, I came up with homosexual like in 1990, 91, I think. I, and if only you didn't patent it. I, I know I should have. And since then, I, you know, Randy Rainbow even used it yeah. in one of his things. You got to think my grandfather, you know how sometimes people sneeze and fart mm -hmm. at the same time? Mm -hmm. My grandfather patented that and oh. he gets a royalty every time somebody sneezes and farts at the same time. But you. I, I, is that your grandfather? He, yeah, he. he he patented. I he owe didn't invent it. Some money. He was like Edison. Edison didn't invent things. He patented things, and that's what my grandfather ah. did. I should have. I should patented that. Uh, anyway, uh, so David, um, I, I just am sad about what you know, because democracy is even here in California. You know, with the recall, if they recall Gavin Newsom. And now people are suddenly getting scared of this black conservative talk show host who has a slight lead on the Republican side. But but if Newsom gets recalled, that that conservative uh, talk show host with less than a majority, with like 20 percent of the vote can can come and essentially steal the election that Gavin Newsom won with 62 percent of the vote. Have you voted? Pardon me? Have you voted? I've got my ballot right here. Well, we have a I, poll. You know, we take a poll here. Yeah. And uh, I have uh, the latest on this. Uh, and it's uh, let's see. Let, let's go to our polling center. Yeah, there we go. Uh, the California Recall 2021. It's a dead heat. Tommy Newsom from the Tonight Show <laughs> Band is at 49%. And uh, Tommy, uh, David. It's not I, Tommy Newsom. Tommy Newsom isn't the governor. I wrote in Doc Severinsen. Hmm? I wrote in Doc Severinsen. Oh, it's Tommy Newsom. You... By the way, have you seen I the Doc Severinsen documentary? The Doc I Doc? I got it wrong. I, you I, didn't I, see I, the Doc I, about I, Doc? Doc? I, I didn't. What's up, Doc? I, I there, there's a that. great documentary about Doc Severinsen. That's on the PBS. Oh, you could do one just on his clothes. He's right? amazing. Yeah, he's a good, good dresser. Good Is Newsom going to, did you, are you going to vote against the recall? There's only one, there's two questions. And if you vote on one question correctly, you don't have to bother with the second one. And that is, shall Newsom be recalled? And, you know, I, I like to quote my, uh, you know, all the best Republican presidents who've been under oath, I don't recall. Right. I, I don't, don't recall. recall. I don't recall. Larry That's Elder. Said. Is, Reagan said that. It, it's recall. the uh, Peter principle. People rise to the maximum level of incompetence. And, yes. you know, Larry Elder is mentally ill. This is ah. a very sick man. That's putting it nicely. Yeah. I mean, there, there's something... He had a nice thing going, had a nice scam going, being the, the African-American lawyer who pulls the ladder up and leaves everybody behind. 
It's a nice right. scam he's got going. But eventually, you're not happy where you are. <clears throat> and I think <clears throat> by the t two years from now, Larry Elder will be out of work. Well, let's hope so. I mean, he will lose everything from this because politics, well, yeah. there is a democratic machine. And there, so far, we, we found out that he pulled a gun, allegedly, right. on this prostitute who he was living with. <laughs> they, call it, they call her a producer, David. Yes. And you have one of those, don't you? Yeah, of course. They kind of it's the, the recall is over. What on the fifteenth? Uh, yeah, the the last day to vote is on the fifteenth. It's and so. What's going to happen is the Democratic machine, which is vicious. Mm -hmm. They're going to move the poll numbers further down, and by the 15th, but they're going to move those numbers down by leaking more. You know, we found out about the charity, the, the bogus charity that he runs. Yeah. That got taken away from him because the money just went to his cronies. And we're just going to it's going to be drip, drip, drip till there's no more Larry Elder. That he, he's going to oh, lose let's, everything. Let's hope so. There's going to be a woman who's going to there are going to be things that will come out that uh yeah he's a bad guy yeah, but you know he's not the reason why this came about but i mean he could be a beneficiary if it if it succeeds but who, whoever came up with this uh and i think it was some republicans up near sacramento uh it's going to cost the state 300 million dollars what, what else you gonna spend? what else do you need to spend it on we got to wrap it up right. i think the hey, reverend Peter, the reverend Peter podcast Peter podcast if you're if you're buying a turkey and the label says certified humane not necessarily so Peter undercover investigation talk about uh plainville farm it's not in, humane it's a turkey it's not a humane it's, <laughs> right, i'm desperate humanely treated humanely treated. oh i see humanely. hey what's the before what is the reverend barry lynn here yeah Yes, hey, I'm here. Okay. How are you, sir? Hang on. I, I would just fine. want to check in with Dan Frankenberger at the top of the hour. Very quickly, is it an air fryer? Or what, what am I supposed to get? Get an air fryer. Yeah. Get an inexpensive air fryer. Um, you know, one that doesn't cost more than like 70 bucks or so. You can find them in anywhere. There's like fancy ones that have all the bells and whistles. But I'll tell you how you, it, it, this is the way you cook French fries in an air fryer. First, you boil, you parboil the potato, right? And you make, you keep the moisture. And then you, before it gets all mushy, you take it out and then you cut it up like in the French fries. And then you throw all that into the air fryer without any oil. And you make, great french fries better than mcdonald's that's my certified whole food plant-based tip for the day can you air fry a twinkie uh, if you're if you're suicidal perhaps right. you know there's a lot of a lot of fat in that right a lot of sugar i i may i may treat myself to an air fryer it's it's a great i think do you have an instapot I don't have a Instapot to piss in. 
Oh, <laughs> that, that, that was a fad a couple years ago. No, I think an air fryer is actually a pretty good deal. If you, if you, especially if you like to fry foods, gen, you don't need to fry foods. You don't need to. Can I, can I make like a, a, a veggie burger in an air fryer? Oh yeah. You can make a veggie. You can put meat in there. Oh, you wouldn't want meat. A no, but like burger, fake yes. meat, you can put fake meat in there. Yeah, you can put Beyond Burger. You can put all that. Uh, you can put. Uh, uh, you can you can heat a frozen like uh, as I get my Ezekiel bread, my frozen Ezekiel bread, right. and I I throw it in the air fryer and I it defrosts and it heats it up. What about destroying I evidence? The, uh, can I you can I destroy evidence? Only if you eat it. Okay. Only if you. I mean, you can crisp it up. All right. I. The great Emil Guillermo, columnist for ALDEF, the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund. And he is the host of the PETA podcast, which drops every Wednesday, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. And follow him on Twitter at Emil Amuck. Will you be doing any live performing? I, you know, I do a live show every day at 2 p.m. Pacific Live on on uh, Facebook at Facebook Live and on EmilGuillermo.media. Oh, and they can. Yeah. And they can catch it recorded on AMOK.com. So, uh, yeah, I, I am actually doing a thing for a Harvard alumni thing in the end of September. Setting fire to the place be online. They're going to set fire. Mm -hmm. to. Oh, no, no. Okay. So anyway, we love Emil, uh, even if he did attend that horrible, horrible place, Harvard, which should be broken into a billion little pieces. Uh, and I mean that, that they are the source of a lot of uh, what's wrong in this country. Harvard, Yale, Princeton. Uh, Share the blame, David. Share the blame. Those, those schools have to be just smashed apart. It's why people don't take a vaccine. They're the no, reason. Joe Rogan's why people don't take a vaccine. Well, uh, Joe Rogan is a result of Harvard that people don't trust. No, don't say that. <laughs> yes, he is. He is the How's Newtonian. He, it's Newtonian. When you have pompous self-serving intellectuals who can't dirty their fingers with regular folk, the regular folk see through it and they turn to MMA aficionados oh. like Joe Rogan and they get their medical advice. They, they trust Joe Rogan more than they trust the these elitists who are just passing through, who don't really care about the 99 percent. The 99 percent are just stepping stones and people pick up on that. So they, they get their information from Joe Rogan. It's the flip side of progressivism. There, there's Joe always Rogan been the progressives have always had had a dumb, you know, Williams, William Jennings Bryant scopes monkey trial. He was against evolution, but he was also a great populist there's a very stupid side to populism because there there's an anti-intellectualism that comes with right. populism and that anti-intellectualism isn't directed at intellectuals it's directed at 
the elite institutions that create the mess we're in. So he's like the he's like Admiral Wrongway Peach Fuzz, the anti Harvard. Joe Rogan uh, is is like Trump is the result of an out of touch intelligentsia that is self-serving and doesn't care about the 99 percent. So you end up with Joe Rogan recommending ivermectin. That's what you get. Yeah. When, that's what you get when everybody on the Supreme Court went to Harvard, Yale or Stanford. That's what but you David, end up with. I understand that Joe Rogan doesn't have any worms anymore. Yes, he's been dewormed yeah. and should be deplatformed. I'm kidding about the deplatforming. Uh, thank you, Emil. Let's now go to Washington, D.C., where the Reverend Barry W. Lynn is standing by. He is Barry. a lawyer an attorney, an officer of the court, a barrister, a counselor, as well as a, a minister. You're an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. And uh, you have moved. My podcast listeners cannot see this, but uh, the Reverend Barry W. Lynn is vacationing in the Eastern European capital called Glaucoma. You're in the city of Glaucoma today. Yes, I am. Yes, it's it's beautiful this time of year. It's wonderful. Yeah. And I'm planning to go to Hungary tomorrow because I understand that they, I understand this because I, I watched 15 minutes of Tucker Carlson. They've got the perfect government system over there. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mr. Orban, your, your background yeah. is blurred. I was making fun yeah, of it. it blurred, but, I, but you see, I know you. And you're blurring the background because you're on a crime spree. Yes, I am. And you don't want us to know, Reverend. No. I have no. somebody who uh, should be in charge of all police departments that I want to show you. Uh, all right. There are good people out there. And this is going to be, uh, if I can find it. I may not be able to find it, but I, I said, oh, I want to show the Reverend this. Hang on. Um, okay. So there was a, a, a shooting uh, yesterday, and there was a police chief who went before the press and this is, uh, her name is Police Chief Katrina Thompson. One student. Was located with a gunshot. Medical responders begin life-saving measures and the injured student was transported to Wake Forest University Baptist Medical Center, where he succumbed to his injuries. One student. So uh, we do need police officers. Uh, that is, I, I would feel much safer 
uh, with her in charge of the FBI, all our police. Uh, I concur. Yeah. We got the, these institutions aren't the problem. It's the people who inhabit them. Yeah, and, well, there's a little bit more to it. Uh, There's the policies that are being adopted by police around the country, some of which are good, some of like uh, barring uh, chokeholds, but some of them are not so good. So you have to have good policies, and you have to also recognize that a lot of the things that police officers do now ought to be done by social workers. And, uh, but you're right. I mean, I do know some good police around the country and protest. And then I'll you. I'm just setting the table here for you. Sure. Last summer we had protests this summer. We have this. The grand jury returned a 32 count indictment against Aurora police officers, Randy Rodima and Nathan Woodyard former Aurora police officer Jason Rosenblatt and Aurora Fire Rescue Paramedics Jeremy Cooper and Peter Chikuniak for their alleged conduct on the night of August 24th, 2019 that resulted in the death of Mr. McLean. So, uh, was it two years ago? I think it's I think it's close to three years ago. Right. That is uh, an example of uh, protesting, peaceful protesting, working. That is that that is the fruit of last summer. Would you agree? Yes, I would. And it's also um, it's important to look back over how this initially happened. My understanding is that a, a fellow who didn't know. We're talking about Elijah there. McCain. Yeah, Elijah yeah. McCain. But but somebody reported that they didn't know who he was, but they he looked suspicious. And he was, uh, that's all it took for the police to come in to try to figure out what was going on. They saw he had a mask, which I believe he needed for medical reasons. Right. And, uh, and it. Here was he was a massage therapist and a violin player. And now they the cops didn't know that, but they also only knew that this anonymous person had called in and said the guy looks suspicious. That's what happens when citizens are allowed to make complaints about other people that they don't even know. That's the segue I'd like to take eventually into what Texas has been doing. Why, did Texas do something stupid? (laughs) So many things. Texas? No, but I mean, yeah, I know. It's, um, do you want to move on to that? Yes, of course. I I really think that's the most, this is the most shocking thing. My whole uh, life in church-state separation began. We should mention, we have new listeners, so let me just. Okay. The Reverend Barry W. Lynn, for nearly a quarter of a century, ran Americans United for Separation of Church and State. 
He is devoted to keeping religion out of the public square and in the house of worship, but not in government. That's fair. <laughs> okay, so you started, the first thing was abortion? That was your first fight? Yeah, that was it. I mean, I had the, I was in college and I was talking to my one of my roommates and this was about spring break time and he said, uh, I'm going to London. And I said, that must be great. And he said, not really. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, I, I have to, my girlfriend is pregnant and I have to go to England to obtain an abortion. This was in 1967. And uh, I was shocked. I said, can't you just go to, he lived in Philadelphia. I said, can't you go to New York? That's a liberal place. Or Massachusetts, that's a liberal place. And he said, no, it's illegal there. I have to go. So I did hook him up with some people uh, at the Judson Memorial Church in Greenwich Village who were assisting people in traveling to other countries to obtain abortions. And I was so shocked that the Catholic Church, both in New York City and in Boston, had such extraordinary power that they could literally stop a woman from making a choice about her own body. Right. That's what That was my giant wake-up call when I was, I guess, a sophomore in college. Abortion. Explain abortion to us uh, in terms of uh, religion. Was abortion an issue uh, before World War II? Was this discussed? Did people concern themselves with abortion on a national scale? Was this was Roosevelt pro-abortion? Did he have a position on abortion? I don't think anybody had to have positions on it, but there, most of the states, by the time uh, things got really, uh, the fight really got started, most states had already outlawed it under the assumption that fetuses were just like little children and they had to be protected at all costs. The Catholic Church itself was not opposed to abortion for centuries. Then all of a sudden they decided this is a great power grab. Let's say women cannot have abortions. And now we've gotten to a point where abortions are not only uh, medically induced, but the premise of so many in the so-called pro-life movement is that most forms of contraception are also abortion-inducing. That's kind of medical nonsense, but it's widely publicized. And so when people look at what's happening in Texas now, they have to realize, even if they're kind of okay with this, that eventually what this will do is to prevent Texas women from obtaining birth control. No IUDs, no after, you know, morning after pills. These will all be for, forbidden if you take this to its logical and already articulated conclusion. Uh, I'm glad we don't have a woman here to talk about this. Uh, it's much better when men talk about, I'm kidding. I, I reached out to <laughs> Kelly Stone uh, in Texas and she, and she will come on next week. Uh, plan B, I would assume that, the more, you know, they'll just, do the morning after, right? I don't know. What do I know? No, no, no they'll. Well, no, I think 
one of the worst things that could happen is you could prohibit the sale of morning after pills in the state of Texas. And already today, since this decision overnight by the Supreme Court to not touch the law, yeah, because it's just too complicated. But they did come um, out. They did last week. They did make sure that we can get evicted. Exactly. And the year, uh, the week before that, we de- they decided again. These are not these are not briefings. There are no hearings on these issues. They decided that they stay in Mexico policy and have your your asylum claim. Uh, that that too, uh, Biden couldn't change that. So there's, now there's a thing called the shadow docket. Is that what it's called? The shadow docket. The shadow docket. This Who is, knows? These are cases that yeah. These are cases that get heard. They start with one member of the court. And then that member of the court decides whether she or he wants to turn over the consideration of the issue to the entire court. And so now we have three. Shadow dockets, three terrible decisions with enormous human consequences, all decided by a Supreme Court that hasn't even heard any arguments. That's how bad it is. So you you've dedicated much of your adult life to fighting for separation of church and state. You're a lawyer and an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. It feels today that the stars are lining up to transform America into what Frank Schaefer called a theocratic fascist 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 state where where there where the crazy religious zealots and there are orthodox Jews who I count uh, among the crazy evangelical Christians who are aligning themselves with violent anti-democratic fascists and religion is a it's a cliche but religion is all about control as is fascism so it it's the it's this perfect storm uh re- religion yeah. is uh has always helped authoritarian regimes, hasn't it? Yeah, in general, it has, uh, but um, occasionally it doesn't. And you and I have talked about the Catholic Church in Latin America, for example, which has very progressive views and does articulate those views to governments and uh, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. But in general, I wouldn't dispute the notion that organized religion in most centuries, in most parts of the world, is basically a control mechanism for the worst in political life. Pope Francis, however, oh, he's well, pushing back. I, I look. I, I defend the is. Catholic Church. Sure, I do. I defend the Catholic Church because of things that Francis has said. Is what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean. I, you know, there were a few popes ago, um, you know, I'm trying to think who it was, uh, came out in favor of evolution, said there was overwhelming evidence. So there, there are specific issues, but neither, none of the last three allegedly more progressive popes have said anything about 
changing the position of the current Catholic Church on either birth control or abortion. And so, gay and gay know, and gay and gays. Well, yeah. no, uh, this fellow did suggest that you, you shouldn't condemn gay people. So he right. did say that. But, but you can't ordain you, them. You can't ordain them. You can barely uh, let them into the church. But you, you see, I, the older I get, the less interested I am in people doing some of the right things. I really want people to do all of the right things. I don't. I am not looking to defend people except in extraordinary circumstances like the last presidential election. I'm not interested in people who just want to do a little bit better than the person that they're running against. I want people who have definitive positions and can make it clear of what they're doing, why they're doing it, and say, if you don't like it, if you don't like substantial change, then just don't vote for me. Right. I mean, are you worried about more and more people finding solace in religion? The worst things seem to appear climate change, COVID, the economy, the eviction crisis. Uh, All that's left for people is religion. All that's left for some people is religion. And they exploit that. Yeah, they do. I I don't think, though, that there's a gigantic increase in the membership of conservative churches. Uh, There used to be, as there was a decline, my own denomination, the Methodist Church, the Presbyterian Church, right-wingers would say, see, you guys that are talking about a social gospel and and using religion for good, you're losing members, but we are gaining members. Now I think what's starting to happen is nobody is gaining members. I don't think people... But but here's... I hear that, and you've said that, and and my response to that is you're you're still clinging to this quaint notion of majority rules. Uh, Let me play you Stu Peters... Uh, he's a, a religion, some kind of religion, and he, he mixes politics and religion. This is what you've been warning us. And uh, you just need a Stu Peters. You don't need too much of a following. Uh, I don't think people losing interest in organizing. Here, let me play Stu Peters for you. Hang on. They have been able to take over the entire media. They have caused a mass exodus of good police officers that are there for the right reason. They have started the indoctrination of your kids with critical race theory. Now they are supposed to feel badly about themselves, specifically if they're white, not only feel badly about themselves and repent, but also join a force of evil to eradicate whiteness completely. They have completely taken God out of everything. Now I saw in one state last night that they're trying to get rid of in God we trust on a license plate in some state. I don't remember exactly what it is. Although, be it, it is still on our currency, probably not for too long. And they have purged our military with this wokeness. Um, so all, all of that has been done. And this was also amid 
an engineered, man-made, intentionally released virus from the lab in Wuhan, where we unapologetically said that it came from. You said it. I said it. We were liars. We were conspiracy theorists. We were tinfoil hats. It has now come true. And then the vaccine, or the vaccine, excuse me, was Bioweapon 2.0, which is stronger than the ineffective virus that Fauci wanted to get his hands on. He has now developed this Delta version, whatever it is, they're going to only continue to get more and more deadly. And they have done it all simultaneously with little to no resistance whatsoever. That was a soft test. If the president of the United States, Donald Trump, doesn't come back within the next 60 days, I believe that we are looking at an extinction level event. 100% on all fronts. An extinction level event, (laughs) which means the people are going to rise up. It's a bunch of word salad. All this crazy conspiracy talk that leads to this conclusion extinction level event rise up yeah. uh and he get it's really dangerous it's yeah, it's it, very very dangerous and you can see that the hard-hitting uh questions being asked by the interviewer mm-hmm. she just did a marvelous job i mean she's kind of like uh well he's the host he's the host Oh, he's no, he's is he the host? Yeah, I he's, think he's it's, the it's, host. I think they're co-hosts or something. Yeah, well, well, she she added a great deal of nothing to that argument. No, but they, these are the arguments that are used. They don't care. They, they don't even know theology. They don't even know. Uh, they they rarely. It's such a selective understanding and reading of the Bible. They they pick a, a verse here, a verse there. And, and I want people to understand the, the Bible was never written as a history book. It was not written as a science book. It was not written as a manual for human ethics. It's a collection of books written by people, usually people who were uh, winning uh, the arguments at the time. And they that's all it is. You can find wisdom in it. I certainly do. But then you can find a lot of nonsense in it, too. I mean, who in the... If you take the Bible literally, um, then you have to believe, for example, that the mathematical construct of pi, P-I, is exactly three. Now, I don't know about you, David, but I don't want to get on an airplane that was built by an engineer who did all of her or his measurements based on the idea that the circumference was equal to three times the diameter because the whole plane will fall apart. If you bring these things up to people, if you show that there's a discrepancy between the historical account in one book in the Christian Old Testament and a different number uh, in another book, these guys will always have an answer. They will always have an answer. And, you know, um, the guy who was the L.A. Uh, prosecutor of Manson. Bugliosi. Uh, he, wrote, he wrote a book about, uh, I always had him on my radio show when I had a radio show, every time I, and I usually read the books, and I certainly read the book when he was examining the evidence for and against God. And uh, he, it was a terrible book. I mean, a lot of his books were terrible, but this was really terrible. And in it, he he argues that he doesn't really conclude whether he believes in God or not. It's kind of you get through the whole book and then he says he's still confused. But he makes comments about uh, 
the characteristics that must be present with God, like all knowing. And so when I had him on, I said, you know, Vince, <laughs> you know that that's not true, not because of some kind of sophisticated argument by some philosophy professor, but just look at the text of the Bible itself. Here's the Bible in the book of Genesis. It talks about the creation. It talks about the creation of man and woman. And then a few verses later, God has lost Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He doesn't know where they are. So if he doesn't even know where the only two people at the time that he created, where they were, why would you expect that God would know everything, you know, in 2010? Why would you believe that? And, and I mean, th these other, these other uh, arguments, um, is God all-powerful? Well, I'm of a believer that uh, everything changes, that evolution is changing, including not just the ideas about God, but perhaps God him or her or itself is also evolving. There's a whole theology called process theology that is built on that idea. But the idea that you don't, that, that God is capable of literally everything right now would mean that evil, literally, he would be a really bad God, an evil God to allow the kinds of things that we've seen happen just in the last couple of days, 40 plus people dead in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and uh, New York because of these torrential rains. Why wouldn't he stop that? That's Old Testament then, God. That's Old Testament God, but Old Testament God um, wasn't completely eliminated by the New Testament. But why would, why would you assume <laughs> And then, you know, I get into this argument with religious right people about vaccines. You know, the Catholic Church, by the way, has said you, you can take any of these vaccines. They were not made out of fetal tissue and all of that, which apparently means something to them. But you can't, um, I've lost my train of thought here, but the, the, the idea that a God could be instrumental in the, assistance in the creation of vaccines is an absolute non-starter with the exception of people who are still somewhat religious used to be harder to so what is, what is that so what what is it why do you have uh this guy let me i found this guy this is my new favorite uh what is the motivation of somebody like this uh here's uh these vaccines are gonna quit working on every corner until this nation falls to her knees and repents for dead babies and repents for the sodomy of this nation so yeah i like 36 that uh, according to one of the so-called pro-life groups today, observing about uh, what happened in Texas, they said, we have already lost 36 million people, babies, have all been killed. Question, I don't know if that's the correct number. I don't even know where they got the number. But think of it. If we can somehow 
have found a way to deal with 36 million people, new people in the last, uh, since Roe versus Wade, but somehow these are the same people who can't find a way to let 300,000 Afghans settle in the United States. How does that make any sense? Well, I I want to respond to that. First of all, 36 million. They're allowed to pull numbers out of their ass, but they won't allow us to pull babies out of a uterus. That's the the first thing. Is it a uterus? Where do they pull it out of? Yeah, they would would be pulling it from that. Okay, sorry about that. The second thing is (laughs) they view... The Americans, the 200 Americans who are stuck in Afghanistan, they view the same way they view fetuses. They like people when they're an abstraction. Like the the 200 Americans who we don't know, who we've never seen, we don't hope to know, hope to see, we must bring them home. Uh, But the minute they get here, you're on your own. And, and it's the same exactly. thing with the feet. They like the the abstract idea of a human being. It's a little like what people said about Woodrow Wilson. He had so much love for humanity, it was said. He just didn't like people. Right. That's them in a nutshell. But what is this guy? Uh uh, what is his game with the vaccine? Why? So do they genuinely believe that vaccines are bad for you or are they part of some? I mean, is there money involved in being a, a religious preacher who tells you not to get vaccinated? What is the sure. I mean, my sister's getting stuff from the Orthodox Jews that are you know, telling her not to, she's on some mailing list and she's being told not to get vaccinated and uh, it's not safe. And um, well, what's the uh, game there? What are they? No, I think I think the game is power and money. Remember, these people do not have to compete with uh, Pat Robertson or Liberty Universities, uh, what's left of the Falwell dynasty there. They just have to make enough people become acolytes of theirs to make a decent living. They're not looking for millions a year. They're just looking for an easy way to come up with, you know, a a six-figure salary. They hit $100,000. They're going to be very, very happy. If this guy, who I, by the way, I'm not familiar with that guy, so he's must be relatively obscure. But Dead babies. He's, uh, I, I shut up. <laughs> I don't like. I, I can't even stand looking at that guy. And as you know from the very first time I met you, I don't even like to make fun of people's appearances, no matter what their ideology is. But with this jerk, I'm thinking of making an exception. That's salvation. Now look at, boy, that's. It, I like how he freezes at the end. Yeah, you know, it's he's like a snowflake baby. You know, uh-huh. they, they freeze. They freeze the eggs so mm. they can be put in somebody else's uterus. That was a huge issue going back to the Bush administration. Really, snowflake babies. In other Dead words, babies. A per- baby. Snowflake. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but 
They're not trying to build an empire or start a school like Regent University, like Robertson did, or Liberty or the religion like you're going to start did. for me. I'm well. I'm. I've always been willing to do that, but I, as long as you can, you have to guarantee me though that I could get the six figures. You'll get six figures. You, yeah, because you could. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh six zeros. figurines. I was going to send you six figurines. <laughs> six figures. Yeah, six six figures. Yeah. I do love uh, figurines. I, you know, I'm, I, a lot of people, sadly, will believe anything. Mm-hmm. Like my, my, my mother, who I really liked a great deal, but she was convinced that these things called Hummels, yeah. which are German-made figurines, were going to be extremely valuable, okay? And she bought dozens, possibly a hundred of them, that I, you know, came across. I'd seen them in her house, in our house. And then, you know, I came across them when she, when she died and we had to clean out her house. You know what they're worth today? Nothing. Nothing. Hmm. But, but, but they were told, just like those plates from the Danbury Mint, I know I heard about a woman, I didn't know her, who literally took all of her savings and bought plates from the Danbury Mint of all these historical events and geographical beauty within the United States. You know what? They're worth less than nothing. But they were told it's very important. This is the way you can avoid all of your worries about inflation and your worries about whether you're going to make enough money in the stock market, just buy these damn plates. They say damn plates. Buy these beautiful plates. Was there ever a time when the government protected us from that? No, no, I don't. No, they didn't protect anybody until labor unions came in and started to deal with labor laws and stopped women from dying at the age of 30 in textile mills. No, I'm talking about like selling women, like selling crap to people that making false. No, there was never a time. There was never a time that we did that because we we didn't even think about we didn't even have a federal trade commission during most of the history of this country. And when I came in, it's supposed to protect people and Maybe it does, but you see all of this crap, the stuff that that um, uh, Jim Baker was selling, the silver to cure COVID. The only reason he got in any trouble is because he was promoting this ridiculous idea and profiting from it. But if, if, if you decided to promote silver, unless they were advertisers, there's no, nothing that anybody can do about that. You're not liable for anything that you say unless you personally profit. And maybe. I don't understand people discussing their medical conditions publicly as though they're helping the convert. Like Joe Rogan announcing that he has COVID, but. You know, we're throwing the whole kitchen sink at it. We're ivermectin and vitamin D and blah, blah. How irresponsible. Forget the fact that everything he's recommending, certainly ivermectin, could kill his listeners. Uh, If you're not a doctor, you should keep your medical advice to yourself if you have 
millions of listeners, shouldn't you? Isn't that just common decency? And Yes. Yes, it definitely is common decency. Uh, but it, again, there is an advantage because if Joe Rogan, who I, I've listened to, I think, once, um, I don't know much about his political views on anything else, but um, I'm assuming he's uh, pretty damn conservative. But he should know better than to spout off about this. And you notice that when he did his uh, little video the day he announced that he had COVID, he was very careful to talk about all of the things that he was doing. In other words, not just these ridiculous, you know, dewormer, uh, but he talked about vitamin D, which I think a lot of people might benefit from taking. I mean, they, they do take it. He talked about monoclonal antibodies, which again, I mean, that is probably useful. Uh, but then, and then he threw in all these other, which makes things, it, and which that, make, go ahead. No, but that, and that's what gives it credibility. Exactly. Said, that's why exactly. it's evil. That's why it's evil. That's it. absolutely evil. Absolutely evil. If, if all you recommend is garbage, uh, that's okay. Then you're yeah. you're a garbage mouth. But if you throw in something or a couple of things that lend, that's why nobody should go on Tucker Carlson. Nobody from the left, no. nobody with any decency should go on Tucker Carlson because it legitimates him and it lifts the other, it lifts from the, 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 the sewage, the bilge. Mm. He bring, by, if you're a decent person, you go on Tucker Carlson, then the bilge is elevated. Yeah. Yes. And I, uh, Although Fox, when it started, was not as bad as it. Now it's just a fascist network. But there were only three liberals that were, went on. I, I used to go on. Robert Reich used to go on to talk about economics. And Ellie Smeal used to go on the head of the Feminist Majority Foundation. The three of us were the only liberals that would go on. And um, I'm embarrassed that we, we did that because I think we did end up elevating the viewership of that now completely corrupt network filled with idiots. Right. Supposedly there's a, is it Channel 4? Somebody has a new documentary that was sent to me. It's on YouTube about uh, Murdoch. They know what they're doing. They're very sly. They don't tell you what they're trying to do to you. So they'll bring on the Reverend Barry W. Oh, uh, he seems real. And then 99% uh, of the time it's, you know, church and state should be fused. There should Just be no wall. Merge them together. Yeah. It, it, it's, yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know if somebody like Joe Rogan is, because he does what uh, Bill O'Reilly does, which is, I'm just, you know, I'm just listening. I'm just listening. Oh, by the way, if I were a teenager or a young adult, I wouldn't get vaccinated. But I'm just right. taking it all in. Uh, I'm not getting vaccinated, but I'm just taking it all in. I don't understand if that's a game, a, a, a grift, a mental illness. I don't understand why somebody would do that. 
and not understand the power dynamic. You know, Louis C.K. used to publicly masturbate, I hope used to, uh, with women. And he later said, I don't understand. I didn't understand the power dynamic. I didn't understand that these comedians were starting out and they were afraid of me. When you have kids, uh, you understand power dynamic. There are many ways. If you're a boss, if you're a good boss, there and there are power. There are people who are afraid of you or who look up to you and trust you. And if somebody trusts you, there's a power dynamic there. And you can be exploited and used. And it's malfeasance to to have a lot of followers and raise doubts about science and tell them to of do their own it research. It, you end up with dead people. Yeah, and the, the power dynamic thing, you know, one of the, I thought that one of the worst things that Hillary Clinton did when she was running was try to point to Monica Lewinsky as a kind of seductress without even thinking, because she kept saying, well, she was of age. That's not the point. She was of age, but he knew how to exploit her. And when Hillary said that, I just, I mean, I did vote for her, but I mean, it was very hard to do that. She should have condemned that. She should have pointed out in case Bill Clinton was foggy on the subject, that when you're the president of the United States and you have a 22 year old working for you and you, you say nice things about her and then you suggest she engage in oral sex with you, that's a power dynamic that should not happen. And people have got to grow up. And teachers have this. When I taught high school, there were there were women students who would come up and flirting. And I was in my 20s and they were 18 or 17 and they would just flirt. And you, you, you have to go stop that. You right. have to say that if you don't, then you as an adult male, you want to go back to kindergarten and learn some basic right. principles of right and wrong. Bill Clinton groomed half this more than half the electorate. He can certainly groom a uh, a 22 year old intern. He knows yes. exactly what he's doing. And, you know, the term check your privilege, check your power over another person. People don't like to admit that they have power over another person because it makes them uncomfortable. They don't want to believe that there are power dynamics at play, but there are. And, of course there are. And and the power dynamics can, can, you know, I've noticed with my kids, unfortunately, the power dynamics have shifted uh, the other way. I need them more than they need me. And uh, I wouldn't dare raise a voice to them. Power dynamics shift, but. Uh, it, need it, to you know what I found? The, the, the Clinton. Lewinsky thing, of course, was, I think it broke on the Drudge Report. Yeah, it's, but, it's the big, I, it's what everybody's talking about. They, there's some movie now on TV. 
Yeah, there is. And Monica Lewinsky was one of the producers of it and apparently likes it. And I am eager to see it. Uh, I'm frankly curious what, what it looks like. Because here's a woman who survived all of that. And the fact she couldn't even get a job because nobody wanted to hire her because of the baggage she brought with her. Like, she did it all. She was a seductress. Um, but I think the clergy in this country lost an opportunity when a bunch of right-wing uh, characters were holding a uh, televised on C-SPAN event, clergy discussing with you know, the, the whole Clinton-Lewinsky thing. And they couldn't find any progressive member of the clergy. But they did come to me, and I said yes. And I knew exactly what would happen. I knew that I'd be the lone voice, and I got more mail about that, about the fact that I participated. And I said that there was, it was inexcusable ethical misconduct on the part of President Clinton. And you would, you would think I had, uh, you know, in, insulted uh, Martin Luther King or something. Right. It, was, it was shocking. Right. But more people should have said that. And I remember, I actually, I knew a guy who was a good friend of one of Hillary's uh, sister, uh, brothers. And uh, he, he said the day after the story broke, he said, you want to talk to this, this brother? I said, the yes. And I, I said, what do you, I said, what do you think about this story? And this guy said, it's absolute bullshit because my sister would never, never have spoken to Bill again if she thought this was happening. I don't believe Now that was, yeah, I couldn't believe, well, I didn't believe it then, and I, I certainly didn't believe it as I thought about it two weeks and two months later. She knew what she was getting herself into. Of course she did. Hey, Ken Starr yeah. had a uh, an extramarital affair. A woman has come forward to warn us about Ken Starr, the, the Torquemada of the Monica Lewinsky scandal. And it turns out there was a woman who carried on a, like a two-year affair with him. And and while after the, the Clinton scandal, he went on to defend Jeffrey Epstein. He, he worked out the deal to make sure that Jeffrey Epstein, the, the, was it, I forgot the name of the uh, federal prosecutor that Trump made oh. Secretary of Labor. I, I want to say yeah, Azar or something, but, yeah. uh, you know, Ken Starr is part of this evan evangelical Christian Federalist Society, but he had no problem yeah. Uh, helping Jeffrey Epstein, and no. he said to his mistress, uh, "You want to help him? Uh, he's he's uh, raped underage girls, but he's promised to keep it over eighteen from now on, or something like that." Uh, while he was having an, I mean, Ken Starr, if you're a devout Christian, you're very forgiving of yourself. Right. You're a sinner. It's yeah, but you, well, it's more than that, because, you know, that if you're caught, you can always confess in a public way and you will be forgiven by God. 
And if you're forgiven by God, then there's no reason for any American to go, gee, this Ken Starr, why it's abominable. Because he can say, like uh, Jimmy Swagger, the famous you know, I have evangelist, I, I have sinned. But remember what happened there. The first time he said very publicly, I have sinned, and he cried on television. And people continued to give him money. When he was caught with the second prostitute in a different motel room, his handler said, don't confess again, just be quiet about it. And that's when he started to, he still hasn't lost all of his followers, but he started to really lose them. If you confess publicly and you're a Protestant, works a little differently in the Catholic Church. But if you're a Protestant, you've got to confess to the congregation. In his case, he did it on television. But once you start hiding it, then people start to say, I wonder if he's telling the truth. And then they start saying, maybe I shouldn't give him any money anymore. Religion. So do it publicly. When I, my sister uh, scanned the, the letter she got from the Orthodox Jews. And I'm thinking, I'm going to call this number. Like, over the weekend, I'm going to start calling this phone number. Uh, yep. I, I was thinking, uh, calling them and saying, you know, I, I got the first dose, and I've taken Jesus into my heart, Rabbi. If I take the second dose, what, what should I do? What, is there, would ivermectin cure me of Jesus? Well, how do I? I'll tape it, and uh, I want to. Unbelievable! Uh, religion is. Yeah, I've always been forgiving of it, of organized religion, but uh, the well, the. You know, the awakenings that we've had in this country, I think, always came from there was a we were talking about this like a couple of weeks ago. There was a, a, the, the 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 Millerists or the, the, the it, Millerites. There was a cataclysmic fire in Western New York, I think, in the 1820s. And so from that came a type of uh, uh Religion, right? Uh, Correct. That preached the return of Jesus and the whole On a specific day. Yeah, yeah. People turn to religion, you know, when uh, things are like this. Long lines for gas, food, and water. That kind of stuff. Heavy rain and deadly flooding. Yeah, people are going to turn to religion when they should turn to government. Uh, there was a famous uh, Catholic uh, nun named Sister Corita who used to do these kind of iconic uh, posters with messages. And when I went for my first real job, the guy sitting at the desk uh had a poster behind him of Sister Corita who said, if Jesus comes again, he'd better show up in the form of a loaf of bread. <laughs> I, so I knew this was a guy I wanted to work with. Uh -huh. 
The Reverend Barry W. And what do you uh, what movies, what books are you reading f during this last gasp of summer? Well, I want to. Uh, oh, well, last, I'm sorry. Is there something? You, yeah. Well, no, I mean, just last night I saw a film with Mark Marin, the comedian, and it's called uh, Sword of something. <laughs> See, I forgot. Right. But he would. Mark Maron, I think, is a terrible comedian, but I think he's a very good actor. And he was also in a movie that most people can stream now if they don't want to go back in the theaters about Aretha Franklin called Respect. And he plays one of the record producers that she worked with. And I think both of those were pleasant surprises for me. Because, good. as I said, I kind of go in to Mark Maron somewhat uh, recalling only kind of bad jokes of his. Right. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. That you think he's a bad comedian. No, I'm kidding. I'm just... No. Uh, yeah, you know, he I, is I a good do. actor. He was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you don't have to you don't have to comment on whether he's a good comedian. I think he's a fine comedian. OK, I do. I, it's a style that is not for everybody. Right. You know, but. Uh, it's a brave form of, I mean, he did, I think he did like a hundred Conans. Uh, really? Yeah. I mean, he, it was amazing. Fearlessly. Uh, sometimes comedy is like food. So. Uh, well, was there anything before you. I say goodnight to you? Is there anything else on your mind? Um. Here, there's one thing about, and I'd like to talk about this sometime as we do this sh show again. Um, I think the most important thing progressives need to do and insist that members that they support in politics do is cut the defense budget by 20 percent. Right. It's more important than phrases like, you know, uh, the Green New Deal, because if you freed up to just... Yesterday, the House Armed Services Committee increased the Biden budget, which had started out at $715 billion, to $740 billion. If you took 20% off of that, you'd have $148 million, if my math is right, $148 million to spend on things that matter instead of more people, more weapon systems. And uh, I'm, I really insist, I, I'm going to insist that people I vote for at least give serious consideration to a 20% cut. Military people have even written about why there's 20% worth of junk in the military budget. And I think they're right. And I think um, this ought to be a clarion call for progressives or so-called progressive politicians. I agree with you. That's my list. Okay. Twenty percent. Yep. I loved during Biden's speech declaring that we're out. He in order to explain what this whole thing cost, he quoted Brown University, not his own Pentagon. What does that tell you when the commander in chief is trying to explain the cost of a war. And he says, Brown University estimates the cost of this war 
and I, I watched and I went, wait a second, you should be telling Brown University what the war cost. You're the commander sure. in chief. The Pentagon should be able to tell us what the war in Afghanistan cost, but you can't audit the Pentagon. They don't no, know where the money is going. No, absolutely not. And um, it really know, I, uh, is a bust out mm -hmm. it, it's in the mafia. It's like when the Sopranos take over Davies sporting goods store and they just, you know, it's a bust out. That's what the pe Pentagon is. All these guys from Raytheon, McDonnell Douglas, yeah. they 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 go in and out through the revolving door and they just bust out. Yeah. They, they put everything on credit cards and and the bill comes due and they don't have to pay it. Uh, As Smedley Butler said, I was a racketeer. I was a gangster for capitalism. That's what Smedley Butler said. I was a gangster. Gangster. For capitalism. Well, the defense spending that they just got, that I just mentioned, the cost, according to uh, one of the uh, good government groups that follows budget stuff, they apparently spent $57 million just lobbying in the these first, what, seven months of the Biden administration to get that increase that wasn't needed in the first place. So, yeah, lobbyists do a lot of wonderfully terrible things. We had uh, have Lawrence Wilkerson on the Ralph Nader Radio Hour, and I'm mentioning this to, to set up the professors in Marianne, and then I want to check with Dan when he wants to do community billboard. But here, here's something that Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson said on the Ralph Nader Radio Hour, which you can d download as a podcast right now. I couldn't get over this. He was Colin Powell's chief of staff during the Bush administration. He said that when the towers came down, they were in a rage. They were like Rumsfeld and George W. Bush were consumed with rage. And I was thinking, well, you don't see that. They never present their rage. And I've always been comforted thinking, well, the reason they get elevated to the top is because you're only going to trust your weapons with people who can temper their rage, their rage issues. And no, they, they, they're just deceitful. They, they hid the rage from us. Of course. Uh, of course. You, well, you say, of course, you, you knew that? No, but of course they, they, you hide anything. Let me, I don't know if you can see this, but I'm going to pull it out of my uh, wastebasket here. Please tell me it's Can not the Bible. This? Please tell me you're not pulling the Bible out of the waste. No, no, no. Can you see this? No. no. It's, it's, everything's okay, blurry. Oh, yeah, I see him. I see him. Yeah. Okay, here's Adam. Forget that war begins with W. It's an essay written by Ben Terrace, who's apparently a writer for the Post, about how George Bush is. People are forgetting how evil he was except for uh, the woman from Code Pink that I used to always have on the radio. His name right. Was, but 
accepted. He's been rehabilitated by so many of his critics. And now he's been reduced to just an affable guy who goes in the Today Show with, of course, one of his daughters is one of the hosts. And they talk to him about interesting things, but nothing serious. And uh, I think it's a disgrace to rehabilitate a guy that in, in some ways was even worse for this country than Donald Trump. I don't think, uh, no doubt he was worse yep. than, because he was respectable. Yeah, Trump exactly. told you he was a pig. Thank you. Thank you. The Reverend Barry W. Lynn, go to barrywlynn.com. And uh, hopefully you'll pop in for office hours and hours and hours. First Friday of every month, office hours is 24 hours of office hours. So uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Thank you, the Reverend Barry. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Well, it's thank you. It's time for the professors and Marianne. And somebody's been busy learning After Effects. So I have to. Here we go. Next, the professors and Marianne. That almost looks good. Not quite. You'll notice. Oh, what's this? Okay, that's something else I did. Uh, we have a return. He's come back. Our prodigal professor. I like that. The prodigal professor has returned. Professor Ian Faluna joins us. He is a professor of atmospheric science. Professor Jonathan Bick is a political scientist. Professor Adnan Hussein is chairman of the religion department at Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario, and host of Guerrilla History. He's not a petty tyrant, but you once referred to yourself as a petty tyrant, and I and Professor Marianne Cummings is a physicist, a brilliant artist, and she is a parks commissioner for Aurora, Illinois. And uh, she was busy trying to get Nina Turner elected to Congress. She puts her feet where her mouth. That's not right. I was going to say. You don't put your feet in your mouth, but you walked the streets. Well, that doesn't sound right either. You knocked on doors for Nina Turner and you're putting your feet where your your mouth is or your mouth where your feet is. Or maybe I'm thinking of Alfred Hitchcock's fetish. The point I'm making is I have decided to play this clip because you're all experts and uh, I want to pl- just I've played this before and I want to play it again because uh, it's a good way to start. This is Thomas Friedman. Most of you have seen this. I hear Sam Cedar plays this as well. This is Tom Friedman on Charlie Rose. Right after we invaded Iraq in 2003, explaining why we went into Iraq. This is an authority. Thomas Friedman is a still a columnist, a well-respected columnist for The New York Times and an authority. And what they needed to see was American boys and girls going house to house from Basra to Baghdad. 
um, and basically saying, which part of this sentence don't you understand? You don't think, you know, we care uh, about our open society. You think this bubble fantasy, we're just going to let it grow. Well, suck on this. Okay. That, Charlie, was what this war was about. We could have hit Saudi Arabia. It was part of that bubble. Could have hit Pakistan. We hit Iraq because we could. That's the real truth. It's stunning. And after that, after listening to Ralph Nader and Colonel Wilkerson talk, and, and you, you listen to, to this impotent, physically impotent intellectual Thomas Friedman swagger using somebody else's kid, uh, there, there really is, I hate to bring the term toxic masculinity up, that, and somehow that's related to Iraq and Afghanistan, you can't separate that, can you? When you when you see Thomas Friedman swaggering that way, um, anybody? I remember that interview, David. He and Charlie Rose were like giggling like schoolgirls. So you know the idea of masculinity in that in that conversation is kind of laughable. Also, talk about bubbles. I mean, they live in the kind of media prestigious bubbles that allowed the uh, the Washington press corps to laugh at George W. Bush's jokes about weapons of mass destruction. Right. I mean, that's- they mu- I remember that they must be somewhere. He did it at the White House Correspondents Dinner. What level of sociopath do you have to be to find that funny? given what we even knew then about the suffering we were inflicting on those people. And is it different? Is it, you know, they always say uh, with, with, with the economy, when the economy is on fire, people will say this time it's different. It's going to last forever. And then it, it bursts. Uh, is this different the, the 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 loss in afghanistan do you think they're going to be able to do the stabbed in the back theory we lost this war politically the people at home didn't support it we fought this war with one armed tied behind our back it was uh, the wrong war for the right reasons remember hearing that about vietnam uh that the revisionists will step in. in instead of attacking the war as a as a thought exercise, what revisionist history are we up against? What what will they be saying? Or are they already saying uh, to make this war sound like it was noble and actually helped? the people of Afghanistan. What, what are we going to hear so that we can go to war again? We've already sort of heard it, right? Richard Engel was going on and on about he was in Afghanistan three weeks before and it was a republic. I'm going, what part of that? What, you know, hotel lobby were you hanging out in? 
where you you could make that assessment about the entire country. And now it's, you know, back to medieval times. And I'm like, you know, and I used to think of Richard Engel, since he is literate in that area, he does speak Arabic and he's, and I think he, he actually speaks, understands some Pashto. I mean, I don't, I couldn't believe he was saying that. I saw that video and he was just fit to be tied that we pulled out so suddenly. And possibly it's, I think they're all embarrassed. I mean, here's Richard Engel, you know, like ex- doing this exposition on Afghanistan. I thought, you didn't see this coming. I thought you've been to it. You go to Afghanistan regularly. You didn't report any of this to us. You know, so I think they're all sitting around, you know, trying to come up with a narrative that doesn't make them look like idiots. But uh, so it's already started. Yeah, I think they're going to do the same thing like they did with Vietnam, right? Like it was the liberals and the and the protests domestically that, that weakened us and, and forced the loss. But you got to remember when... when um, the guy with the Groucho mustache was saying that. I mean, the whole country kind of lost its mind after 9-11 in a, in a big way, in a really mass, um, psychotic manner. And I just don't think there's that fear in everyone to sort of up, uphold that kind of stupid warmongering. Did, did we lose our mind or did they take it from us? Yeah, it was very well engineered, absolutely. But I mean, the response was so obvious to see everyone falling in line with that, with that warmongering, because we had been attacked, and it was, it was shocking to everyone. And so, I and you weren't allowed to ask why. You weren't. No, the, the, uh, Rudy Giuliani, I think, gave a speech at the UN talking about moral relativism. Does anybody remember Rudy's speech at the UN saying that that this is evil? There's no moral relativism here, said the guy who eventually uh, saw nothing wrong with Donald Trump. It was black and white. It was good versus evil. And uh, and uh, I mean, it is evil to fly planes into the World Trade Center, obviously, but you're not allowed to ask. You know, it's like domestic abuse. You're not allowed to ask if you punch a woman, you're not allowed to ask why did you punch her? This is like zero tolerance, which I agree with. Although Bill Burr has a great routine about that. That is so amazing. I mean, they just shut off the debate about 9-11. Like, what, what, why did uh, Professor Hussein, your, your Professor Bick, any thoughts? About anything, I, I, by the way, anything, whatever's on your mind. Well, about Afghanistan uh, and, you know, how we responded in the wake of 9-11. Uh, I think that most Americans were genuinely shocked uh, first because they could see that they were vulnerable, uh, you know, with the, the media coverage and just the horror of the incident itself really uh, scared people, you know, on a primitive level. And 
the response did not have to be revenge and destruction of another country, right? But it was the uh, government that was in place at the time made sure that that was the response that was created. They they fostered it. They they fed it, and they said, you know, the, the only response is to go in there and. Uh, you know, destroy the country, essentially make them pay for what they did when it was not the government of Afghanistan that planned 9-11. It's unclear if they even knew that this was being planned at all. Uh, It was simply that um, Al-Qaeda had, you know, established itself in a country whose government was has all well for for many years has been in shambles and they don't have a you know tight control over the country you know what it is so, i'll tell you what it is professor a uh, a young girl about 17 asks if she can stay in your house and you don't know why and it's in texas and it turns out she's she goes out and gets an abortion and you put her up unwittingly and now you're out ten thousand dollars that's that's what the taliban that's who the taliban were they didn't know that a young girl was using their home to go get an abortion yeah i i think that's you know an interesting comparison because neither of those policies are uh you know dependable well, that, that's my retirement plan is well, moving to Texas yeah, and turning yeah. people in for abortion. I, I know you're always looking for a get rich quick scheme. Game, yeah, I don't know if that's if that's for you. I, yeah. Well, you could. I mean, Gitmo is filled with people who were just turned in on the battlefield for no reason. You can turn anybody in. I'm going to do what most most of the men at Gitmo were just the ancient grudges that were settled. So just turn in a uh, turn in. That's that's got a long and venerable history, even if you go back to the era of the Inquisition in Spain. You know, um, in Granada and southern Spain, post-conquest and forced conversion of the Muslims and also the, you know, forced conversion and expulsion of the Jews, those who had converted were under this kind of surveillance regime of the uh you know, Inquisition. But how did it actually end up working out? I mean, the Inquisitors didn't know who they should really be looking at. You've got this vast population of people. They can't distinguish who are the, you know, the bad Christians, the heretics. Um, And so they relied on informants, people reporting, oh, my neighbor did this. And I saw them, you know, like, you know, refusing to eat pork or, you know, they were doing something on a Friday night. Uh, you know, uh, they were lighting candles uh, at the wrong time or they were washing, you know, uh, doing these ablutions, you know, um, uh, 
you know, on on uh, not on Sunday, but on some other day. And so basically what it turned into is ways in which if you had a dispute with somebody um, over property, over, you know, various other kinds of issues, you could get immunity by reporting them to the Inquisition. And you find that this is exactly the same thing. The U.S. finds itself in Afghanistan. They're supposed to figure out who are the Taliban, who is Al Qaeda. They have no idea. They don't speak the languages. So who do they rely on? Locals. Which locals? The locals who are friendly and willing to come and work with them. And what do they get out of it? They get paid and they also get to wield this power to prosecute local factional disputes. And you find that this is constantly the way in which an occupying power is actually making many more enemies, both because of the brutal, extensive use of force. But then even when they're trying to be subtle and nuanced and use intelligence, they're completely captive to local concerns because they don't have any independent capacity capacity to you know figure out what's going on and so I think this is a quite an interesting issue in watching that clip, um, which we've seen before. And, um, and you're going to see it again. The Freedman. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, you know, Friedman and Rose at that moment, you know, they're responding and reacting in this very emotional sort of way that we were hurt. We had to hurt back. So it was merely vengeance and it was this kind of reactive, emotional uh, kind of um, attitude. But the same kind of logic still worked with those who were these cooler geopolitical, geostrategy type people who made the argument that, you know, if we didn't have a substantial military response to this attack on the U.S., it would be a form of appeasement. Let's trot out again our World War II, the, everybody's favorite history to use and pretend that this was Islamo-fascism, which was like fascism of the World War II. And you, what did we learn? We learned that, you, you know, Neville Chamberlain was weak and he appeased Hitler in Czechoslovakia and the Sudetenland. And that's what caused the war. So what we needed to be was Churchillian and argue for military response from the outset. And so I was reading... Um, you know, The Economist, uh, I've admitted to uh, relying upon it sometimes for a good, quick roundup on international news because they do have good global coverage, but that you have to best. read it. Yeah, you have to read it carefully, but hey, it's got good coverage. I am now reconsidering this because one of the great things about The Economist was they'd had no bylines. You just had. You're talking about Henry Kissinger? I am talking about the series that they have commissioned, you know, to talk about basically what has precipitated a major crisis in the neoliberal global establishment about the U.S. pullout in Afghanistan that has led The Economist, which is the chief organ of that sort of class of interest, the Davos set, um, you know, to have Henry Kissinger write, Francis Fukuyama, and my bet noir here, Neil Ferguson, who is a historian who really started off in finance and banking history, but decided, you know, to pontificate 
build in a massive successful career basically about advising the U.S. on the basis of British imperial history and saying you have to take up the place of the British Empire during its era and you have to learn the lessons of the British British imperial history. And so he wrote his column, you know, here is basically you know, saying you have to, uh, this is terrible. There are going to be consequences, you know, geopolitically, uh, China, Russia, all other sorts of bad actors are going to be emboldened by the U.S. pullout because this is a show of weakness. And, you know, basically he wrote this book, Colossus, which was like the, the, the book itself was a colossus. It was so long and basically just retailing the same old bromides, but here in a little fancier historical language with analogies to Britain and Britain's experience saying you can have guns and butter. I remember this like article in the New York Times, one of his opinion pieces. Oh, we've reached a new age. You can have guns and butter. You don't have to choose, you know. Uh, but then now he's writing in this, you know, in this piece. Oh, American debt is really going to sink it. And, you know, this is, a, this is something that the British Empire didn't have. They didn't have quite the same levels of debt. And, you know, this U.S. debt is even more sensitive to rises in interest rates. And this is going to really cause it all kinds of problems. But he's saying basically the same thing he and others like him were saying about 9-11. And also when they were whipping up, you know, uh, the Iraq war, I noticed that in this column, he also, you know, talks about, you know, too many dreams and fantasies of, of, of the Americans like the neoconservative fantasies. Like, excuse me, you were extremely pro-war. Right. You were, you know, doing the same thing, saying you can have this fantasy of guns and butter. Don't worry about it. Can you I just, just interrupt? I'm sorry. I, I take exception, Professor. I, uh, <laughs> I think when you look at the morbid obesity problem in America, he he's right. We we got guns and just butter. That's <laughs> he, he, he was right. Just butter. I think you're onto something because he his favorite um, approach is to say we got to learn the lessons from the British Empire. However, I know Americans won't learn the lessons from the British Empire right. because you know they're fat, lazy, you know, etc. They don't want to travel and go make these sacrifices. There's not enough manpower that's willing to go colonize elsewhere, and they've got all these problems. So I'm giving you this advice, you know, that you should take. But I'm a pessimist and know that you probably won't do it. And so that's, uh, you know, his approach, uh, I think, is... Does he think colonizing these countries helped those countries? Yes. I mean, he his first major breakthrough book that was very popular and well, popular. I mean, it was, you know, got him on all the sort of Charlie Roses and, you know, these things in the 9-11 era was this book called Empire, which is where he basically said, on balance, the British Empire was a global force for good, at least during this period in the 19th century when it was a liberal empire. Later, maybe it became an oppressive empire and all that. But there's the chance. 
Democrats of being a liberal empire where you establish free markets and, uh, you know, you integrate the world uh, and you create peace. Yes, you have to be a military power and go and kill a lot of people. But in fact, you don't have to kill that many if you do it right. And that was what was good before the 1856, you know, so-called mutiny or rebellion is that, you know, they didn't have to you know, kill as many people. And after that, they had to start killing many more people. And that's unfortunate. But on balance, they built, uh, you know, railroads and they did things. And these countries benefited and improved. And also it built democratic institutions because it gave them common law and a court system and all of this. And again, the U.S. has to learn to be more aggressive about establishing these structures globally because the world needs it. And if it doesn't do that, then we're going to have China and the Soviet Union rising, and that's the worst that could possibly happen. So now he's arguing that, um, you know, we're going to face a situation in Taiwan, a possible war, but if we were stronger in opposing China now, we might be able to avoid a Taiwan war because it's just going to embolden. If we, you know, pull out of Afghanistan, it's, they're going to think we're weak, and so that's going to embolden them, and we'll end up having a violent end to U.S. empire. And so this is the, everyone's talking about how it's the end of U.S. empire, and it could be violent. That's his whole that's the title of his piece. And what they don't realize is that the U.S. has had an empire for a long period of time. It already was declining. And the, the Iraq War was a sign of the end of U.S. empire, not like Michael Ignatiev and Neil Ferguson were arguing the need to establish an empire. That was really when it was declining. And of course, it's violent. That's why we've been going around invading, you know, all these countries and killing people is because the only advantage we have now now is our military, the economy, you know, has been sacrificed. Our, our economy is reoriented around the military, industrial, surveillance and security complex. That's all we've got. And um, what, of course, happens when you have people uh, who believe that their country is the greatest country ever, is the world's greatest superpower. But you know what? You still can't find a decent job to support your family. You know, uh, you know, white male masculinity is under attack and you're not getting what you deserve. You've been told your whole life you deserve the best because you are in the best country. You get ang very angry people who yes. are ready to lash out at yes. the rest of the world. And that's what we've been doing. And at each other. Declining. And at each other. And at each other, of course. Yes, of course. What I don't get is, is the Republicans don't want us to have abortions and they don't want us to pull out. Like, what kind of fun are we supposed to have? Oh, OK. I, you know what? I'm going to. OK. Very funny. The, uh, Professor Ian Faluna has been away for a while. Yeah, I've okay? been having too much fun. All right. So, Professor Marion Cummings, Professor Bick, circumstantial evidence. This is like the Wuhan lab leak. OK. Atmospheric scientist, Professor Ian Faluna, hasn't been here, right? But we've had flash floods in New York City. We've had, let's see. Heavy rain and deadly flooding. Mm-hmm. That happened while you were gone. California's raging Caldor fire exploding to more than 200,000 acres. 
56 million under alert. Does anybody see a pattern here? I, I, I noticed that Professor Faluna, atmospheric scientist, missing in action for three weeks. The tornado emergency. Mm hmm. A trail of destruction as the extreme weather pushes into the northeast. A community nearly wiped off the map. What what were you doing? Well, yeah, Professor, what kind of little gate of function type <laughs> projects do you and your other fellow scientists have been up to, huh? I call it the, I call it the butterfly effect. I've been flapping my wings a lot. Project butterfly, okay. I mean, you go away for three weeks and it, it uh, Professor Bick, did you get flooded? I, uh, we had a lot of rain, but uh, not too bad, not too much flooding, at least in my area. Uh, I, in all serious though, seriousness, though, David, I, I wanted to suggest that we sanction Professor Faluna uh, for living his life and enjoying it, uh, <laughs> rather than talking about persistently depressing topics all the time. <laughs> Yes. Would that be allowed on the David Feldman show? No, of course not. I'm holding down the fort here. Uh, I found out mice can swim. I kept thinking, oh, all the mice and the rats are going to drown. This is and then somebody told me, no, they can swim. All mammals can swim. They're good swimmers. Well, so did they swim up to your uh, floor? David? You know, I have they've always it, been there. It, it Anyway, I don't want to talk about my I didn't see anything until I turned the T. I'm in an air shaft. So, Professor Faluna, we've hit rock bottom <laughs> with the climate. Yeah. And now we bounce back up. We've seen the worst of it this week. Mm. Right. I, I doubt it. No, tell us what we want to hear. Not tell us what we want to hear, not what we need to know. Well, I mean, I, I came with a story about uh, the meteorological impacts on COVID spread because I came across this article in the past couple of weeks that I thought was really fascinating. Wow. But I don't want to bore you. you, mean, you no, can, no, you please, 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 please. Yeah, so this, um, these researchers at MIT, um, they, they took a year's worth of data from like 56 countries so March of last year to March of this year and the COVID cases uh, per capita in, in these different countries. And, you know, they're looking towards if this does become an endemic, meaning it becomes sort of like a seasonal flu, like the 1918 pandemic did. They were looking for environmental factors that seem to correlate with, with the pandemic or the spread of COVID. And so, you know, in the mid in the in the uh, mid latitudes and temperate climates, you have generally winter time is the flu season, and so you could explain that with temperature and humidity in one way. But they also find that in the tropics, it's it's quite the opposite that the the um, viruses tend to replicate and are transmitted um, in greater uh, numbers when they during the monsoon season, so during the warm wet season. So what they did was they stumbled on this interesting parameter, which we use in cloud physics, which is how rapidly a droplet will evaporate. That is how, how, what is the rate at which it's losing surface area? 
to be specific. And it's a relatively simple uh, equation that was established by Maxwell over a hundred years ago, you know, so it's, but it's nonlinear is the thing. So it's not just a matter of like temperature goes up, this goes up or relative humidity goes up, this goes down. It's a nonlinear function. And so what they found was that there's this really strong correlation. If you take that parameter, this like how rapidly do droplets evaporate, they call it air drying capacity. And then the UV index. And they looked at this in these, and they looked at five countries specifically where the, where their policies didn't change much throughout the year in terms of, dealing with the pandemic. Um, and, and what they found was this very strong relationship between those two parameters. So when the UV is high, the pandemic uh, numbers are, are much lower. And when this air drying capacity is high, the droplets shrink a lot, or shrink rapidly, I should say. And that also um, is correlated with low levels of, of the COVID spread. So that was fascinating because originally I was thinking, well, you know, if your droplet comes out and evaporates, that means it's smaller, which means it actually can move through the atmosphere farther. And so I kind of thought it would be the opposite. They, they kind of just stumbled on this relationship. They're not exactly sure why this is the case. Of course, it's not the only case because all the social factors and distancing and masking are all very important. But they tried to control for that, and they found that these two environmental variables could explain that the, the um, seasonality in the temperate climates – where it's the winter is the peak, and also in the tropical climates where the warm, wet season is the peak. And so I thought that was really fascinating kind of um, convergence of what I'm interested in, like cloud physics. And uh, they, they just happened to stumble upon these two variables that are, um, that are strongly, seem to strongly control it. So I thought that was kind of a fun, fun story. So it's the relationship between climate change and the severity of COVID. Henry Huckamacki, uh, you hear the angels singing? I just said Henry Huckamacki. <laughs> Did he get his wings? Did he get his, he got his wings? wings yeah. Yeah. Said that uh, COVID is a result of climate change. The zoonotic leaps are more likely because the animals are coming down from the mountains or wherever and mingling with humans. Uh, anybody want to as well, on, on on that, um, you know, basically, uh, that sounds like a lot of highfalutin ways of saying sunlight and fresh air. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's during the Spanish flu, people discovered, uh, you know, just through observation that, um, you know, you had much less transmission of the virus um, if you, you know, held your classes so they had classes outside uh, even medic, kids, medic tents and things outside yeah got sun and had nice air circulation and that was the best way to deal with it well so this is a little beyond that because the air circulation thing absolutely true but this was this just looked at the ambient environment so it didn't look at conditions inside buildings and things where you presume a lot of the transmission occurs so it's a definitely a limited study but um I just thought it was fascinating that they found such a strong relationship with these relatively simple environmental yeah. variables. So Interesting. Well, uh, Professor Bick. Oh, go ahead, Professor Marion. I had one question, uh, Professor Ian. So uh, I contend now that it's no longer worry. Climate is no longer changing. It's changed 
past tense, what do you think? I mean, I, I, is it at all recoverable? Or we're just going to have to like adapt? Uh, on our lifetime scales, we have to adapt. It may be recoverable, but that's sort of a 50 to 100 year timeline. Yeah, the you know, UN I mean, reports said the next 30 years are just going to be a nightmare. No matter what we do, the next 30 years are going to be bad, according to the UN report, right? Yeah, it's going to be very, very, uh, it's going to be very trying times, absolutely. And but I mentioned according this to about, Star Trek mythology, also, by the way. According to what? Star Trek? Star Trek mythology, the 21st century sucked. We barely got through it. Learned nothing from the 20th century. Hmm. Oh, man, oh, the 20th century sucked. We're in for it. But I mentioned this before when it came to, like, the ozone hole. Like, we, we took action on that about 20 years ago, right? And we are seeing it recover, but it's very slow. And the ozone hole won't be filled in, so to speak, for another 50, 60, 70 years. So even if we do stop all emissions and we do figure out ways to draw down CO2 by naturally sequestering it in certain places, um, the impacts are going are gonna to be at our, at our doorsteps and our ocean steps, um, yeah, for the next 50 years. There's just no way around it. I, just I mean, keep thinking it's still, of- yes, it's true. But like that, like that uh, Chinese proverb, or is it Turkish proverb? No matter how far you've gone down the wrong path, turn back. <laughs> like you know, you don't want to just keep going down the bad track because it's just going to get worse and worse. So, yeah, we're in for it. But you know, we are adaptable and creative, and we can probably do things. But we have to start uh, taking care of everyone. You know, thinking of it as a global thing, because it's not a local thing. We all are dealing with it in different ways, and all of our emissions are contributing to it. You can't just do it on a, on a small scale. It has, to, it has to force us to work communally and globally. Did Newton say things in motion stay in motion, Professor Marianne Cummings? Yeah, that's... Yes, yes, he did. Uh, unless you stop it. Unless confronted with an opposite force. Yep. Right. Interesting. And he also said for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? So. Right. Yep. Right. Said that too. Yep. <laughs> uh, you need a real nutcase. Yeah. <laughs> Professor Bick? Yes, What's on your well, mind, David, I, I wanted to point out that uh, the federal uh, top-up of unemployment benefits is ending September 6th, which uh, just happens to be Labor Day. So happy Labor Day to everyone who's unemployed. Wow. Um, so the, the, that was a uh, $300 a week increase in unemployment benefits. And... I don't think people realize how stingy uh, most states are when it comes to unemployment benefits. Um, the average unemployment benefit is about $475 a week. And uh, most states the put a limit of 26 weeks on that. So that's a total benefit of $12,350. Not a lot of money. Uh, to live on if you can't find a job within that period of time, or even if you can within that period of time. 
the highest is uh, $855 a week, which comes out to about $22,000. And the lowest is uh, $235, which is a $6,000 benefit. And that's the extent of it. Um, and some states have actually lowered the amount of weeks that they pay unemployment benefits. Uh, Florida has lowered it to a maximum of 12 weeks, and they have a maximum benefit of $275. I mean, it's really an insult to people, you know, when they lose their job and they probably lose their health care along with that. Um, so, uh, you, you know, we're just punishing people uh, for not having a job because of the predictable um, cycles of capitalism, which produces these financial and um, business crises every seven to 10 years. And we're punishing them in, in this case because of a global pandemic. I mean, it's absolutely insane. So we, we should keep that $300 a week uh, benefit. But I would also say that we should um, implement a, um, a a monthly payment for everyone, so universal income of somewhere between fifteen hundred and two thousand dollars a month, uh, so that people are less desperate uh, and can be less easily exploited in the workplace and in the labor market and give people a chance to find a job that is commensurate with their skills, education, and uh, that is meaningful to them. You know what I found out? Reagan uh, introduced a, a tax on Social Security. Yes, he did. I, I can't believe... I, I could not believe that. Well, also on student loans. The tax on, on student, um, you know, uh, aid grants. Yes. If you received a Pell Grant and yeah. other uh, scholarships, you had to pay for the first time was during Reagan's era. Oh, that I, I almost I remember that. that. Yeah. Because I remember as a graduate, as, as somebody working on a thesis experiment after, you know, passing my qualifiers and doing all the having all the classes, I was getting about twelve thousand dollars a year in the mid 80s. Ooh, you were living rich. Ooh, That's yeah. Big money on the Actually, physics, that physics was big students money. were better supported than most. And I will. Otherwise, you would not have physics PhDs. But um, the tuition was always waived from the University of Michigan. And that was even back then was like six, several thousand dollars a semester. So suddenly I was about to get hit with a tax rate as if I were making like, you know, twenty two thousand dollars a year or more. And somehow the University of Michigan lawyers finagled that. So they, they rebranded my income stream as a fellowship. And so that didn't count as like 
regular income or something. Something. Um, there were some, you know, finaglings that had to happen. I remember mm-hmm. the same period at Deep Springs College. You know, you didn't pay tuition and you received free room and board and, you know, the full thing. And we suddenly were concerned that we would have to pay taxes on that as an income benefit because of Reagan's new new regulations. I think we found ways around it. But, you know, this was pretty... Um, Pretty insane, you know, really punitive. Um, He paid for his tax cuts by raising new taxes. It it was a shell game. Uh, In fact, the the tax raises were on the poor and the uh, working class. But to and the tax cuts were disproportionately benefiting the upper class. That's what they don't talk about. The thing that I found so. I didn't know this. To tax Social Security, to to tax, put a tax on Social Security benefits, and then say the estate tax is double taxation. They they say these poor billionaires and millionaires, when they die, they get taxed again. They were already so there is literally something called a Social <laughs> Security tax. That's where and and I, I just think, I don't know. I guess when they wrote the Powell memo, they never realized how successful they could be. I, I don't think they thought they could have it all, but they're 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 getting all of it. I mean, how could you um, count that as income anyway? I mean, uh, presumably you've paid that money in. It's a pension, you know, it's it's money that you've already paid in. So um, it's it's your money that you're receiving back, you know, in some sense. You know, it's not income that you're that you're generating. It's, um, you know, a scheme where. You pay for some people to receive a benefit and later generations pay for you to receive a benefit when you're no longer actually earning income. That's the whole point. It's like you have no income because you're not employed at that point in, uh, in retirement. So Reagan basically went after the young and the old. You know, I mean, he targeted both groups where um, they really don't make much income. You know, you're at college age, a student, and if you receive a grant, that's not really income. And likewise, um, Social Security. So, um, And he yeah. did it with the full cooperation of a Democratic Congress. Oh, yes, that's the, right. Tip O'Neill. Tip O'Neill. Speaker of the House. Tip O'Neill. For how many years was, was that <laughs> phrase, uh, Speaker of the House, Tip O'Neill? Like, he, there was no other Speaker of the House. It was like 20 years he was... Mm-hmm. And they called him Tip because he only gave fifteen percent. <laughs> I don't know, that's or twenty percent. I should also point out, David, that uh, unemployment compensation is taxed, which is just that's another tax. That's a, that's double taxation, right? I mean, technically, I think the uh, the employer pays the. Um, the premiums for unemployment uh, yeah, benefits, but, but, it, course, but it, makes, it makes no sense. Why? Why would you have someone pay tax on something that is is essentially an insurance policy uh, against becoming unemployed, and and they have to pay that uh, during a year 
or right afterward a year where they've been unemployed and, and most financially vulnerable. It's insane to do that. Can, can you imagine your like half a million dollar like cancer treatment being taxed as income? <laughs> can you? That's about as much sense as that makes. Is, is, so. I don't understand the thing. Is it if you're a multimillionaire, your complaint, the joke always is you can't find good help anymore, right? And that becomes a serious problem. That's what they complain about. They complain about the nannies. They complain about their employees. And so is it a concerted effort? I mean, it is. I mean, I mean, they're, what am I talking about? Of course it is. It's just they want, the ruling class wants us grateful for any scraps. It's, I know it's tired and hackneyed. I just don't believe that anybody could be that evil and manipulative. But they truly, that's what they say. You know, I can't, right now they're complaining that they, I own a restaurant, I can't find a waitress, I can't find a waiter, I can't find anybody. That's because of the unemployment insurance. Get rid of it, suddenly they'll go back to work. I mean, it, it re, they have said that out loud mm -hmm. in, the, in the well of the Senate. People need to say to that, uh, well, pay them $15, $20 an hour to do their work. Uh, give them a set amount of hours every week rather than being on on call mm -hmm. or giving them 15 20 hours a week uh you know improve the conditions of their labor and they'll show up You'll, you won't have a shortage but well, they want to maximize the profit they draw out of these people's work and out of their businesses Look, they had the similar complaint about, oh, we have a lack of STEM workers. Remember that a few years ago? Science, technology, engineering, math, as many of my colleagues could not find jobs in their fields. Well, we had a shortage of, high, was, of was highly educated engineers and scientists willing to work for slave wages. That's what we had an acute shortage of. And they always wanted to, like, lift the, the cap on the people that could come in from China and India as a result. You know, so it's, uh, you know, it's it's worker exploitation. And I think progressives, you always kind of run into the, you know, anti-immigrant sort of sentiment if you if you espouse that. It, but I think the basis of it has to be worker exploitation and the real culprits are the employers and the, you know, and, and, and the politicians who have been supported by the donors. In the sweep of history, mm. this country, losing the empire, we... Uh, we we don't stop with the military, right? We we keep going. We we continue to live with less, and then we're told more lies. And this is this is how it's going to go. We're going to be told more and more lies because we can't get off the teat of arms manufacturing that's it's a wartime economy so they have to just keep lying to us biden who i you know 
he's a wonderful liar. And uh, I thought his speech was a great, you know, it was pretty good about explaining. But he's talking about we can still fight these wars, but with less of a footprint. You know, we don't need to send our blood and treasure overseas. Now we can do it from beyond the horizon. That's the new term they're using. For yeah, drones. that's the phrase that's creeping into the talking points now over the horizon type of war. As we were talking about this last time, uh, uh, Obama had withdrawn combat troops too much fanfare back at the end of 2014. We all remember that. Uh, what they didn't mention was that they were going to keep the drones in place. They were going to keep the ability to strike and they were going to keep special ops going, except that wasn't mentioned at the time. And that fiction went along until the um, Doctors Without Borders run hospital in Kunduz was bombed in 2015. I mean, bombed repeatedly. Even as they had told, you know, like the the military command out there that this said, hey, there's a hospital. They told the government. Everybody knew that this hospital was there nonetheless. You know, so, um, yeah, uh, there's plenty of wars that they're already ginning up right now. Yeah. There's Syria that they really want to do, quote unquote, right. There's Somalia. I have no idea why we're bombing there. There but, was a. Uh there was I have a clip somewhere, but there was some general from the Pentagon addressing the drone strike on the ISIS K terrorists who supposedly orchestrated the attack on our uh, 13 soldiers. And uh, was it 13 or 14? I, I apologize. No, no, it was like over what, 120 uh, Afghanis. Right. So he said, uh, you know, the attack uh, on the the terrorists was done beyond beyond through beyond the horizon. He wouldn't say a drone. And uh, we we fired on the terrorists and we, we made the kill. Uh, we didn't know that there was ammunition in the car. There was a secondary explosion as a result, which may or may not have caused civilian deaths, which are regrettable. And we are now looking into that to see if there were any. And I thought, how are you looking into it? You've taken all the troops out of Afghanistan. So you're going to look into it how? Over the horizon, beyond the horizon, you're going to use the same drone operator who didn't know that there was ammunition in the back seat of that car that would create a secondary explosion, but he had a chest full of metals. And, you know, he just said with, you know, we, we regret all loss of civilian life and we will look into this. Oh, okay. The military is going to investigate. And everybody goes, Oh, how? Okay, good. Nobody asks how, uh, It really, I mean, reading Christopher Hedges and about the decline of empire, uh, it's so depressing. It's going to be one lie after another. I was in the post office yesterday and I was having a bad day. First world problems. Just 
lost three hours of the day trying to mail something. And at the post office, there was a 20-minute wait. And at one point, I thought, you know what? I, I can be an a-hole and raise my voice and just say, excuse me, is anybody... Do you have more than one person? You know, I, I could be the old cranky Jew there, or whatever. Uh, that's what, you know, everybody has that moment where they can't take it anymore. And they kind of just exercise the right to be obnoxious and scream. That's scream. Just go, is there anybody else who's going to work here? I've been waiting here for 20 minutes. And I thought in this day and age they could walk up to me and have me arrested as a threat. Like, a, like you're, you're, I'm sorry, we, we don't feel safe with you talking that way. We've called the police. And it, like Professor Hussein was talking about turning in, you know, informing on people that the, it, the erosion of our civil liberties will be so subtle. It's already started. I just was like a sheeple standing there. I thought I should complain, but I'm afraid now that uh, how many times have I heard over the phone? I don't like your tone of voice from a customer service person. And I would I was going to make a joke. You don't like my tone of voice. I just called you a mother and you don't like my tone of voice. Why aren't you listening to what I just called you? I have tapes of me with customer service, and I don't know if I should play them or not. I think people would hate oh, me. Oh, those need to be the interludes between segments. I think we need yeah. to have some sampling. You can put a soundtrack behind it if you want, but at least I, use those. Yeah. I, David, you should be complaining about why we don't fund the post office better. I know. I That's why I'm reluctant. I. I agree with you on that. I love the post office. Very quickly, Alan Minsky is here. Uh, Professor Marianne, uh, what is on what is on your agenda? Oh, very brief. Anybody want to talk about abortion? Um, <laughs> Why is that in the news? You know, I, I, David Sirota had an interesting article about that. Uh, you know that basically the so the Roe v. Wade was uh, ruled in 1973. That's a long time ago. But since that time, the Democrats in Washington have never bothered to codify the president as a federal law, even when they had complete control of the White House and, and Congress several times. They never bothered to do it. Uh, it. My guess is that Nancy Pelosi will not call her house back for an emergency session to, you know, force uh, evictions, to, to force legislation. I think. The Democratic leadership is seeing this as a fundraising bonanza. I don't think they have no more interest in resolving this issue than the Republicans have in completely scraping Roe v. Wade. It just is a perennial fundraiser. So that's what they're doing right now. They're not going to do anything, but they're going to tell us to keep voting blue no matter who as the world burns up and the empire collapses. So, you know. Uh, I don't know what we do to change this. Maybe if uh, make their know, lives miserable fundraising notices from the squad, maybe, you know, I try to like answer back and say, hey, guys, you know, when are you going to use your your power as a voting block to do anything at all? 
Right. Right. The I was surprised uh, Kavanaugh didn't want to overturn Texas's uh, abortion bill because uh, they won't allow any exceptions in the case of rape. I was I just wanted to uh, squeeze that one in before you mm -hmm. all said I just wanted to do my Kavanaugh joke. Just wedge that in. Just shoot that off. Yeah, that was. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I just got a wedgie. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the Texas. Yeah. That they are. They do have it in their constitution that they can leave, right? Is that true? Leave the union. Leave, they could leave the union. I believe they claim that it's in their constitution that they can sustain. Good, except we get to keep Austin and maybe, you know, San Antonio. Wouldn't it be the worst thing to hive off Texas? I have a lot of friends in Texas, but. Uh, yeah, it's been Mexico. It'll be Mexico again. I mean, you know. If, if uh, we did that, uh, very unlikely we'd ever have a Republican president again. And we never have to listen to Beto or Beto again. <laughs> so just get rid of Texas. That's don't mess with Texas. Do all your exes live in Texas, David? Uh, what about that? <laughs> Telling Texas to get out. Interesting. Oh yeah, Texas Tom. Yeah, we better, we should ask him about that. But he's not in Texas anymore. Yeah, he doesn't live in Texas. <laughs> Where does he live? I didn't know that. Milwaukee. Wisconsin, I think. Wisconsin. Oh. All right. Well, Professor Adnan Hussein, everybody should listen to Guerrilla History. Professor Marianne Cummings, the next senator from the great state of Illinois. Professor, Professor Jonathan Bick. Uh, we didn't see Bella today. No, I locked her out of my office today. Sorry. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, Ian, Professor Ian Faluna, it's great to have you back. Thanks. Good to see you all. Thank you. Thank great you. Great to see well. you. Well, you are listening to the David Feldman Show. I hope to see you all at office hours and hours. What hath God wrought, Professor Harvey J.K., office hours and hours Friday night at eight, and it goes around the clock. And you wouldn't believe what this thing has turned into. People teaching, dance parties, and it's, uh, anyway. Professor Harvey J.K. is author of Take Hold of Our History, which uh, they are doing to us. They're taking our history. And he's also written FDR on Democracy and is besides being a leading expert on Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he's also an expert on British, Marxist British historians. British ballet, I think. British is. ballet. And Alan Minsky <laughs> is executive director of Progressive Democrats of America. This is the last gasp of our summer. And there's really no vacation there's no 
rest for the weary, is there? No, it's been a pretty heavy working summer for us at PDA and for those of us who've been in the political following the political game in the United States. And boy, about what about a week ago, maybe when Ida hit New Orleans, the number of issues that were so massive in the news cycle, so many national crises, international crises going on, then the Texas, the Supreme Court not touching the Texas legislation. It's just coming in waves. And uh, certainly um, a lot of things signifying a broad social crisis are in place. And one of the things I've been thinking a lot about, and I thought there's been some sort of a growing wave of commentary on is you know, how much appetite uh, exists in contemporary American society for democratic self-rule if you are talking about really changing the equation. And I think people want to see something change, um, but what are the mechanisms for achieving it? And how hard is the blowback when you try to achieve change, even though it has mass popular support? And I think those are the things we're looking at right now. Um, I thought actually there was an interesting piece by a guy named Matt Stoller who would make a very animated guest on this show. Monopoly, he writes about Monopoly, right? Yeah, but he was talking about Afghanistan. And just, you know, one of the things about something like Afghanistan is, you know, nobody's surprised that, that it was they were telling us complete bullshit the whole time. Of course, they were doing it during Vietnam as well, but the media coverage was a little different then. Uh, it would, um, no doubt wasn't perfect. I'm sure if you were in the midst of it in the 1960s, the coverage on Cronkite and all those shows was not adequate and, and was skewed, but uh, it was nothing like we've seen ever since the Vietnam War in terms of not allowing the public access to seeing what the U.S. military is going through and how things were going. And um, But it's not just in foreign policy. I mean, the public's sense that this is just you know, people are exploiting the system, screwing people, that there's no very difficult, if impossible, to get any kind of change through the political system. Um, You're you know, talking about Afghanistan think, or here? That you Here, too. And yeah. I think in, in the United States, um, I do think, um, and the way I look at the, the Sanders and post-Sanders uh, effort to, you know, go one more time into the Democratic Party and to try to change things, I mean, of course, you don't know the future. You can't call it the last shot because if we in this wave fails and doesn't achieve the kind of change we're hoping to see in the society, even with all the you know, people under 40 supporting it overwhelmingly and so on, um, then, uh, then you know, where do we go from here in terms of a you know, so-called democratic society? But, um, you know, there probably won't be any better prospect for it other than engagement with the Democratic Party going forward. But, you know, Marion Cummings and, and, you know, and what you were just exchanging about, you know, and, and every framing around the realities of the Democratic Party and their sort of class interests and political interests being separate from the people or different than the people. Of course, that's so true. And it's a it's a real struggle to try to change that. They really, uh, Professor Harvey J.K., the the Democratic leadership doesn't understand their constituents. They're, they They don't understand how they could possibly be happy the people they're 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 asking for the vote from people who they couldn't why would you want to live that way obama pelosi the clintons they, they shake hands with people whose lifestyle is not only alien to them but repugnant well i i mean I always thought voting was a matter of 
voting for the worst for the le- you know the, the less if, if voting for the lesser evil basically because they right. never the right choices were never there and bernie was a rarity in my in the many years i've had the chance to vote right. but but you know it's interesting I, I mean lots of in the course of a day and i think this week has been the last couple of weeks have been among the most depressing imaginable what happened in new york with the hurricane from louisiana to new york um if that doesn't tell you something look even it, I mean, all you have to say to yourself is whether whether the planet's in decay or not, clearly there's something wrong with the way in which we've developed our infrastructure and ignored it. Okay, I mean, in that sense, Um, you know, but in response to what you were just saying, I was thinking back to the yeah, to the founders. And I was and there was a uh, the ideology of the day was republicanism with a small r. And so there are those historians who actually have sort of off the cuff remarked that uh, republicanism in its day was the Marxism of the 20th century. And what they meant is that was that was the radicalism of the day in ideological terms. And one of the things about republicanism is that it demanded for there to be a republic that those who are representatives or in any case, the political elite have to be able to rise above their interests. That is, and the key term was virtue, which I know, I mean, in the in this age of, of cynical thinking that we live in, the word virtue itself must just grate upon people when they hear it. But that was in contrast to, to what some people have called liberalism in its day, which said basically the development of anything requires people pursuing their interests, okay? You get liberated to pursue your interests. But that idea of virtue is is so, so, so completely removed from Democratic Party politics. I mean, the Republicans are just so over the edge. It's I don't even it's not even worth talking about it. But with the Democrats, the, the posturing is as if they represent the public interest is really, really extraordinary. And. There is right now clearly a, a struggle underway inside the Democratic Party to what extent the forces of good will prevail over the forces mm-hmm. of evil. I just don't know, but I can tell. But I'm sure Alan would agree that it, it's as if it's as if everything's hanging on these infrastructure bills right now. Like, you know, like if they can't do this, there's no way they can do anything. And and at the same time. I got really, I mean, I, I felt like somebody punched me and, and I'm not a woman, obviously, but I felt like I was punched with this law in Texas and the Supreme Court's refusal to recognize the unconstitutionality of it, this this legislation in Texas, you know. Um, so this has been to me, a, a, in my mind, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, just a terrible, terrible week. And uh and then when you said that this was going to be a, a office hours and hours, I thought, oh, he's turning Labor Day weekend into a laborious weekend. Right. What is this? <laughs> uh, indulge me one sidebar, because I've always been confused by this. Yeah. Repu- Republicanism is Jeffersonian? Um, but he's the... Well, Jeff, this, this, is, this is an interesting biographical debate about him, and that was... Was Jefferson a liberal or a Republican? Small L, small R. Okay, and it's and there were there are historians who showed up on on either side of the argument. Um, the main thing is that there were times in which Jefferson sounds like a, a 
a Republican and others who sounds like a liberal. And that's because the two were, you know, they coexisted at the time. And I'm sure that as in as in any as in socialism, for lack of a better way of putting it, as in socialism, there were diverse currents, statism versus right. democratic ownership kind of thing. But, thing. but it's almost, he's the heir, as I understand it, the Democrats don't want to trace their ancestry back to Andrew Jackson because he's as bad as Woodrow Wilson. The racist nature of his of his but it's also the case he was he was the, the first populist of presidents. Right. So they rather trace their ancestry back to Jefferson, but he was. Well, the Democrats historically traced their ancestry back to Jefferson. But he was Um, a different type of Republican. The Republican Party was the foundation of the Democratic Party. Right. But it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) No wonder kids don't want to study history. Yeah. Well, think, you know, it's like in the 1790s, the first party really to emerge were the Federalists. And it's in, con- in response to the rise of federalism, the and was I, when I was a kid, the term they used because they didn't want to choose between the two is they called the Jeffersonians the Democratic Republicans. Right. And and there were movements in the 1790s. There was this sort of very, very, very small D Democratic movement. They were called Democratic Societies. And they felt that the the, the nation founded in the revolution was losing its its democratic uh, foundations and the federalists were a prime example of that because the two most prominent federalists were adams and hamilton and though they hated each other they both shared a kind of contempt for for you know for the people and an, a sort of inclination to welcome the possibility of a new form of aristocracy i see interesting although jefferson at one point also sort of Wondered if we shouldn't have this sort of well. It, Jefferson is the first one I think to articulate the idea of a meritorious aristocracy. Okay, that, in other words, so they didn't get titles. Adams and Hamilton were a little kind of inclined to titles, I would say. Whereas for Jefferson, he understood likely there would be some kind of elite, and that elite would be, in his you know more favorable view of things, a meritorious elite. Right, which is uh, how you end up with the Obamas and the Clintons. I think they're worse, Alan Minsky. I think people who think they're self-made are more dangerous because they are proud. See, that's what Hillary was trying to tell Bill. She said, it takes a village. Right. Yeah. The the, the most dangerous people I know are convinced they're self-made. They didn't need any help from anybody. Like Larry Elder, for example, Alan Minsky in California, mm-hmm. Professor Harvey J.K. in Wisconsin. I'm going to ask you, uh, Alan Minsky, about the recall. Larry Elder and Gavin Newsom. How worried are you? Um, um, I do want to say, by the way, first of all, that in the chat, somebody said that I, I read the chat so I could comment on some of the things in the chat. I only occasionally read the chat when I'm on the show, um, so that's not necessarily true. So people people think I can respond to questions in the chat. I can't, though there has been something in the chat I can talk to very quickly, but first let me answer your question about California. Um, you know, I spoke to somebody who knows California politics better than I do and has been following this closely. We at PDA are really uh, hoping that Newsom survives, but that uh, the way that this plays out really... Yeah, 
Kimberly Gilfer, I should stop looking at the chats. The, um, the, uh, um, the way this plays out is um, uh, uh, that he's uh, going to be vulnerable to a progressive challenge in the primary in 2022. Uh, look, um, the, with the supermajorities in both houses in, in Congress, in California, uh, in terms of law being passed, I don't think there's a lot of damage a Republican can do in the next 15 months. But obviously, executive power, emergency power in the current situation that we're living through, fires, more fires, undoubtedly, COVID, et cetera, um, a lot of damage can be done to California and people in California by elder winning in, a, in an absolutely, you know, run-of-the-mill, wretched, neoliberal hack like Newsom. Um, is a much better person to be there uh, than than Elder. And then hopefully, uh, again, we're calling for him to, uh, first of all, fulfill some of his progressive um, policies that he said he was running for last time and the ones that he's claiming he supports now. Uh, and that, uh, again, we would love to see a, a powerful progressive challenge to Newsom. Now, for those people who aren't in California, the largest, most populous state in the country, the amount of money you need to have to raise uh, to challenge a governor in a statewide election is unbelievable. So that's can be prohibitive. But again, we think this Bernie Sanders won the state, won, won the state pretty well. And, um, and we feel that the Democratic Party uh, base is very progressive here. And um, we can get a really exciting thing happening here with a progressive challenge to Newsom. But Newsom has to win first. Right. And uh, ch- chances are Do people um, a like single, Newsom? a single progressive challenge to Newsom will have a better shot at a progressive victory than if Newsom loses also, because if Newsom loses, you're going to have a clusterfuck in the, um, right. and then you're going to have the progressives running against each other. And probably the establishment democratic win will have the discipline to consolidate around one yeah. candidate in open primary, probably the Lieutenant governor, maybe someone else. If um, elder were to win hypoth- you know, hypothetically, hypothetically, then you'd have a big sort of clusterfuck. What happens if, if Feinstein completely goes over the, well, it's like she's not going to go away unless she dies. And I mean, in terms well, of that's that, not so impossible. That, and and course, as a right. consequence, does the governor? Die die too, so. Yeah, you know, no, no, yeah, no. Then the governor doesn't. No, the state, the state can, the legislature can, if it moves quickly, block a Republican appointment. Um, though I'm sure the governor's office would challenge this legally because they can vote to limit the names, the selection to the people they submit, and then they could submit. Okay. okay. Um, so there's that too, but. Okay, you know, a lot of damage can be done by Larry Elder. You know, in this context, COVID, just imagine, you know, what can go on. So, you know, vote no and then. And uh, is Gavin Newsom, do people like him? No. Not if they did, they don't anymore. Um, you know, he just really looks like a kind of a, you know, an, I don't, that looks still matter. He, they don't like him because he carries himself and looks like, uh, sort of like a, a villain out of a Batman what has he done that that you that he can run on? Oh, very little. Except you know, I mean, um, you know, some of the some of the public uh, um, expenditure uh, responses to COVID have been half decent, but there's not a lot, not a lot of achievement there. And there um, is a bill for Medicare for all sitting that that either passed the assembly or passed the states. No, family. no, it's not going to be considered now. But it's sort of actually a very good maneuver for the strategy I just outlined. A fantastic new. Um, radical um, uh, representative introduced at this time has held it off so it'll be at the top of the agenda at the next year. California has a peculiar legislative agenda where if something doesn't get um, uh, past a certain hurdle, it just doesn't happen at a certain point in the year. But if it's introduced in an earlier year, 
you can make sure that it can be a top the top of the agenda for the next year very close to it and that's where it is so it'll be considered in january that bill and that means uh, we can really force newsom if he survives this uh, recall to take an opinion on that and when he doesn't really push for it it'll expose it's been a bunch of hot air from around single payer so right. there's all that um i want to talk a little bit about something just very quickly um, yeah. that someone put in the chat about um the idea of voting democrat and uh, how that is a complete waste and there's no hope whatsoever if we always vote democrat look it depends on what democrats you vote for and uh in terms of the way i look at what's happening right now there's this fair period after the Bernie Sanders challenges. We had a, the only avowed socialist in the U.S. Congress, an outlayer in the political system, run for the Democratic nomination and almost win it two times in a row, basically get cheated out of it two times in a row, um, and um, could have beaten Donald Trump in both elections. And uh, But he didn't, and we understand that the whole political status quo in this country is a raid against Bernie. But following that, they, people are in the Democratic Party, and, you know, either going to deny that that's a reality you're going to have a, a an intentionally perverted sense of alexandria ocasio-cortez as being having the same politics as the mainstream of the party which is not the case so there is a left challenge within the party i think that's just objectively true it does have momentum it's very different than it was in the obama years in terms of the left challenging things and so i see that as an honest space of battle obviously i got hired in the job where that's also my job day job so take what i say with a grain of salt but i'd argue that on on the merits as being very different than how is the sexual harassment lawsuit at kpt coming along i don't know what that's about so sorry i can't answer that question i should stop reading the chat yeah the yeah i closed my chat so i don't get distracted yeah, but then it pops up in the, in the bottom half of right the screen, so. no right. you cannot you, you don't have to have it pop up you, oh i don't know how to do oh, that. the stuff i mean yeah they, I, I i'm looking at you so i can't see it uh, let's talk about wisconsin because there were two big by the way wisconsin is a good example as to why it's better to have elected democrats than Republicans. Problem is we didn't elect, elect enough of them. Our legislature, we had a governor, our legislature that was created with Scott Walker's push survives. We have a state that's schizophrenic. We have a state where mandates every time a, a Democratic governor tried to impose them on, you know, for masking, the state legislature lifted them. We have the, the curious situation in which the state legislature try, basically warned the university system not to uh, have any kind of vaccination or, or, or mask mandates. And Tommy Thompson, does that name ring a bell? Who yeah, was he was the multi, uh, homeland and under Bush. He and also in the Bush administration, he was in his day considered a conservative Republican. He is the president of the University of Wisconsin system right now. And he basically gave a finger to the state legislature and said, we're not taking your orders. So, OK, well, to get back to my point, it, as as much as I, I regularly despise the Democrats, the fact is that in the case of the pandemic, we would have been a hell of a lot better off earlier if we had a, if we didn't have a Republican legislature. Our state university system would be healthier. We would no we would not have become uh, what do they call it a right to work state as we have become. Um, my own personal income towards retirement would have been greater had we had we not had republicans i mean it doesn't change the world but i could tell you 
you vote Democratic because you want to make sure Republicans are not in office. And and preferably you have Democrats you can vote for who are progressives. And fortunately, I, you know, with this last time around, was able to vote for a very progressive uh, state assemblywoman. And I'm hoping that, you know, that could be reproduced elsewhere in the state. I'm going to ask you about might. Uh, the idea with our empire crumbling overseas, the military coming home, hopefully. Uh, we believe that might makes right because I said so. I, I, I played that Thomas Friedman clip where he explains to Charlie Rose, we invaded Iraq because we can. This idea of might. The, the physical bullies have taken over this country. Uh, guns, brawn is winning here in America. Uh, we, we still depend, the, the left, the liberals, the neoliberals believe in electoral politics. They think that, that uh, the American people will rise up and go to the polls and reject fascism. Uh, I'm not so sure. I'm seeing intimidation coming from the right, intimidating poll workers, intimidating election officials, intimidating their own. For Look, example, I mean, I th again, I've, I'll take us back to Texas. The law basically encourages vigilantes. I mean, go on. There you go. I mean, right. The idea is that. Uh, they're go they've now they're now li they're going to license people okay to enforce the law to take the law basically to take the law into their own hands to enforce it and essentially i mean it's a nightmare situation for 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 women there's no other way to look at it and uh, uh you know biden says basically biden's threatening you know federal action i'd love to know what the hell they could possibly do um other than one thing and that is Get rid of the fucking filibuster. Or Texas. <laughs> or Texas, yeah. Or Texas, right. I mean, well, maybe we could just offer it to Mexico. I don't know. I mean, yeah. The intimidation works. It, it, it works in any authoritarian regime. You saw it in Wisconsin this week. Uh Paul Ryan, the former Speaker of the House Republican, not a fan of his, uh, in an interview said Trump lost. He, he did not win the election. I went, wow, Paul Ryan is speaking up. But, you know, he, what does it matter? And then Ron Johnson, your senator, said he said it off. Yeah. Off, off mic. Right? Yeah. He gave the most convincing argument for why Donald Trump couldn't have possibly won Wisconsin. He laid it out, the mathematical explanation that he got, Trump got 50,000 fewer votes than the Republican Party got in Wisconsin. In other words, there are. Yeah, right. If he, if he, so therefore, there's no way he could have won. Well, why isn't he saying that? 
Who's intimidating him? I mean, it's why is that not on the front page of the New York Times? Why, 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 shut, why does he shut his mouth? The guy's a, the guy is a billionaire who is an who I'm not even joking. The, the guy's generally he's a billionaire and he he, you know, he just literally despises people. And I don't even know how, how he got elected originally because I couldn't imagine that he would ever be able to to beat Russ Feingold at that time. Uh, that was the first time was in 2000 and I'm losing track of years now. 2000 and was it 2010? I blame it on Obama if that was it. 2010, perhaps. I mean, he hates I, people. Obama was just Obama was so bad for the Democratic Party. Okay. And and the Democrats and still is know, and still is and still is. That's right. That's right. And still is. It does seem like you said, everything is hinging on infrastructure, that if they pass yeah. this infrastructure bill, then everything is sunshine and gravy. I didn't quite say sunshine, but uh, but I think it's the case that at least there's a that that that, that could represent the, the start and when I'm going to break into a Broadway musical. This could be the start of something big, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Is it a political liability for Mansion? Do, do the people of West Virginia care about fiscal responsibility? If it's the poorest state, isn't West Virginia the po the poorest state in the union? Do, do they really care about their senator being a fiscal hawk? What is that? Isn't that that's amazing? Isn't it? Absolutely amazing. And all these things just flipped in the course of what? The last 20 years? What do you mean? Well, West Virginia wasn't a Republican state. Very Democratic. Really? And what? In fact, one of the it was was it one of the it was Lawrence Rockefeller, who was the governor, who, who was actually a Rockefeller Democrat, correct? Well, there was a Rock. It wasn't. Or no, Rockefeller was Arkansas. Well, who was the Rockefeller? He was West Virginia. West Virginia. Rockefeller was Virginia. Yeah, he was the Democrat formation. Yeah, in fact, the best the, the legacy legacy of the Rockefellers West Virginia is if you go to West it's West Virginia Wesleyan, beautiful little college up in the mountains, in a little town is it Buckhannon something like that, and uh, they have like the largest Methodist chapel. I don't know east of the Mississippi or something like that. It's absolutely, it's a beautiful campus. And that I believe was a gift of the man, because I think he might even have been the president of the college and then went on to the governorship. Was he a Rockefeller? Brothers, I think. Was he a Republican or a Democrat? Democrat, I believe. He was a Rockefeller Democrat. Yeah. There's such a thing as a Rockefeller Democrat. Well, you should know that Nelson Rockefeller was actually, I mean, I, as we say with Johnson, let's hold Vietnam aside for a moment. Nelson Rockefeller, let's hold Attica aside for the moment. And Nelson Rockefeller, back in World War II, I, it was in the Roosevelt administration in possibly some kind of Latin American affairs yeah. thing, which probably was linked to oil, as you can imagine. But nevertheless, he had a, a reputation as a, as a liberal Republican when there were liberal Republicans. Right, right. It's got to get better. And then and then Henry Kissinger. No, I got it reversed. He was Henry Kissinger's foreign policy advisor in the 60s. Yeah. And then Rockefeller gave Kissinger to Nixon. 
Can I just ask, is it a rocket? rocket? Okay, Kissinger's still alive. Unfortunately, yes. Kissinger, did K- Kissinger introduce Rockefeller to his last wife? Was that it? And happy? He, he did, happy, right? And, what, and was her, was she a, I, God, I got this strange recollection that, that uh, I, I can't do it here because I can't remember the story precisely, but it was, she was she like an art dealer or a, I don't Does know. Does that ring a bell at all? You're talking about happy. Happy, yeah. Uh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, okay. Doesn't happy sounds like some... sometime when we're talking off 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 the show. We'll, I'll tell you what I crossed my mind, but I, I can't do it right now. Happy sounds like some toothless degenerate who, <laughs> when your car breaks down on the side of the road in Arkansas, happy pops out in the pickup truck, and yeah, there's a. There's a filling station three miles down. Just uh, hop on in. And you're looking at him going, this is not. And, and Anthony Perkins is awaiting you. Yeah. You know, this is <laughs> this is not. That happened to me once when my car broke down. Some guy was a little too eager to take me to the filling station. Uh, but I think he thought I was the filling station. Uh, oh, Jesus. I don't miss the road. <laughs> Do not miss the traveling, doing stand up in a broken down Toyota. Don't miss it. Yeah, I miss yeah. it. I miss you it a little. Just... You froze. Alan Minsky I froze. Didn't, did I? No. Before okay, you guys uh, depart, uh, I always like to play clips for Alan Minsky. But first, let me ask not Alan, but for Professor Harvey JK. Uh, but what are you reading? For the summer, are you getting any reading done? Well, as as I confess to a former student, I've been binging on Netflix. I've been watching Turkish television series. Oh, wow. Good show. Yeah. What's that? Good show? What is it? Tell well, I watched that. one that was called... Um, I just shit, I just finished it two days ago. Drop Your um, Pants. The Protector. The Protector. Oh, there's a great Turkish game show called Drop Your Pants. Drop Your Pants. <laughs> this one was not far from that. And then <laughs> right now I'm watching something which is even more mystical. Where, where are you getting these? Netflix. Netflix? Yeah, I, I just, I hadn't, I didn't have Netflix till about a year ago. The pandemic led us to it. And then, and I, and then this past summer, I just, I, you know, I have this problem and this is not, I'm not saying this in an egomaniacal way, believe me. But half the time I pick up books, you know, of a political sort, and I think, I know this shit. I don't need to read this. Right. I, 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 I hear you. Yeah. You know? It's, and, and I can't tell you how many people are repeating. And this is what does piss me off. And this is how many people are repeating arguments I made during the 1980s and 90s in work. Okay. And they probably got a $100,000 advance when I was doing it as a in a sort of left-wing academic way. just yeah. pisses me. It's like all of a sudden everyone realizes there's been a class war underway for the past 45 years. So yeah. how could I, I can't keep reading that. So I'm actually now going to read, I've decided the next three books I'm going to read. There's a book coming out, I think Tuesday, uh, by a guy who was a Wall Street Journal editor titled uh, How America Won the Something and Lost the World, something like that. Because right. it'll, it at least it'll keep my interest as it pisses me off. Right. And then Newt Gingrich has a new book coming out November 2nd or something like that. And some other yo-yo right winger has another 
book coming out. I'll read those. I just fit. Oh, I did read three books by Ben Shapiro. Cause I couldn't figure out what always excite, you know, pissed off people like my buddy, you know, the late Michael Brooks and others. So I read those and you know, it's amazing. Is, is it's there- all, every word is a dollar bill for these people. That's what it is. There's, there's no ideas whatsoever in this shit. It's all the fucking same shit over and over again. And the only difference from the left is that the left actually has a better sense of, well, history sometimes. And footnotes. The left has footnotes. Ben Shapiro. Well, not always, but yeah. (laughs) I'm always amazed how how people like Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro has footnotes. What they get away with. What they state is axiomatic. This is settled law. You know, uh, well, let me let me. Uh, Sorry. So ask Alan what he's been reading. What are you? What no, have no, you no, been I, reading? Although I don't think he has time to read. I know his day. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't have time to read. Well, I remember I talked about uh, the, the book by um, uh, the Miller band, the older Ralph Miller band. Mm-hmm. And um, there's been some interesting histories I've been reading, but uh, um, uh, one has a complicated title. I'd have to go, give you, go upstairs, get the book and give you the title. Interesting book about the Atlantic um, slave trade, um, English uh, mm. rebellions against early capitalism, and then rebellions within the domestic United States. So it's about rebellions across in the, in the Caribbean, the Haitian revolutions in there. Is, a, yeah, is, this, is this a hefty book or a small? Yeah, book? yeah, yeah, yeah. So it made some. It made some. Uh, uh, it was a sort of heralded book, uh, both for its style and for its historiography in terms of how it sort of created this realm of Atlanticist history and, um, you know, from a, from a radical left rebellious perspective. So pirates are in there, Haitian revolution, uh, various times when, um, actually the Tempest by Shakespeare was based upon a rebellion when a ship landed in Bermuda mm. and mm-hmm. up, no, we ain't leaving. We're not going to Jamestown. We've heard about how the hell the people, the English people have there and how they're overworked by, you know, the, whatever it was called, maybe it wasn't called the East India company yet. Um, and just how t- tyrannical the the original English settlers were, the ruling class was towards the people they brought over on the ship, let alone the indigenous people, right? Um, and so they landed in Bermuda and they wanted to stay because it was fucking paradise. And so, of course, the rulers eventually found a way to hang a few people and discipline them and ship them on up to... Uh, and then they launched the rumor about the Bermuda Triangle to keep everybody else away. A couple of people stayed. They did the Robinson Crusoe thing on Bermuda. And, um, and but again, the Tempest is uh, sort of roughly drawn off that tale. All right. This is my favorite part of the show. Well, I can't wait to see what's coming. Yeah. Where I just watch, just horrify Professor Harvey J.K. What can I find that will horrify? I'm going to start off easy. Alan Minsky, please. I You'll be appalled, too, but it's. I, I like to just see Professor K. Uh, you were talking about West Virginia, right? Yes. Okay. Take me home, country road. Yeah, they have a Republican governor. His name is Jim Justice. I didn't. I didn't know about Jim Justice. And That's what he used to teach: democracy and justice. <laughs> and he's he's tr- and Jim. Didn't you and teach Jim, Jim too? Right. And Jim, yeah. <laughs> I have a PhD in Jim. This is Governor Jim Justice, and every day he starts his press conference by going over the COVID deaths in West Virginia. 
and it's not going so well for this Republican governor. 106 death in West Virginia is another 34 year old, a 34 year old male from Randolph County. You got to help me. You got to help me get the people vaccinated. It's the only way out of this. I'm sorry. I'm not appalled at all. I'm I'm. And I I thought I would start off easy on you. Oh, yeah. Is this not the governor who was on at least one issue was a little to the left of uh, Manchester? Yes, he was. Thank you. Yes. Right. Mm hmm. That's a $15 minimum wage. $15 minimum wage. Yeah, is it right? It is uh, amazing. And he's a Republican. And he's just you go through the Midwest and a lot of the people who are uh, now career, you know, Republicans in the average age of the elected official, upper elected official in countries is about 50, 54 or so. Um, and they often were, I mean, say like West Virginia, they probably were all Democrats growing up. Yeah. Mike, Mike Pence, by the way, was a Democrat as a kid. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. The evangelicals this- in the past were, were voted Democrat. The what? The evangelical population in the South voted for Democrats. It changed with Kennedy, right? When Kennedy. Well, it changed. You know, if, if you change with the school prayer and the uh, and abortion. Big change, Reagan, big change was Reagan in the fact that they mobilized politically for the first time. Even the Billy Graham as yeah. Nixon's preacher. They were not mobilized until the moral majority age, which came of age with the 1980 election. Yeah, that, that's true, except. The, the foundations were laid when they when the Christian schools started launching and they mm-hmm. wanted, you know, the avoidance of taxes. I mean, a whole slew of things that emerged in the late 60s into the 70s. And but you're right. The, when the what's the name of those guys? What was his name? Um, oh, Paul Wayward. Thank you. Yeah, right. OK, I'm easing into the good stuff. Rudy Giuliani. You know, we all remember Rudy Giuliani. Have you ever struggled with alcohol? Never at all. Never at all. Were you drunk during those interviews when they said you were? Absolutely not. I I don't think I've ever done an interview drunk. I I have uh, sometimes. I mean, I drink normally. I like scotch. I drink scotch. So you do not believe that you have a drinking problem? I know. I don't know to believe it. I know I'm not. I mean, I, I... no, I'm not. I'm a functioning. I'm probably probably function. I'm a functioning. A function, all right. <laughs> I'm a functioning alcoholic is what I am. I, I, I've, I you know, <laughs> that's the least of his other things that bother me about him. <laughs> Did you like him on 9-11? Did you fall me? for that? No way. No way. No, it, America's mayor, whatever it was called. Yeah. yeah, I liked him as much as I ever thought the Dallas Cowboys were America's team. <laughs> Spoken like a Packers fan. So, thank you. We were the people's team. That's what we are. Have you been following the, okay, some town hall meetings? Well, here we, now we're getting into Now it. we're getting there. A deep dive. Here we go. Uh this is a gentleman. This is kind of scary, but I'm a. This is 
Uh, now I'm going to start with this. This is uh, Nicole Wallace with Jake well, Sullivan. Yeah, here we go. Just on those lines, what is the Taliban? Are they now our frenemy? Are they our adversary? Are they our enemy? Are they our, what are they? Well, it's hard to put a label on it, in part because we have yet to see what they are going to be now that they are in control, physical control of Afghanistan. You know, in 2001, there was a guy who was in the press all the time around the world, and he spoke English well, and he was interviewed on, like, whatever, Ted Koppel's Nightline, I imagine. And he was the spokesperson at all of the press conferences right after September 11th, right, September 12th. The Taliban would hold these press conferences. And this one guy, pretty young, would be the front and center answering the questions of the international press on right. behalf of the world. I, I, I remember that, yeah. Do you know where he went to college? After that. Where he went to college after that? Well, it'll make Yale. David happy to hear he probably went to Harvard or Yale. Yale. Yeah. Yale. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Uh, okay. I'm, sa- I'm saving. Uh, there's this guy. Have you been a good little Nazi? Hey, Fauci! Hey, Fauci! Hey, Fauci! I like that. That's what uh, talent wow, is that? It's like, it's like J- Jaron Lanier on a really, really, really bad day. Yeah. Um, That's San Diego. Wait, 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 did Jimmy Dore dye his hair? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is, what, is he, what is he saying? I can't understand what he's saying. Hail Fauci. Are, he's saying that the, the mask <laughs> mandates violate the Nuremberg codes. And will we look back in history as little Nazis who scream, hail Fauci, hail Fauci, hail Fauci. Yeah. Uh, The town halls have been interesting. Uh, I want to play you one from Michigan. That's disturbing. And then we'll end on uh, something nice. If I can find the one, the, 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 I'll play the scary one first. (laughs) The last one was pretty scary. There's something he does that's, if you're Jewish, you'll find offensive. Let's see if you can find out why it's offensive. Yeah, that's my father-in-law right there speaking on behalf of my his grandkids. (laughs) You with that diaper on your face, if you farted right now, could you smell it? That's how stupid this is. We're all playing games here with people's lives. And I'm sick of it. I represent all these hardworking guys that couldn't be here today to take off work to put up with this BS that you guys are putting down. And there's hell coming. There's hell coming, and I'm not doing it to threaten anybody. But there's a lot of good guys out there ready to do bad things soon. Watch what's coming. These, These mandates are against the Nuremberg Codes. The first one states voluntary informed consent. Are you okay? Hang on, I'm interrupting. He's talking about concentration camps and Nazis. Are you still there, Professor Allen? I'm here. Yeah, yeah, wait, yeah. What is he talking about? Because that would be helpful to know. But but here's the thing he's warning that the next step is rounding us up and putting us in concentration camps. And he wrote his notes on his his arm he's reading his arm you know that's where the numbers went 
and he's it's reading off mask, his mask, arm. It's about mask mandates. Is what he's, he's talking. He's a about. Michigan guy warning us that there are some good people who are going to do bad things. And he's reading off his arm about the Nuremberg. Code. But the, the, the thing that has gotten him that way is not that the working class has been sent to a 20 year war on um, in Afghanistan. It's about the mask mandate. I do have to take this on the back of one second. Yeah, the mask mandates. That's what everybody should be upset about. Not not the 20 year war. What is it? You're gonna send, they send my dad off to Vietnam and, and fight for the country, but you're going to tell him to wear a mask? To do bad things soon. Watch what's coming. These, these mandates are against the Nuremberg codes. The first one states voluntary informed consent. Are you a Nazi? What is it? You're gonna send, they send my dad off to Vietnam and, and fight for the country, but you're going to tell him to wear a mask? Sir, um, I appreciate the fact that I can't control myself. There's a lot of other guys that control myself, that can't control themselves. Talk to me. That's talk why they're me. not here right now. Somebody. I have nothing else to say. Do what's right. There's a lot of bad things coming. We we hear we keep hearing that there's yeah. there's a lot of bad things coming. There's a lot of bad things coming. That's there, that's what basically that that's the same verbiage 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 as uh, on January sixth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, there was a piece in Polit- I think it was Politico today about I mean Bannon's really whipping up. Uh, folks such as that to turn out and take over the local Republican or county Republican parties. There's going to be uh, this next election is going to be a not in California. They've got their own problems, but around the country. If you're an election official. A Republican election official, the Brennan Center wrote about this. We talked about it earlier on the show. The intimidation. That's what I mean. Yeah. The intimidation. Uh, who who needs this crap? Yeah, you're going to say. Yeah, I, did I already tell you here that uh, so a former student of mine who's maybe six years since graduation when got a graduate degree and went back to his central Wisconsin village and actually very unusually was elected to the village board, which is gen, overwhelmingly Republican. And he's a progressive Democrat. And he spoke at he did he turned out one evening at a school board meeting since he's a member of the village board to, to endorse the idea of masks in school. It wasn't a, a vaccination mandate. It was masking mandate. And there were parents in the back just when he was calling for the, these things, calling him a commie and a traitor. I mean, it was just really, I was, I was really shocked, really amazed at the virulence of it. And that what I just heard, which was a, the guy had the floor, in fact, is the rage is 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 really astounding. I mean, I, I like I like rage if it was channeled in a creative fashion, but nothing well, creative about that. Rage is, you know, as a comedian, you know, comedians and comedy writers have learned to channel their like, as you just said, their rage yeah. into something productive. Uh, I'm tapped into my rage. And I, I can, I, it's a friend, uh, 
I, I, and I know, I like to think that I know what to do with my rage, you know, go for a walk, exercise, write, write jokes, write, you know, mean jokes. Yeah. Uh, but people who have uh, generalized rage are ripe for the picking. And yeah. they just, you know, they just want to scream. The and that's what he was, and that's what he was doing, right? And you can, and uh, if we don't, but, but this, this, this really is. I mean, I, you know, I, I, it doesn't help to repeat myself, perhaps, but this is forty-five years of this of draining communities and and social groups and you know and to the point where this guy may this guy for all i know may be a dentist nevertheless paul gosar is a dentist yeah i mean it It really is is the case that out in central wisconsin and other parts of this country i mean all across the country central wisconsin is like those places and they just felt that they were ignored and that resources were sucked out of their regions and and dragged elsewhere and they're and they're right and but you know of course they refused to see the degree to which it was as much a regional a class thing as a regional thing but that's because there was no one there to to, to enable them to recognize this democrats you know just literally turned their backs on these things and were so beholding behold in to uh to the moneyed class, the moneyed power, to use the old populist expression, that, you know, they, they refuse to, to harness that kind of energy in favor of really social democratic, progressive, radical change. The Republicans find these people, these rageaholics, people with untreated mental illness and either get them to vote for them or run them for office. Yeah, I mean, right, absolutely. There's a kid named Josh Mandel. I believe he served, uh, he, he's a, I think he's a Marine. I don't know w- which branch, but he saw action in Afghanistan and Iraq. He's now running for Rob Portman's seat in Ohio as a Republican, and he's hmm. a veteran. He's recognized uh, a demographic. Uh, this, is, this is what Josh Mandel, uh, Republican, has been saying on the campaign trail. When people cheat in elections, when these Democrats cheat in elections, they're not only disenfranchising their neighbors, they're stomping on the graves of every Marine. Oh, yeah soldier, sailor, airman who's paid the ultimate sacrifice so we can live free so we can have that right to vote every every November. And yes. so I think this whole January 6th thing, you know, this commission, whatever, you know, Pelosi, whatever you call it, 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 it it's a total waste of time. Okay, that's that's the... So is Josh Mandel, is he from Shaker Heights? I don't know. I, I hate to go there. Yeah, I, did, I, 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 didn't, I, I hated to bring it up, but I just it crossed yeah. my mind and I'm amongst friends. So. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, no, it's just a, and that's some, you know, one of the reasons Nina lost that race was because, you know, it's gerrymandered to put the Jews and the blacks in the same district because they yeah. vote Democrat. Mandel is a Jewish yeah. name. This is a guy, obviously, 
who came back from the war with PTSD and untreated PTSD. And this is what he said. This is the next thing he said. At the end of the day, the Second Amendment is about combating tyranny from the government. We've got tyranny coming out of the White House with Biden, but we also have tyranny coming out of governor's mansions, like right here in Ohio, where this squishy establishment, Mike DeWine, is trying to push mask mandates and vaccine passports on the people. And that's why we have to arm up. That's why we have to well, arm that's up. That's why we have to arm up. There you and go. He, doesn't, he doesn't mean Zig Heil. He means this is a candidate now who's running for office, catching the insurrection wave. Uh, This is a young kid who is troubled and he sees an opening to to run uh, as an insurrection. There's uh, this guy, uh, Cawthorn. I believe he's from North Carolina. Uh, He's a about a 25-year-old kid. He's serving in Congress. He's in a wheelchair, but he's not a veteran. Uh, and this is what he said. So everything that we're sitting here talking about, we're all so passionate right now. The things that we are wanting to fight for, it doesn't matter if our votes don't count. Because, you know, if our election systems continue to be rigged and continue to be stolen, then it's, it's going to lead to one place, and it's bloodshed. And I will tell you, as much as I am willing to defend our liberty at all costs, there's nothing that I would dread doing more than having to pick up arms against a fellow American. And the way that we can have recourse against that is if we all passionately demand that we have election security in all 50 states. See, and... My re- take his words and quote them. We need election security in all 50 states. I agree. But his idea of election. I know. Security, I know. I know. And then it's taking up arms. It is the uneducated. This is uneducated people who own weapons. And they think they're just as good as anybody else. You're not going to push me around. I've got weapons. I'm sick and tired of feeling stupid. Why do I have to kiss your ass? I've got a gun. This is the problem. Uh, When you have a wartime economy, making war overseas, might makes right, People like Thomas Friedman going on Charlie Rose, these impotent males with their we invaded Iraq because we can. That kind of swagger pouring out of the intelligentsia that grease trickles down to the least among us. People like this guy Cawthorn or uh, Josh Mandel, who did serve our country. And they feel stupid, left out, and they go, but I have a gun. Um, You know, there's an interesting article in uh, Harper's about stupidity. Um, I think the most recent Harper's. Um, And um, uh, the, the importance of stupidity across human history and, of course, in the American contemporary context. And while, you know, the balance of the article points towards, you know, the people you're sort of referring to in the way that 
you know, the coastal elites refer to people in the middle of the country as stupid. It does turn back on the stupidity of that perspective too, a few times. And those are the better parts of the article. Um, and, um, I think what I see when I hear these guys is, um, and none of these guys seem particularly bright, but, um, these three, but they're all guys and they're all white, um, all white, they're all white, they're all playing out. Um, they're, they're almost irrational points they're making, but they're adamant about. And, you know, it really strikes me as this is what they've probably experienced a lot in their households as kids. Um, and, would have been experienced in households in the middle of the 20th century in a culture, which is the father's the boss, the father's word is the final word. Um, and this is a big basis of the sort of protection of the family ideology you got in the 70s, 80s, into the 90s out of the Republican Party. Um, and, you know, of course, it, it masks the various kind of, you know, wealth inequalities and the class a decline of across middle America and, and you know, predominantly white middle America, of course, it's equal in among communities of color in middle America, but um, they definitely see the democratic party is in no way speaking to their interests. And then they hold on to this patriarchal ideology, which gives them just, just by its very nature, right. It it is, it, it, it's definitionally about your right. You're the white, you're the, forget the whiteness, even you're the male, what you say goes, whatever it is you're saying, it goes right. That's sort of the biblical law, right. And mm-hmm. certainly something that was picked up in mid 20th century as a cornerstone of American conservative values. And, uh, you know, and, you know, what was the, it was the name of the woman? Uh, she wrote some books about sort of popular feminist journalistic history. And then she wrote one, I think, called Stiffed about what happened to men. It wasn't very well received, but I thought there's something there. And it's, it's reflected in a lot of the uh, Republican talking points. This kind of oh, like, that wasn't like, Susan Faludi, was that? No, it was yeah. Pa- pa- it was. Patriarchal temper tantrums. Yeah, yeah I, I, read, like big, I read that. I read that because I was curious about her. Yeah, Trump's like a big patriarchal temper tantrum, and of course he connects with all these people who are going to want to hold on to this kind of authoritative patriarchy. But I definitely see that reflected also in the gun culture and all this stuff too. Right. Uh, you know, Dr. Harriet Fraud comes on this show. She's a psychologist and she every week she says white men were told that they were special, that they lived in the greatest country in the world and they have this sense of entitlement and they wake up every day and they're losing their country and they're losing their status. And uh, and this is what Steve Bannon and Trump and the Republican Party have tapped into. And as you both of you have pointed out, the Democrats don't see it. They don't see uh, this. Let me play you this clip of a African an African-American weatherman uh, report, reporting on the hurricane. And there is a a white man in a pickup truck named Dagley, allegedly, who sees this African-American reporting and uh, he goes crazy because he's losing his country. He's a white man. He's 50. And the sight of an African-American on TV reporting about the hurricane 
he goes nuts. And the biggest indicator that I saw this morning about the force of the storm last night is that the mail delivery has returned. We saw postal workers going out delivering mail this morning. Just a couple of minutes ago, people were walking their dogs. They're back on the beach right now. And that's the sense that you're getting that the rain has stopped. The wind is still going there. I think we even have a random person going around. You know, I'm going to turn this way because, you know, we deal with some people every once in a while. But some down power lines of some trees that have fallen or at least limbs that have fallen. So they're going to go ahead and do that survey to make sure that they're okay. Craig, I'm going to toss it back to you because we have a person yeah. who needs yeah. help right now. Yeah. Hey, 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 hey. Um, we're going to check in with Shaq Brewster just to make sure all is well. Uh, there's a lot of crazy out there. A lot of crazy. This guy, uh, what I've been reading, his name is Dagley. He's a white guy from Cleveland. He uh, He's now on the run. He has a history, allegedly, of assault. And uh, he once... Uh, he... Uh, well, I'll play... I'll show you the headline. Uh, two years ago, man drilled holes in tanks of cyanide acid at Cleveland Company he once owned... The police said, uh, this is who this guy is allegedly. A Worcester man faces criminal charges after he broke into an electroplating company he once owned. He once owned and drilled holes in tanks of dangerous chemicals, Cleveland police investigators said. The incident sent one employee to the hospital for exposure to toxic chemicals and risked a potential environmental disaster, according to Cleveland police report. So allegedly, this guy had a company, electroplating company in Cleveland. It went under and uh, he tried to destroy the new owner's business by puncturing holes in tanks of cyanide gas. In the article, they say, if you mix the cyanide and hydrochloric acid, you basically have the cyanide gas of World War One. It certainly would produce a toxic vapor that could kill. Employees told police that the release chemicals are severe enough to cause a large scale catastrophe and Dagley knew what he was doing. Uh, and people went My to that. He'd be damn good on office hours. He'd be great on office hours. <laughs> and he's anti-mask. Bring him on. Bring him on with mass solar. Right. As they said in the chat, we are all white males here. It's true. But, um, he, you know, so he's an anti. He's against wearing masks while he's busy puncturing, allegedly, tanks of cyanide. When you take hmm. financial stress mix it with maybe an ex-wife uh loss of country and a sense of entitlement a sense mm -hmm. of entitlement white entitlement and give that person a weapon you think they care about counting the votes but i don't care what the vote can i'll tell you what the vote count is let me leave you with this thought let me leave you with this thought. When the guys over there on the right, they, they, they investigate this show, they watch an evening of it, and in the end they conclude, oh my God, Marianne Cummings has a male harem. What does that mean? Oh, a harem. Harem, harem, yeah. 
here. Let's listen to Dolly. Well, I don't want to offend anybody. This is a business. We'll just call it the stampede. You know, what's a word? You know, this is a business. And you just do stuff not realizing. But as soon as you realize that it is a problem, then you should fix it. You know, don't be a dumbass. You know, if it's if it's a problem, fix it. When, when they said Dixie was an offensive word, I thought, well, I don't want to offend anybody. This is a business. We'll just call it the stampede. You know, what's yeah. a that she, you know, she was told Dixie. All right, we'll end on something happy. Is anybody still watching? <laughs> they all actually the chat at least is. Or no, those are the number of people wait whose messages I haven't read. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, ninety nine plus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Last one. Uh, this is a town hall that went exactly the way it was supposed to. It was very quiet. This is this is Jeffersonian small r republicanism professor you guys work for us in 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 this uh environment you answer to us and i'm asking that you do not pass this policy in virginia thank you so much Mr. thomas we do appreciate you phil mccracken phil mccracken Salk, Souk, Mahidik. Souk, Mahidik. Ophelia McHawk. Ophelia McHawk. Eileen Dover. Eileen Dover. Still in home, huh? Don Kedick. Don Kedick. Don Kedick. Don Kedick. Wayne Kerr. Wanker. Wayne Kerr. Wanker. That's what makes this country great. You bet. Phil McCracken. Suck me dick. What? Oh, feel me cock? What? Um, here, David, I got I to gotta bring this up. This is, a, this is the book I told about. It's, uh, it, oh, Peter uh, Linebaugh. Yeah, Peter and I, those are old friends of mine. Yeah, it's a great book. There we go. All right. They're both, they both were students of E.P. Thompson, author of The Making. There the, we go. Beautiful. Yeah. And, and, what, the many, the, what is it? the title? I was looking at. Many, many Headed Hydra. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that was a really good. Okay. And you're reading that right now. I am reading it. Okay. Alan Minsky is the executive director of the Progressive Democrats of America. And uh, Professor Harvey J.K. is the author of Take Hold of Our History. Read Take Hold of Our History. FDR on Democracy. Thank you. I look forward to this every week. Thank you. I love shocking Professor Harvey J.K. Thank you so much. Uh, We didn't do... Uh, I, is Dan, I apologize, Dan. Are you, did Dan leave? F me. F me. Yes to work. Okay. I apologize. Yeah. All right. We didn't do uh community billboard. Uh, my apologies to Dan Frankenberger. Uh, damn it. Damn, damn, damn.
Uh, thank you all to everybody who showed up today. It's uh, the Labor Day weekend. You might want to reconsider your travel plans and stay home or uh, Zoom instead of travel. Uh, the variant is exploding around the country. And uh, so I think you should uh, stay home and uh, get vaccinated. Get vaccinated, wear a mask, do the responsible thing and get your news and information from reliable sources. Don't get your news from uh, grifters and hucksters who are selling you something and watch uh, and read stuff that may be boring, but it might be something you need to know. I want to thank all our guests, starting with Professor Ben Burgess, read him over at Jacobin, the Hershenfelds, Emil Guillermo, the brilliant Reverend Barry W. Lynn. Go to barrywlynn.com. I want to thank Professor Ian Faluna for coming back, Professor Jonathan Bick, Professor Marianne Cummings, Professor Adnan Hussein. Subscribe to Guerrilla History with We're the Angels. I'm going to say his name, Henry Huckamaki. Can you hear the angels? And uh, then, of course, Alan Minsky, Progressive Democrats of America, and Professor Harvey J.K. Follow Professor Harvey J.K. on Twitter at Harvey J.K. and buy FDR and Democracy. Take hold of our history. Is a fun read. Just a not just it's a collection of his essays and speeches and it's a really uh it's a gateway drug into the mind of professor harvey jk i will take a call here from rodrigo hey rodrigo hi david how are you good good to hear your voice rodrigo is calling from mexico I wanted to talk about abortion. Okay. Why is that in the news here in America? Only close to the border, I think. I see. Okay. Well, it's always good to have a man talking to another man about abortion. Let's decide what's best for the women of America, Rodrigo. What, what, What should we decide for them? I think uh, it should be obvious that rich women will still be able to literally fly to Mexico because, God forbid, they're forced to drive through the border like the poor, the poor people. But there are many millions even women who well hang on now and what are the laws in mexico regarding abortion it's legal actually uh is legal abortion is legal in mexico yes some women have some rich women fly to houston to get abortions because they don't want to be seen getting abortions here, but yes, 
I don't even remember. Oh, you're saying rich Mexican women fly to Houston. They used to. I don't think they will anymore. Well, that's going to affect our balance of trade. That might. That probably won't be meaningful statistically, but yes. I was making a joke. Okay. So many millions of poor women who aren't able just to take the days of work that you need to drive to Mexico or to another state won't be able to take those days of work because they know their job won't be waiting for them. And I was looking at some numbers and in, before the pandemic in Texas, uh, the maternal mortality rates were 14.6 per 100,000 live births. For black women, it was 27.8 per 100,000, which makes it worse than Palestine, where hospitals get bombed regularly. And this is only going to get worse. And it feels weird as a Catholic to be defending the right to access to abortion services, but many abortion providers also provide many other services. Yes. For example, Planned Parenthood provides many services and mammograms going to be closed. There might even be hospitals closed when conservatives say, oh, you were supposed to deliver a baby, but you chose the life of the mother. We're going to sue you and you're going to close. So it's going to get really bad and There's millions of Democrats trapped in Texas that cannot afford to move. But I basically I wanted to share that. Yeah. Yeah. And a uh, call to your listeners, if anyone wants to come to office hours and educate us on prison abolition, which... On what? Prison abolition. Prison abolition? Yes. Yeah, I'd like to start with abolishing prison labor first. But go ahead. That's probably how you can abolish prisons is by getting rid of the loophole in the 13th Amendment. Suddenly it doesn't won't make sense anymore. Well, you know that uh, states keep building new prisons because they're overcrowded and somehow there's always 
judges willing to find somehow criminals to fill up new prisons so that they stay overcrowded. So the, even if you can no longer force them to join work details, there's still people making money off of the prison industrial complex. Mm -hmm. and what is I, wealth inequality like in Mexico? Because 20 years ago, we always heard about wealth inequality south, down south. How does it compare to the United States? Well, if you get accused of stealing, you go to jail until you can afford a lawyer who can get you out. And some 20 years ago, or a little less, uh, one of the president's friends, his uh, his political heir, uh, passed a law that said that cops would get performance bonuses for people for the number of people they sent to jail. They didn't have to send guilty people to jail. So if you were accused of stealing a $5 lighter, you were accused of stealing $3 or so, you were sent to jail until you could eventually prove you were innocent in court. And of course, while you are in prison, just to survive, you have to become a hardened criminal. You have to get into fights and win them. And that's very fun if your idea of fun is PTSD 24 right. seven. So that's, um, so that happens, it's, it's fun. Okay. To be continued at office hours, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we'll wrap it up. Uh, I can't stress this enough. Things get better. They always get better. And uh, that uh, things will get better. And there's a tendency to focus only on uh, all the horrible things that are happening, but there are still uh, good people in this country and uh, great people in this country. And uh, my suggestion is not to be hateful. Don't isolate yourself. We're, we're social animals. And don't look for the fight. Uh, 
I know from experience that anger and rage and then lashing out only creates more anger and more fighting. And it it's just a, a feedback loop of rage and anger and uh, high dudgeon and trying to to win and there's nothing to win. It's insanity. You, this political infighting, you're trying to win something that can't be won. Uh, your life is better spent helping others, even if they're not helping you. My suggestion, if you want to get through the rest of the summer, is unconditional love. And I mean this, unconditional love and forgiveness. That's what... Uh, that's how we survive. Uh, that is our version of being a prepper. The If you want to be a survivalist, unconditional love and forgiveness. Uh, be able to protect yourself from violent or emotionally abusive people. Once you can protect yourself from violent and emotionally abusive people, and that's not so easy, if you if you can be safe, then you should practice unconditional love and forgiveness that will uh, solve all your personal problems. And when you look at how we got into Afghanistan, you look at all the crises that we're in. It's because of mostly toxic white men who don't understand unconditional love and forgiveness that will heal you and this country. These flame wars on Twitter or anywhere else, it's pure insanity to try to win something that's unwinnable. You cannot win on social media. It's as insane as the war on terror. You can't win a war on terror. You cannot win a war. Wars are unwinnable. Uh, you can destroy things, but war is insanity because you cannot win a war. Stop fighting with people, especially the people you don't know. You know, I spent uh, too much of this show playing the crazies. And it's uh, problematic to play these crazy people who scream at town hall meetings. It's kind of fun. It might be reckless because most people are not like that. Unfortunately, the loudest people get heard in this country. And uh, I, I have a feeling I'm going to stop playing clips of the crazies because they're scary and I shouldn't be giving them all this oxygen. But they are kind of funny, but they're a virus and they spread. Uh, you see these people behaving this way and then somebody thinks, oh, that's a good way to get attention. So uh, I'm going to rethink playing these uh, crazy people from the town halls because they're funny until they're not. I'm telling you, uh, things are not going your way. It'll change. Take care of yourself. Do not lash out at yourself or others because that's insanity. You can't win. If you if you take things out on yourself or somebody else, 
you can't win. Play a game that you can win. Stay off Twitter. Stop arguing with people. You're not going to win. You're not going to convince anybody of anything. Debating is a sport. It's fun. Nobody wins and nobody loses. Help other people. Figure out a way. We're social animals. Help other people. Be in contact with other people. And uh, practice, practice forgiveness and unconditional love. And uh, that's how we'll, this entire mess that we feel that we're in, that we know that we're in, has been caused by white men who don't know the meaning of unconditional love and forgiveness. Uh, and Dan Frankenberger, I love you. I'm sorry. I really do love you, Dan Frankenberger. I apologize for uh, that. Okay. Office hours and hours. If you'd like an invitation, go to my website, hit office hours, and uh, it'll take you right into the link. If you're watching us or listening to me live, the link is not up on my website yet. It'll be up Friday morning to get into office hours and hours. If you want to meet better people, come to office hours and hours Friday night at 8 p.m. You will meet the greatest people in the world. You'll meet better people and you'll learn to think healthier. Remember to stay strong and protect the weak. That was that was too slick. I didn't like that. Uh, we're going to end with. Uh, I didn't play any. Uh, I didn't play any uh, Professor uh, Mike Steinell. Let's uh, end with Professor Mike Steinell. I don't have our usual sign off. Thank you, everybody. Traveling light, got everything I need. Got a little bottle of Rolite and a little bag of weed. Got to saw Bell novel, cause I really like to read. I'm traveling light. I'm a creature of the road, got no regrets. Gave up my postal code and cigarettes. I'm doing much better with a touch of Tourette's. I'm traveling light. Just need a clean room in a Motel 6. Not too close to downtown, but not out in the sticks. I need my pen and teller magic kit so I can do my tricks. Got my favorite pillow, which I call Mr. Fluffy. Four kinds of allergy pills in case I get stuffy. A pound of Epsom salts, cause my ankles get puffy. I'm traveling light. Got two pairs of socks and shorts in my little police. A couple of passports and my sex doll Denise. I'm staying real quiet so they don't call the police. I'm traveling light. I need a 
my sedatives and my antipsychotics. A high-speed parallax motor, cause I'm into robotics. And my little red speedo, I like to do aquatics. I'm on traveling late. Got my CPAP machine and my George Foreman grill. A copy of Lolita and my little blue pills. A Navajo blanket in case I get a chill. I'm traveling light. Got my margarita mix and my rusty old blender. A 50 tequila in case I go on a bender. My attorney's number. I want to change my gender, I'm traveling light. And my expensive wrinkle cream My Emmy statue For my self-esteem I'm traveling light I got my podcast mixer And a fancy microphone My exercise bike So I have a place to hang my pants My very valuable Hummel collection A menorah made of fish heads A Christmas tree I like to keep my options open Don't you know A shoe shine kit A skill saw A crossword book a large supply of mechanical pencils, a year's worth of New York magazines I've been trying to get around to read, some scripts that I've been tweaking for those people in L.A., and my enemies list. Thank you for the 